Check this out. On the weekend. Info. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. There needs to be better days on a day like this, where if you were anywhere listening to yours truly, Curtis Lee, earlier in the day with Anthony Weiner, it was right about towards the end of our broadcast, we were on from 2 to 4 Saturday afternoon, that word uh, was getting out quickly, the say that went viral was of a shooting and killings, a series of killings that had occurred in Buffalo. And we didn't quite have the details as we came off the air. But soon the information uh, started pouring in fast and furiously that an area in East uh, Buffalo that I'm very familiar with, uh, in fact, uh, I've had a lot of experiences in Buffalo that I'll go into uh, in the long course of our discussion about the shootings where 10 uh, were killed, three others were injured. And 11 of the 13 uh, people shot were black. The individual who's now been identified as Peyton uh, Gendron, 18 years old from Conklin, New York, which is in Broome County, which is way south near Binghamton. It only has a population of about 5,000 people. 5,000 people, you figure it's like 200 miles away from uh, downtown Buffalo. And the neighborhood uh, where the Topps uh, supermarket was that he chose for his execution spree looking for black people, that was his modus operandi, uh, was obviously an area in which a lot of people live, unlike Conklin, New York. He was uh, wearing tactical gear and was armed with an assault weapon. But before I get into describing what late-breaking details uh, have transpired in this case that moved uh, very quickly from his surrender to his arraignment to the fact that a jury, grand jury, will be impaneled as of money Monday to hear the evidence he's been charged with first-degree murder. First, uh, let's go to the police commissioner up in Buffalo who, uh, about an hour after the shooting, was able to uh, lay out the timeline and tell us exactly what had transpired outside of that uh, Topps supermarket. 30 today, an individual who the mayor stated is not from this area and is from hours away, drove to the Buffalo, went to 1275 Jefferson Avenue to the Topps market. He exited his vehicle. He was very heavily armed. He had tactical gear. He had a tactical helmet on. He had a camera that he was live streaming what he was doing. 
The individual exited his car and engaged four individuals. He shot four people in the parking lot. Three of those were deceased. One individual uh, at this time is surviving the injury. The individual went inside, as I said, he's an 18-year-old white male, walked into the store and began engaging customers inside the store. One of the individuals inside the store is the security guard, a beloved security guard, who is a retired Buffalo police officer, a hero in our eyes, engaged the suspect, fired multiple shots, struck the suspect, but because he had heavily armed, uh, armored plating on, uh, that bullet had no round. The suspect engaged our retired officer, and he was ultimately uh, shot and deceased at the scene. He continued to work his way through the store. Um, ultimately, um, he worked his way back towards the front of the store. Buffalo police immediately respond, engage the suspect in the uh, vestibule of the store, and at that point, the suspect put the gun to his own neck. Buffalo police personnel, two patrol officers, uh, talked the suspect into dropping the gun. He dropped the gun, took off some of his tactical gear, surrendered at that point, and he was led outside, um, put in a police car, and transported to Buffalo Police Headquarters. So as we said, a total of 13 people were shot today, 10 deceased at the scene, and three sustained um, non-life-threatening injuries. It appears to be non-life-threatening injuries at that point. Uh, four in total were store employees. One of those was the security guard who has worked at that location for a very long time. Um, and, uh, you know, many officers are on scene here, knew him quite well. And uh, the rest of the victims are customers of the store. Um, you know, as the mayor said, this is this, this uh, tragic incident by someone who is not a part of our community, does not live here. Very, very thorough breakdown. And that was only about an hour after the shooting. So you can imagine he didn't have hours and hours to amass that information because things move very quickly in terms of the arrest, the apprehension, the surrender, and then even the arraignment uh, of Peyton uh, Gendron in the killing of 10, the shooting of 13. Three uh, survived uh, his uh, assault, his execution spree. Uh, But it was interesting because then the mayor came to the uh, pulpit. Uh, Byron Brown has been there a long, long time. Actually, originally he's from Queens. I never got along with him. I've had guardian angels up in Buffalo. But um, it's interesting because recently he fended off a challenge. Uh, He lost the Democratic primary to the socialist candidate who was backed by Chuck Schumer, AOC, all out crazy. A coalition of Republicans, moderate Democrats and independents. uh, actually um, got him uh, elected, re-elected, uh, in the most difficult manner possible, uh, right in ballot. Uh, I can only tell you uh, the arcane ways that the New York State Board of uh, Elections operates, so unlike so many other jurisdictions around the country, it was an absolutely antuan measure that he was able to get re-elected and fend over the socialist takeover of Buffalo, uh, but Byron Brown is pretty street smart. Came out of, I believe, Southeast Queens, went to uh, Buffalo University, and then climbed up the political ladder. Uh, and has deep roots in the east side of Buffalo, which is predominantly the African-American community. This is what he had to say. This is the worst nightmare that any community can face. And we are hurting and we are seething right now as a community. The depth of pain uh, that families are feeling 
and that all of us are feeling right now cannot even be explained. You know, it just came to me. We're going to go through all the nitty-gritty details and associated shootings uh, that we can contrast it to, uh, whether it's white supremacy uh, or it's uh, uh, black hate crime, whatever you want to term these uh, these shootings. But it's um, right after midnight. This is the other, other side of midnight, and there's not a program on that is dealing with this subject. I don't know if you're aware of it. Basically, they mail away the weekends, specifically at night. Anything takes place. Uh, it's rare that they're going to all of a sudden do away with their pre-recorded programs. And that includes, in many instances, radio stations, TV stations. Uh, they have their pre-recorded programs. <laughs> you, you may be watching a program now. Turn it off because they're not going to be telling you about this. Uh, they're pre-recorded programs about subjects. They're, they're of importance. Uh but it isn't more important uh, to what happened in Buffalo, especially if you live in this tri-state area. Uh, because immediately politicians have seized on this. I'll get to that momentarily. But I want to give credit to our ownership, our management, by having me overnight here on the weekends whenever there's breaking news like this. I can really go in-depth. Because the one thing that I have going for me is that In the 43 years of organizing Guardian Angels, I've been in most of these communities. I've been in most of these cities. Uh, I've dealt with the good, the bad, the ugly, and I happen to have spent quite a bit of time in Buffalo. And hopefully I can give you some insight uh, into that community and surrounding communities. But I was very disappointed in the response of Governor Hochul, who was from the uh, Erie County, the greater Buffalo area. And uh, more importantly... Congressman Tom Swazi, who had been campaigning uh, earlier before the shooting in Buffalo itself with his uh, lieutenant governor candidate and was blasting Governor Kathy Hochul for saying we got a lot done regarding her administration's anti-crime efforts. Hey, pal, you think you could have held held your fire like a day or two? (laughs) This was not the appropriate time. And it wasn't the appropriate time for Governor Hochul. To, talk, to start sniping back at him after she had just come out of quarantine for COVID-19. She gave the commencement address uh, for Albany University. And then obviously went to Buffalo. That's her home area. Uh, this is what she had to say about the shooting. Once she learned that it had occurred at about 3 o'clock Saturday. This is my community. I know this community well. I've walked these streets. I know... Th- the individuals who live here, the wonderful tight-knit neighborhood. And to see that sense of security shattered by an individual, a white supremacist who has engaged in an act of terrorism and will be prosecuted as such in a cold-hearted, cruel, calculating way, a military-style execution targeting people who simply want to buy groceries in a neighborhood store. It strikes us in our very hearts to know that there's such evil that lurks out there. Interesting, within hours, uh, there was a chorus line of Democrats talking about this act of white supremacy, which it was. There's no doubt about it. I'll go through 
uh, the actual bulk of information that has surfaced online about this uh, 18-year-old executioner from Conklin, New York, Peyton uh, Gendron. But immediately, it's sort of like white supremacy, white supremacy, white supremacy. Saying to myself, gee, can we just come off of Frank James, you know, shooting up 10 people uh, on the entry? Now, he, he was going to shoot anybody, let's face it. He, he seemed to hate all people when you looked at his uh, YouTube postings. Uh, but there's so many other cases. I, I'm saying to myself, why? Why? Why right away? Right off the bat, does it have to become political? Why right away is Governor Hochul scrapping with Tom Swazi, who's challenging her in the Democratic primary? You would think uh, that they would say ceasefire. Let's get all the facts in here. Let's not come to any conclusions. Everybody agrees it's a bad, bad guy. They arraigned him, charged him first-degree murder, grand jury impaneled on Monday. They're going to move swiftly, uh, as was uh, announced by the police commissioner uh, he was surrounded by Buffalo cops relatively quickly. They got there pretty quickly, uh, and he put the gun to his neck, and they talked him out of blowing himself uh, into the hereafter. He then uh, stripped himself of his body armor, gave himself up to the police, and they hustled him down, down to uh, the Central Courthouse in downtown Buffalo. So the legal proceedings moved extraordinarily quickly. Uh, we pretty much know why he did it. Uh, in his own manifesto, he was posting information in which uh, he said, the reason I came to the east side of Buffalo and to that top supermarket is because I was looking to kill uh, and injure the most number of black people that I could. Almost like when Ramsey Youssef targeted the World Trade Center site in 1993, he was asked uh, after he was arrested, why the World Trade Center site? Because we could kill more Jews in that building than almost anywhere else. Uh, He definitely was very methodical, very meticulous. He had planned out these executions. It seemed for many, many months. We'll get into those details momentarily. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Gary, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on 770 AM WABC. Gary. Hello, this is Gary from Inwood, but I have an ongoing problem with the uh, call screener. He'll never acknowledge that. So it says, as far as he's concerned, it's Gary from Manhattan, not Inwood. So that's an ongoing situation with him and me. Uh, as, far, as far as the other I came down from Buffalo this morning, got on the Amtrak train, 9.15 in the morning. I got here about 8.30 up in Inwood tonight. My son works in the town Buffalo uh, at the bank there the, in the Larkin building. Yes, Gary. Yes, and I just passed that on. I missed that. It's like it takes ten and a half hours to get down from Buffalo. Oh no, no, I know. I've, I've taken the Amtrak yeah. to Buffalo. Yeah. I've, I've pounded the Greyhound up the New York State Thruway. Uh, how long has your son been in Buffalo? Well, he went to college up there. He went to Buffalo State College, and he decided he's going to try and make a living up there after he graduated from college. And he wound up with a, his uh, senior vice president at MIT Bank in Buffalo. Yeah, so it worked out well for him. Right, so you had no idea once you had left uh, seeing your son up in Buffalo earlier in the day that this kind of carnage would have taken place uh, probably oh, not, not that very far from where you had been. Yeah, so once again, he's on the east side. Yeah, no, no, I'm very familiar with the east side. It's predominantly yeah. black. 
Uh, I spent a lot of time in a place right next to that neighborhood called the Fruitvale section. Uh, it has a very high crime rate. That's where I helped start the Guardian Angels there. But uh, uh, we'll tell you. He lives in the suburbs. Well, no, the suburbs. Lockport, New York. Yeah, Lockport. Okay, that's Lockport. That's uh, there's Cheektowaga, there's Tonawanda, there's Amherst. Yeah, those are the suburbs. Yeah. But I got to tell you, at one, at one time, Buffalo was a thriving urban area, huge population base that has been depleted as Buffalo has fallen on some really hard times. Uh, we'll talk about Gary and Inwood and our own phone. Uh, what do we call him? Uh, telephone. Uh, producer, operator, whatever Frank Morano uh, uh, calls the phone screeners. We'll talk about that later on because uh, uh, Avery has been maligned. We'll get into that later on. Anyway, let's go to Dean in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dean. Curtis, good afternoon. No, good evening. Good morning. Let me tell you something. I think the media is so biased and they just turned, they just showed their hand. Let me give you some instances. In uh, December, when the car ran into all those white people during the parade, Christmas parade, they didn't say a black man did it. They said the car did it. When the guy shot up all them people on the train, the black man, they didn't say a black man did it. They said a man did it. As soon as Whitey goes out and does something wrong, and I don't condone what he did, Right away, the white man did it. And today on CNN, tonight, an hour ago, and MSNBC, the streamer was, white man kills seven black men, or seven people, black. So I think these media people are looking for a race war. Well, well, Dean, on this, uh, I'm going to contradict you. I know you're talking about what happened in Waukesha in Wisconsin, Darrell Brooks. It actually, uh, they have their Christmas parade in November. It was in late November, and he took that SUV of his and, remember, plowed into uh, that group. A lot of grandmothers who were marching killed six, dozens were injured. That was right after the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Uh, you're absolutely right about that. They never implicated him about his race. Uh, there are other instances. Frank James, uh, that's the most recent one, who purchased his gun legally in Ohio. Uh, he had all those YouTube uh, videos that he made. Almost nobody watched, and then everybody watched him in the aftermath of him trying to kill 10 people on that N train at 8.30 in the morning during rush hour. Uh, when you uh, actually listen to what he was saying, his rants and ravings, he wasn't specifically attacking any one group. He certainly didn't like white people, but he didn't like uh, a lot of black people. He didn't like Asian people. He just didn't like people. So in the situation involving this Peyton Gendron, he certainly left a trail of enough information on his social networking that indicated he was a white supremacist. There's no getting away from it. You didn't have to do a deep dive on this guy. He left a manifesto. He left a timeline. He had meticulously planned out these executions to the point of knowing where he was going to park in the parking lot. He already had that all figured out, already written down. And again, his motivation, he made it very clear in his postings, was to kill, to injure as many black people as possible, that's why he chose that supermarket in East Buffalo uh, afternoon 
because as he had posted, that's where I could come across the most black people because obviously where he's from, Conklin, New York. I've never been there. It's in Broome County, outside of Binghamton, 200 miles away from Buffalo. There probably aren't all that many black folks who live in Conklin. Now, I could be completely wrong. Uh, I've never been to that part, only Binghamton. Uh, But it's clear. Uh, The highest concentration and density of African-Americans in western New York is in the east side of Buffalo. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jeff in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Thank you for uh, taking my call, sir. You know, my basic thinking is this. After, After years of knowing people in the intelligence community, And after years of of seeing these things, I must tell you that I don't think you'll ever get rid of these shooting incidents unless you find out who's programming these people. The minute you have this kind of incidents, a veil of silence always falls over the shooter, and you get very little details after two, three days. You have to look into this person's background. What type of... What type of medical attention do you receive? Did he talk to a psychiatrist? Most of all, what kind of psychomedications was he given? Because certainly in the case of, of, of the school in, in Connecticut, the gentleman was given all kinds of medications that were have a long history of causing violent behavior. And whenever this happened, you need, you need to look into who had access to him. Are there any dark periods in his life where you can't find out where he was? Okay. Also, you know, you have to look at what. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. When things like this happen, you never see the doctors lose their license. Well, well, well no, first off, everybody's jumping to conclusions. I understand your concern. Really good likelihood that he has. Mentally deranged, I mean, who uh, walks into a parking lot of a supermarket and systemically just starts shooting people, hoping to kill and injure as many blacks as possible? He uh, killed 10, uh, injured three. Uh, Out of the 13, two were white. The rest were African-Americans. As was mentioned uh, by the police uh, commissioner, who I thought did a very good job giving out the details so close uh, to the actual time of the investigation into who this guy was, Peyton Gendron, we now know 18. Uh, there was the uh, former retired Buffalo police officer who actually fired on him, hit him, but he hit his body armor, and then the gunman turned on the former uh, Buffalo police officer and wasted him right there on the spot. In fact, that was part of his planning. He knew that there was a security officer on the grounds. He knew that when he started firing on people, this is all posted. He had this all meticulously laid out. This guy's very anal. He knew that as soon as he started shooting people in the parking lot, and remember, he knew exactly what parking spot he was going to go to. He puts on his body armor. He puts on his helmet. He grabs his uh, Bushmaster semi-automatic, and he starts indiscriminately shooting people. He's hoping to shoot as many black people as possible. He knew that the security officer, because he obviously had scoped this uh, supermarket out before, would come to the front of the store, which he did. And that's when they exchanged uh, gunfire. He took out the uh, security officer, and then he started mowing down people as he started going up and down the aisles. You could imagine how chaotic that was. I'm telling you, 
This guy had planned everything out to the T. He had been doing it for months. He was a former student at SUNY, Broom Community College, right near Binghamton. We don't know how long he attended. Remember, he's only 18. Probably had a cup of coffee. But he posted that during the pandemic lockdown, he was bored in May of 2020. And then he went to a, a site, a posting site called 4chan where you get uh, an anonymous forum, including its message board. And that's where he read about the great replacement theory, white people who are at risk of being replaced. And then he said he was motivated. And that really got his rear in gear to start preparing for the attack in Buffalo. Several years before he actually did it. So I know, look, each and every situation is different. So we mentioned Frank James, the African-American, who came in uh, across the Verrazano Bridge from Philadelphia where he was staying at the the, uh, location that he had rented. Rented, remember, that uh, van came in and started firing shots in that crowded entry during rush hour, 8.30 in the morning on its way to the city after releasing those smoke grenades. Uh, And then we saw all the rantings and ravings of Frank James on YouTube that he had been posting over the years. Every different situation is different. I wish everybody would just let the situations play out before they jump to their own political decisions as to what this was. Like all of a sudden, uh, Gillibrand, the U.S. Senator, white supremacy, we're dedicating our... It's like, excuse me, Gillibrand, you represent a state where most of the crimes being committed are black-on-black crimes, as it is in Buffalo and nearby Rochester. We can run down a whole laundry list. Relax. This guy wrote everything down. It's going to play itself out. We'll do a deep dive. We'll figure out if anybody had been his mentor Right now, just based on the limited access of information that I've had, and I'm sure other people have had, this guy might well have been a lone wolf. So everybody chill out. You know, ah, there's bones to be made here. I'm hearing it already. All the politicians, they're clucking away. Roosters and hens. Let's go to Jacqueline calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jacqueline. Hey, Curtis. Good morning. Uh, I'm glad you're with this because when I watched the news, I thought I was the only person who made that observation. And then I would be labeled a racist. But I'm glad you mentioned it. So obviously I'm not the only person that saw that and made that observation. Now, which observation was that, Jacqueline? That right away, the news report reported that this individual that did this shooting was a white kid. And Anytime you hear any stories, countless stories, as your previous caller had stated, the Christmas parade massacre, they never once mentioned the race of that murderer, nor the race of the people that he injured and killed. That is true. You're absolutely true. It took us days before when he was arraigned. Remember, they had him in a straitjacket and chains and shackles, and then finally... Uh, we got an idea who it was, and we got an idea based on family members of the deceased who the grandmothers were that he plowed into because they were all part of a contingent in that Christmas uh, Christmas parade in Waukesha. Uh, and there have been other situations likewise. i give you an example. Just uh, last night, right outside of Milwaukee Bucks Stadium, downtown Milwaukee, 
they were playing the Celtics uh, in the NBA playoffs. Uh, 11 people were shot. Luckily, nobody was killed. But there were gang battles in the streets of Milwaukee. And I can tell you, have Guardian Angels in Milwaukee. It wasn't white people down there shooting at one another. I guarantee you that. It was probably African-Americans. Uh, and, you know, you know we're not going to focus on that because that wasn't planned. I guarantee you that wasn't planned. That was probably just sporadic. People were drinking. They got into fights. Uh, the guns came out. This, though, Jacqueline, was meticulously planned. This guy, Peyton Gentron, planned this for years, wrote it down, had a manifesto, had it all mapped out. So we can clearly see who this guy is, what his motivations were, what he did to prepare for this, and why he picked East Buffalo. It's obvious in his own words. He said, because I was going to find a neighborhood where I could find the most number of African-Americans to hurt and to kill. Well, you know, I didn't I didn't say this. I wanted to say this at the very beginning. It doesn't matter if the perpetrator is black or white or purple or green or blue. They all have one thing in common. They're all lunatics. They're all Looney Tunes. They're all crazy. Um, so they cannot be defended in any way, shape, or form. But what I have an issue with is the media and also the politicians like Hokum, as you call her. I call her Hocus Pocus because she makes all the facts disappear. And when her mouth is moving, she's lying. But right away, you know, they don't say anything, as you stated earlier, about Frank James. I'll never forget the day that that happened. He, he, the van that he parked in the train station that he took is not too far from my house, from where I live. Yes. And i never forget the news report, the only part of information that I heard as far as any kind of a description. And they told everybody to be on the alert, be aware, look for this person. Who are you looking for? They described him as a dark-complexioned male. Yeah, remember wearing wearing the uh, orange uh, vest of like an MTA worker with a yellow construction cap. He looked like uh, one of the members uh, of the village people. That that's the way it was described. And he walked around the city for thirty hours. Nothing happened. And if it wasn't for Rudy Giuliani here on WABC giving the license plate of the vented in Philadelphia because the police had released the Arizona license plate. It was a WABC listener to Rudy who saw it right in your neighborhood, called it into the police, and then the police swarmed in on it. And Rudy never got credit, never got credit from City Hall. By the way, the only one to give credit to Rudy Giuliani and WABC, ironically, Jacqueline, the New York Times. Believe it or not, the New York Times said, yep, it was a a listener to the Rudy Giuliani show on WABC who heard the mayor describing the van, describing the license plate twice, and then immediately called the police because he was two car lengths behind. Uh, And sure, a lot of information oftentimes does not get released in the manner that it should be. But let's not ourselves be guilty of immediately falling into a trap. We know who this guy is. Peyton Gendron. So only 18. He, we got to figure out, obviously, when did he become so warped? When did he become obsessed? He said years ago. He said in May of 2020, he said he was bored because of the lockdown and pandemic. He started... Uh, Going on and on, up and down and all around on the Internet, he found the uh, anonymous forum, 4chan, uh, with the message board. And that's when he read about the great replacement theory, white people at risk of being replaced by people of color. 
And he said that was his motivation. Now, I'm sure there were other factors. We got to look at parents who were his parents, what effect did they have on him? Uh, was he on medication? We got to believe that he psychiatrically, this guy was not balanced. I mean, who sits there for months? He might have even with Google Map figured out the exact parking spot. Remember, he writes this down as part of his timeline. This is the parking spot I'm going to drive to. This is the time I'm going to arrive at Tops. He's driving from 200 miles away. He's got this all planned almost down to the minute, the second. He puts on his helmet. He puts on his body armor. He grabs his Bushmaster. He starts shooting people in the parking lot. He knows. He's written down. I know the security guard is going to come out and confront me at the door. And what happens is the security guard, former Buffalo police officer, fires on him, hits him in his body armor, did not stop him. And then the gunman took out the former police officer with his Bushmaster, then goes inside the store. You can imagine people scurrying for their lives. He goes up and down the aisles hunting for black people. So we know this. This was his manifesto. This was his Obsession. This is what he actually did. But you got to say to yourself, right when this information became available, who starts squabbling with one another? Hochul with Swazi. Swazi, who happened to be at a campaign appearance hours before in Buffalo with his lieutenant, uh, with his lieutenant uh, uh, governor uh, uh, mate. And they start going back and forth about who's going to be tougher on law and order. Hey. This is a horror. It affects our whole country. It affects our state. It affects everybody's mindset, whether you're pro-gun or you're pro-gun control, whatever, whatever. The point is, I think we can all agree, this is a horror. And they're at each other's throats. And there's Gillibrand, white supremacy. we got to stop white supremacy. Hey, lady, you're the one who used to be the gun owner. When you were a congresswoman, you were Annie Oakley outside of Albany, right? You, you had like four rifles underneath your mattress. Then all of a sudden, Chuck Schumer said, I want you to be the replacement for Hillary Rodham Clinton. But you know something? You're going to have to become, uh, all of a sudden... Uh, you're going to have to become uh, <laughs> gun control, gun control Gillibrand. And she converted within an hour. Sanctimonious hypocrites. They all are. Never trust these politicians. They didn't have the decency to hold their verbal rhetorical fire at one another until maybe a day or two after all the facts are in. Remember, for them, it's all about the politics. How do you gain an edge? How do you take advantage of this situation? Really? Hey, trust me. This is what they're saying. How do we take advantage of this to win our primary, to win our general election? You would say, my God, this was like one of the first thoughts in your head. Yes, it was the primary thought. 1-800-848-9222. Let's continue. Uh, I see we have the dischronificator in full effect, Avery, who was so wounded by our caller from Inwood uh, earlier. Yeah, we'll get an uh, opportunity to address that later, Avery. I know uh, you've been wounded by a number of these callers who are complaining to Frank Morano on the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, about your behavior and screening calls. You'll have an opportunity to respond. 
Let's go to Jay in New York. Your turn uh, to be heard here at WABC. Make that Jay in New Jersey. Yeah, hi, Curtis. How are you doing? Um, it seems to me that this is going to be Roe versus Wade. They already made it a political football, Roe versus Wade, and now this is the next thing uh, that's going to be the issue. So it's just a political football already. Well, uh, let me tell you what it's going to be merged into. Uh, the United States Supreme Court is probably already made a decision. They will release its findings uh, in June about the right to carry in the state of New York. I saw our Mayor Eric Adams. He was at a forum in Harlem. He was saying, oh, my God, things are going to get so much more dangerous. The people are going to be afraid because gun owners who might have the right to have a gun on their premises, their place of business, or their home, will now have a right to carry. Oh, my God. And I'm saying to myself, Jay, that's not the problem we have in the state, trusting people who have a gun license, in this case, to also be able to carry. The problem is the criminals with guns, not the law-abiding people. Curtis, if one of those people in there would have had a gun, I'm assuming that none of them had a gun or they pulled it out and shot at this guy. None of them had a gun, I guess. Yeah, uh, you know, this reminds me, though, of a situation that had happened in North Hollywood. This is many years ago. These two guys, these Serbian guys, were robbing banks and robbing gun shops, and they had full body armor. You may have remembered the video, Jay. They yeah, were out. Remember, remember, they were out in the streets, yeah. and they were, like, wasting the LAPD. The LAPD couldn't match their firepower. And every time they'd shoot at these Serbian guys... The bullets would bounce off because he had full body armor. So I think we got to take a look at to see what kind of uh, body armor this uh, had Peyton Gendry because the former uh, Buffalo cop certainly hit him. I'm sure he hit him in mass that would have normally taken him down if he didn't have the body armor. But the bullet uh, bounced off of him, and then Peyton, uh, with his Bushmaster, just unloaded on that former cop and took him out right at the right near the door front. Right, but again, it's true, unfortunately. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see what kind of body armor he had on and where he purchased that body armor and whether he legally purchased it. And obviously, did he legally purchase the Bushmaster? Was the Bushmaster semi auto that he had, or was it maybe his dad's or his mom's? Was it stolen? Was it his friend's? You know, is this another Kyle Rittenhouse situation where it's a legal gun, but it's the owner is a, a really young guy, an 18-year-old guy. It's so much that we just ease off. Relax. Be plenty of time to make this an issue in the upcoming election, the midterm elections, January 6th, Roe v. Wade, gun control, uh, inflation. So many issues. You can wait like 48 hours, 72 hours to wait for all the facts to come in. Let's go to Gene in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gene. Curtis, I'm going to make this fast. I know it was the primary. He gave uh, de Blasio a B plus. Number two, no politician never had a business, never wrote a payroll check. We can't trust him. This is what it is. And we have to put up with it, pal. We ain't changing it. No, no, no. I understand that, Gina. But when our mayor says that the city is in danger because of legal law-abiding gun owners who have a premise permit, 
might be able to now have a carry permit based on a United States Supreme Court ruling, which seems to be leaning in that direction. That's not the problem in our city. Uh, shame on Eric Adams for saying that, because remember, he talked about as a retired police officer, he was going to carry a gun until he thought differently. It's like, <laughs> that's, this is not the problem in the country. People with carry permits, uh, whether it's concealed or it's open, uh, being a nemesis to society. Let's go to Michael in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Yeah, I was afraid that something like this would eventually happen. And I hate to say it because I think it's going to be happening more and more. Basically, we have started a race war. And I I don't want to put the blame on anybody. But if anybody is causing you you cannot keep calling people racist, 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 white supremacist, white supremacist. You know, like when the mayor took office. He wanted to hire his brother. He said, I'm hiring my brother because there are people who disagree with what I'm going to do, and they might try to hurt me. But no, he had to bring it. I'm hiring my brother because of the white supremacists. What white supremacists? <laughs> We're talking about it. And saying, I didn't see anybody buying sheets. They just recently had this, this new person replace that redheaded moron that used to talk to the reporters. They did four interviews of her in the past. Every other word out of her mouth was prejudice, white supremacist, white racism, nonstop. I mean, how long can you keep telling white well, people? Well, remember, this is a political issue. They're playing to their vote. By the way, it is interesting in the aftermath when uh, Frank James was on the lam for 30 hours taking a tour in New York City and the cops couldn't find him, the subway shooter. Remember how in one of the YouTube postings it seemed like he had threatened Eric Adams and they increased his security, even though he was in quarantine because of uh, COVID-19? That was a black man who was threatening Eric Adams, not white supremacist, Frank James. Uh, Last time I looked at those videos, he was a black man. Sanctimonious hypocrites. It's, It's like too much. Let's go to Joseph, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joseph. Yeah, actually, a number of callers actually mentioned the sort of like dichotomy between the media treatment of what happened in uh, Buffalo. Apparently, uh, yes, a racially motivated shooting uh, and two things that happened, like, uh, for instance, in Waukesha, Wisconsin. uh, Waukesha, uh, Waukesha. Waukesha, there you go. Uh, Where a black degenerate, yeah, where a black degenerate mowed down, what, eight uh, innocent white uh, civilians. So, again, not to belabor that point. Uh, but to direct the attention on just basically, uh, you know, how the media treats these uh, incidents uh, you know, in one direction and, you know, minimizes the other. Uh, there's a great book. It's called The Culture of Critique by Dr. Kevin McDonald. And again, it goes into those uh, the media bias with regard to covering hate crimes and uh, how the media is tendentious on one side and minimizes the other. Well, well I, think the, I think the way we deal with that, Joseph, is we just acknowledge that all these acts of violence are wrong. Uh, We scratch the surface first, and we try to figure out why all the furniture was rearranged in the wrong rooms of this guy's head, because it's normally guys. Sometimes it's a female, but let's face it. It's uh, mostly high levels of testosterone. 
that are involved in these uh, violent acts committed against segments of society. They're targeting segments of society. But there's a rush immediately to see if whatever happened uh, buttresses your political ideology, which is such a shame. I mean, today, out of everybody who commented, and I'm not suggesting they don't comment, but Gillibrand is sort of like, oh, well, we got to stop white supremacy. Like, Calm down. Relax. Woman was having a mental melt- meltdown. It's like, don't we want to find out more about this guy who influenced him, if he had a mentor, if he was a lone wolf? This is just all going to come out. This guy was like a email Yenta in written form. He's all, he was posting all of this stuff. This guy is not going to go to his grave. Like, remember? Remember in Las Vegas when they were having the country western concert and the guy had automatic weapons and he was shooting out of his hotel room and he mowed down like 100 people, almost all of them white. Remember? We've never yet figured out what the hell his motivation was. And the slaughter that took place in that parking lot right next to that casino and hotel in Las Vegas. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Max and the Poconos. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Max. Hey, hello, Curtis. I'm sorry you didn't get elected mayor. Uh, I was very disappointed, even though I couldn't vote for you. Um, now, now, hold on a second, Max. Isn't the Poconos the sixth borough of the city of New York? Hasn't it been referred to as such? Yes, sir, and they don't have an expressway directly here yet. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but I'll tell you this much. There's so many New Yorkers who have fled to the Poconos. You know, like in a country, when a country has an election, like Lebanon just had an election, and people who are no longer in Lebanon could vote in the Lebanese election. Why can't they let all those New Yorkers who have fled to the Poconos vote in the New York City election since they spend a majority of their time not only living in New York City but working in New York City? Well, they all be voting for Trump. Can I speak to one thing, though, about Kirsten Gillibrand? Of course. Um, the big picture here, um, speaking as a white man and, and she being a white woman here, um, here's a thing. The conservative male has been at war with the uh, militant feminist female, white female, for as long as we, we know. We know we remember, but we don't, we're not aware. If you notice, all of our uh, people have issues with the you know, conservative white male is a white woman of power, like the Hillary Clintons, the Kirsten Gillibrands. Now, yeah, now you, you use know, the just, term uh, war. Uh, why, why do you say war? War suggests like well, what we're seeing in the Ukraine. Well, it started in, it started in Adam and Eve, you know, like, uh, you know, there's only two people on Earth, man and woman. You know, there's men's needs and there's women's needs. So, you know, we're at war with the militant feminists. Now, now, wait, uh, again, when you say war, what does the war involve? That's, uh, I mean, that that's, I mean, war with militant women? Now, what do you mean? Like when they were burning yeah. their bras or when uh, Now was created by Betty Friedan uh, and they started burning well, their bras? So would you have been at war against Betty, uh, Betty Friedan and the bra burners? No, but that was the beginning of it. We didn't look deep enough there. There's, you know, it's it's progressed from there, evolved. Now it's like blatantly against these white conservatives, and they can't. So now, just, now uh, uh, you, you identify yourself, Max, as a conservative. 
Uh, I guess I can. Okay. Yes. Now, but... now, let me let me let you know what Peyton uh, Gendron had posted about conservatism. He said conservatism is dead, and that advocacy for equality was wrong because he claimed the average black man had a lower IQ than the white man. But he said he was a conservative at one time, and he just gave up being a conservative because it's dead. It's dead. Conservatism is dead. So you see this guy, he he was on his own path. I understand that, but I would I would I would argue that he probably had a hated his father and uh, you know, had a militant feminist mother. No, 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 hold on a second. How the hell do you extrapolate? You know almost nothing about this eighteen year old guy. You have suddenly extrapolated that his mother was a militant feminist? Oh, uh, Curtis, forgive me. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't know you were talking about the shooter in Buffalo. Yes, yes. Now, the shooter in Buffalo was a lost white kid who, uh, you know, just uh, lonely, isolated, mm. you know, the, the kid left behind, you know, failure to launch, you know, those white kids left behind. I was one of them, you oh. know, where there's no emphasis on you and you're uh, basically left to, in squalor. Question, Max, uh, because the uh, Pennsylvania primaries are upon us, are you a registered Republican? Uh, I try to be, but uh, Senator Lisa Baker, uh, or Lisa, uh, Lisa Bryant Lane Baker, <laughs> I think she's a rhino, and uh, I, I, I cannot in good conscience vote for that woman. All right, so do you have choices in the U.S. Senate primary uh uh, and in the uh, gubernatorial, I like, uh, I like Oswald because you know. I mean, but you know, I'm concerned about the uh, you know the Turkish background and uh, you know you know being a fundamental Muslim. You know, uh, you no, 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 let, me, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question about that yeah. because Oz, uh, Doctor Oz, has been a secular Turk. He's not a very religious Turk. He's not a fundamentalist Turk. Uh, you're not going to see him all of a sudden aligned with Al Qaeda. Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Uh, do you realize there are a hell of a lot of Muslims that are secular that we deal with every day that are part of this great land of ours called America? Why would you be fearful of a Turkish Muslim who, let's face it, is a patriotic American? Patriotic, but, you know, he's not a... He's not a Christian, you know, and just, uh, you know, I. Uh, well, 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 what about, you know, what about, if, uh, what is it? What about if Dr. Oz were an Israeli and he happened to be a Jew uh, and he was deciding to run for the United States Senate in Pennsylvania, like uh, Rendell? Rendell was your governor. He uh, was Jewish. Uh, would that have precluded you from even considering a Jew? No, I mean, I would, I would not want to. I mean, like, I, I don't care if he's Jewish, but you know, it's like he's he's Jewish in himself, so it's like he holds that. He might have something against me because you know I have a Christmas tree and I believe in Christ. I don't have anything against he's Jewish, but he might have something against me. I have to be, I have to take that in consideration. You know, wow. I mean, lo- lo- wow. logic dictates. Max, Max, with all the problems that we have going on in our society. Uh, I, I sincerely doubt that a secular Jew would have a problem with you having a Christmas tree, and I sincerely doubt that Dr. Oz, a secular uh, Turkish Muslim, would have a problem with Judeo-Christian mores. Woo! We went a long ways in that conversation with Max and Poconos, but he was very open. He discussed what his belief system uh, is. 
And obviously there's a very big primary coming up in Pennsylvania involving Dr. Oz, the Trump-chosen GOP candidate, although, boy, what a horse race there between uh, those three candidates, and the uh, gubernatorial GOP race where uh, two candidates have aligned to become one against now the Trump-chosen GOP candidate. Uh, Trump just chose him. So all eyes are going to be on the Keystone State. Boy, as they've been in the past two presidential elections, All eyes used to be just solely on Ohio. Now they're on Pennsylvania. Let's go to Michael who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Uh, Good evening or good morning, Curtis. Yes, sir. I'm very concerned about all these mass shootings. We've had so many of them that it's almost becoming uh, routine. It's almost like we're expecting it. It's, it's an acceptable part of our society. But I identified three factors, I think, that are fundamental to, this, to all these shootings, not just the last one. Number one is the ready access to uh, powerful weapons, guns and body armor and gas canisters and so forth. For example, Frank James had 14 convictions under his belt and was still able to legally purchase a very powerful handgun. All right, now, Michael, on that question, remember, he did so legally in Ohio. Uh, All of those charges were misdemeanors in New York and in New Jersey, and all of them occurred uh, before the beginning of the years 2000. So he basically had stayed out of trouble, uh, you could almost say, for like 17 years. Okay, but the first factor that I wanted to identify is the ready access to uh, very powerful handguns and uh, assault rifles and body armor and gas canisters. It's just that our society seems to be uh, very open to providing people with all kinds of weapons of destruction. That's That's number one factor. Yes. Number two factor is the lack of effective mental health services available in our society. That that's something that I think that I personally experienced when I went through my um, issues with my own mental health, I struggled to find an effective, safe and effective mental health therapies that would help me to deal with my own anger. I had anger issues. And I finally found uh, primal therapy, which is a self-primaling. I'm a self-primaler using a primal therapy. That's the only therapy. Well, talk therapies are somewhat helpful, but it was primal therapy that really freed me of anger and rage. So even and, though you uh, uh, you had had somebody working with you, talking with you, engaging you, it didn't work as well as you engaging yourself. Well, I used a paddle ball, which is hitting a ball against the wall. Yeah. And I told the police officer that it's more socially acceptable to hit a ball against the wall than to hit another person. So uh, paddle ball was was a therapy for me, along with talk therapy. But it was primal therapy that really opened me up and released my anger and rage. So if we had safe and effective mental health therapies, which is basically primal therapy is the number one, if we had that offered to the population, then a lot of the anger and the rage would be channeled into therapy and released Oh, no, no, I, I, I concur with you, Michael. There's a whole panoply of options. Uh, 
not just medicine. Obviously, medicine is always a fallback. Uh, you know, the uh, shrinks uh, always like to write a prescription. Sometimes it actually creates even more problems than it resolves. Let, but, me, let me tell you something, Curtis. I took Stelazine, Thorazine, Tofranil. I went to different uh, Freudian analysts. I went to Gestalt therapist. I went to this therapist, that therapist. I went to anger management therapy. And they they were somewhat helpful. I mean, it's helpful to fight in somebody. Sure. But when primal therapy, which is a body-mind therapy, really can pry open a person. Now, now, how old, uh, Michael, how old were you when you finally came to grips with the fact that you had this anger management issue? Um, well, to be frank about it, even as a teenager, I got into terrible verbal disputes with very bitter ver- verbal disputes with my stepfather. Yes. And he eventually threw me out of the ha- Well, he threw me out of the house many times and eventually he threw me out permanently. But I, I be frank about it. I'm an orphan from World War II. My father was killed when I was one year old. My mother remarried when I was four and I was not adopted by my mother's second husband. And we eventually degenerated into a war zone. Well, you know what's uh, what's so what's so. I in- wanted to, to hurt my stepfather, but I never did. Right, but what's so interesting is we learn more about you, Michael, in this brief discussion than we have about uh, the execution of Peyton Gendron, uh, who is now incarcerated up in Buffalo. And that's why I say to everybody: hold your horses. We need to find more about this 18-year-old executioner, other than the fact. Uh, that he had posted his uh, white supremacy manifesto. There's no doubt about that. And I'm going to get into the nitty-gritty of what I have discovered up next. We're going to stay on this subject because um, any of the news stations, they're just dealing with the peripheral. We're going to crawl into the belly of the beast, and I'm going to tell you more about the 18-year-old Peyton Gendron who uh, figured out very methodically how he was going to kill as many black people as he could down to the parking spot that he would pull into earlier on Saturday. WABC, New York. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Without a doubt, the story of the day is the shooter who was racially motivated, pulled into a parking lot at about 2 o'clock this afternoon up in the east side of Buffalo, had uh, tactically planned out this, uh, this shooting spree with the uh, mindset of killing as many African Americans as possible. He himself came from a very small town uh, outside of Bingington, population 5,000. And uh, he had posted on his manifesto, and I'll go through all the details so I can get you guys all up to speed, guys and gals, because I know the mainstream media is not doing that. They're just uh, touching on the peripheral. And uh, I got orders from headquarters uh, earlier uh, in the day uh, from John Katsimatidis as I was out and about 
to spend as much time as we could dissecting and bisecting uh, this uh, shooting. Uh, and there really hasn't been enough information shared. I'll share with you the information that I've done the deep dive on. Uh, again, if you're just joining us, the 18-year-old who uh, shot 13, killed 10, is Peyton Gendron from a little town in Broome County, uh, New York, down near the southern border near Bingington, uh, 5,000. That's 200 miles uh, directly southeast of the area that he drove to earlier in the day in Buffalo and began his shooting spree. Uh, He had posted a dozen pages uh, on his social networking. He described what tactical gear was best for similar attacks, including knives, vests, and medical equipment. So he had uh, thoroughly researched uh, all the equipment that he used in this attack. He said, as I told the previous caller, that conservatism was dead and that progressives' uh, advocacy for equality was wrong because he claimed the average black man had a lower IQ than an average white man. And, uh, again, he went there in his own uh, words that were printed because he said that was the highest number of black people who lived uh, relatively close to his area in western New York. And uh, he paid tribute in his online manifesto to the killer uh, in New Zealand, in Christchurch, who had gone to two separate mosques and killed over 50 and also to the assassin who had walked into that Walmart in Texas, both instances in 2019, who killed 20. Uh, He believed, as he had said, because uh, in May of 2020, he was totally bored because of the lockdown and pandemic where he lived. Uh, As he was surfing uh, in the Internet, he found Chan for the the bulletin board, And he read extensively about the Great Replacement Theory, where white Americans were at risk of being replaced by people of color. And uh, in one of the posted pictures, you can actually see an anti-black slur that's on the barrel of his Bushmaster um, rifle that he used in this killing spree. And um, that area that he went into in East Buffalo definitely historically has been the center of the African-American community in uh, Buffalo, the Fruitvale section and the Maston Park section, which is where that Topps uh, supermarket is. Now, the gunman had a camera attached to his uh, military helmet, and he used it to broadcast the attack live on Twitch, which is a live streaming service owned by Amazon that is popular with gamers. Uh, Twitch uh, was immediately taken offline within about a half hour of uh, the gunman having uh, put out a live stream, a live stream. Discord, which is another uh, social networking site, was the site that he posted his manifesto on. Uh, And uh, just uh, so you have a historical understanding of Discord, It uh, has accepted a lot of the postings of individuals who are on the far right, QAnon, white supremacists, uh, reactionary, 
In fact, uh, that was the one website that was used in addition to others to get uh, information out about the Unite the uh, Right rally that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, in 2017. Uh, He was charged uh, with a hate crime, and it's called A Case of Racially Motivated Violent Extremism. Uh, A lot of it uh, has to do with some of the postings that I'm telling you about that he made on private servers that are invite-only servers and less uh, visible externally to uh, average guys or gals who may be trying to track what his postings uh, were. And he clearly indicates that he was inspired by other white supremacist acts of violence. He talked about Dylan Roof, who killed uh, nine African-Americans in 2015 when he walked into that black church, sat there with the black parishioners, and then uh, took out his handgun and beginning to uh, began to execute them. He was motivated by the 2019 massacre in Walmart near El Paso where 20 people were killed, uh, where that gunman had posted a four-page manifesto filled with white supremacist views before he went on his killing spree. But he was most motivated by Brenton Harrison Tarrant. Never trust anybody with three names. Brenton Harrison Tarrant. Now, who's he? He's the person who apparently radicalized uh, the 18-year-old gunman in Buffalo. Uh, He is now serving triple life without parole in a prison in New Zealand. He had killed 51 Muslims uh, on their day of prayer, Jumar, at two mosques in Christchurch. And he also had posted a live stream of his attacks and had posted his writings. Apparently, the 18-year-old gunman uh, in Buffalo uh, had followed uh, the live stream of his attacks and read his writings and was motivated by him. He uh, named uh, his uh, weapon of choice that he used in these executions as the Bushmaster semi-automatic assault rifle. He constructed a full timeline detailed which parking spot he would drive to, where he would eat beforehand. The guy was uh, concerned about having lunch before he went on this carnage spree. And on what social networking platform that he would live stream the carnage that was to follow. He carefully studied the layout of the grocery store, wrote that he would shoot the security guard near the entrance, which he did, before walking through the aisles and shooting at black shoppers, shooting them twice in the chest when he could. So he did not just want to maim him. If he happened to shoot a black person in the aisles, whether they worked in the store or they were shoppers because it's a predominantly black area, he hoped to shoot him again in the chest to execute them. We know he's a former student at SUNY Broome Community College near Bingington. We don't know how long he was there. I'm, I'm assuming he had a cup of coffee. He's 18. And again, I can't repeat it enough in his own words, in his own post. He said that during the pandemic and lockdown, boredom set in, and in May of 2020, he went to 4chan, the anonymous forum, with a message board, and it was there that he was motivated by great replacement theory, which states that white people are at risk of being replaced. And he said he was passively preparing for the attack in Buffalo for several years. He purchased the ammo and the gear, He infrequently practiced shooting his Bushmaster. And this past January, he wrote, 
plans are now getting serious. So with all of that that we know, and I'm sure more is going to come out, I did a deep dig as as much as I could. And I'm sure law enforcement has a lot of this information, the alcohol, tobacco, firearms, federal agency, the FBI, the state uh, troopers, the local Buffalo police. I'm sure they're digging even more. But this guy seems to have uh, been like an encyclopedia Britannica of posting uh, a lot of the information of what he believed, what his motivations were, and uh, what he was uh, intending on doing. I think the most interesting thing is oftentimes when these executioners go on their spree, they end up executing themselves. Apparently, he uh, had intentions of doing that. He was uh, confronted in the supermarket at some point by two uniformed Buffalo police officers. He put the gun to his own neck. They talked him out of shooting himself. He took the helmet off. He laid the body armor on the ground, and then he surrendered to Buffalo cops. He was uh, quickly whisked away downtown Buffalo. He was arraigned on first-degree murder charges, and a grand jury will be impaneled to hear all the information starting on Monday They're moving extraordinarily quickly with this case. A court-appointed lawyer uh, said that he would plead not guilty to the charges, which was to be expected. You can certainly weigh in on all of this, ladies and gentlemen. It requires a deep dive. I think I have uh, about as much uh, knowledge about Buffalo as most people uh, who live in our area in the down-neck area area of New York State, spent a lot of up in the south side uh, when the mayor was Jimmy Griffin, and he was having me locked up there as I was organizing uh, Guardian Angels. Uh, from my memory, Buffalo has about five sectors, 35 neighborhoods. Uh, that area in Maston Park in the Fruit Belt uh, section, they are predominantly African-American. Uh, a lot of the white ethnics have fled. At one time, there were 300,000 Polish-Americans in Erie County alone. Erie County alone. Now you're hard-pressed to find them. Uh, A lot of them have fled. Cheektowaga, I'd say, is the largest area in the suburbs of uh, white ethnics. There's Tonawanda, there's Amherst, and there's the South Side, uh, which was predominantly Irish. So a lot has changed uh, since I've been there. Some for the good. Some for the worst. But screenshots uh, of this 18-year-old gunman's broadcast were circulating online. This is even after his video stream was taken down by the server. And uh, in some of those shots, you see the 18-year-old shooter holding a gun and standing over a body in the grocery store. He had a uh, meticulous list of instructions that he had made for himself. On his to-do list included, continue writing his manifesto right up until the moment that he walked into that parking lot out of his car and began firing away. He uh, reminded himself that he had to test the live stream function before the actual attack because it was attached to his military uh, helmet. And uh, this was all posted on the messaging platform Discord. Uh, I have a feeling it has since been removed. But that document circulated online and the message bore for Chan. And uh, he even wrote what he was using to live stream. He said, I used the GoPro Hero 7 Black 
to live stream the attack. He did it on Twitch. And just like uh, the shooting that he had commented on at a Jewish synagogue that had taken place in 2019, that was also streamed live. And if you notice, there's uh, commonality to some of these these, uh, killings is that the killers want to stream it live. The guy uh, in Christchurch in New Zealand, who obviously was uh, his prime motivation, he streamlined it. The guy who walked into that synagogue in Germany in 2019, he streamlined his shooting of Jews who were in their house of worship. There seems to be commonality on that. And then lo and behold, uh, uh, if we can... uh, uh, Broadway, uh, Billy, I want you to play the cut of Governor Hochul because that's uh, her backyard. She grew up in Erie County, made her political bones in Erie County. Not so much Buffalo, but in the uh, suburbs. Uh, she had given the um, uh, graduation uh, address at Albany University and the SUNY system uh, earlier today, her first day out of quarantine from COVID-19 and then rushed to Buffalo. And this is what she had to say. This is my community. I know this community well. I've walked these streets. I know the individuals who live here. It's a wonderful, tight-knit neighborhood. And to see that sense of security shattered by an individual, a white supremacist who has engaged in an act of terrorism and will be prosecuted as such in a cold-hearted cruel, calculating way. A military-style execution targeting people who simply want to buy groceries in a neighborhood store. It strikes us in our very hearts to know that there's such evil that lurks out there. And I'm uh, amazed that while all this was taking place, she's getting into a spitting match with her adversary in the Democratic primary uh, that will be decided on June 28th, Tom Swazi, who's decided to go right in his campaign against her, Jumani Williams uh, on the far left. He was taking shots at her, claiming that, you know, she's soft on crime in Buffalo. He was campaigning in Buffalo right before the shooting. He continued his uh, criticism of her afterwards. She responded, and I'm saying to myself, even though I don't support either one of them, I'm supporting Andrew Giuliani and the GOP primary to become the next governor of the state of New York with his father, Rudy. Uh, said to myself, really? You guys so hell-bent on taking advantage of this situation, you're turning it into a political event where Swazi is attacking Governor Hochul and Hochul is attacking Swazi on the day of the shooting? <laughs> you think you could have held your rhetorical fire? Of course not. Because before anything, they're politicians. And they're always looking to see if they can get an edge when any kind of trauma, when any kind of situation takes place. But now it's time to open up the phone lines. I've given you as much information as one human being can possibly dig up on this uh, shooting earlier on Saturday uh, in the east side of Buffalo, outside of the top supermarket that then eventually the gunman went into the supermarket, ended up ki- killing 10 and wounding a total, uh, well, actually shooting a total number of 13. Uh, three survived, 10 died. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I'm also going to tell you what some of the elected officials are going to be proposing in the next 24 hours, which to me is absolutely shocking that they would go in that direction. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jim uh, in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jim. Hey, Curtis. Yeah, I want to talk about what's going what on in Buffalo. I live about a half hour from Conklin. I'm a guy who used to own a pizza place in Newark. I bought a farm up here. Conklin's not really like a Mayberry. It's not a big town. But, yeah, it's close right, right near Binghamton. There's a large African-American population, Binghamton, Johnson City. You know, so he didn't have to, he, if he wanted to carry that out, he didn't have to go to Buffalo. This kid just, you know, just got, you know, brainwashed by these fights that he was on. But you know what? You got to blame a lot of this on the Democrats. They're really playing the race card. You know, they really are. They're, you know, they're just you know, Hochul's playing Cuomo's playbook to try and get real to try. And, she was never elected. She's trying to get elected. So Cuomo used to play the race card. People of color. Paul Cuomo used to play the race card. He played public unions. If he knew he had those two votes, he'd win. So she's doing the same thing, you know. And there's a lot of people are really frustrated with the racial stuff going on, you know. I mean, everything, you know, everything white's being attacked, white this, white that, you know. I'm friends with, I mean, I used to own a pizza place in Newark, and my main guy there was a black Muslim guy. Actually, there's a large black Muslim population near my diner that lives up on the mountain. You Islamburg? Yep. And how many, how many would you estimate to live in that area? Probably up, up there. Just, I don't even know, man. I've never been up there. They're kind of like, they kind of keep to themselves. But I'll tell you what, Curtis, I've had the nicest conversation with those people. You know, I, I've sat there and talked for 45 minutes. And you know what? A lot of those people are inner city people from Philly, Brooklyn, and they, they converted to Islam. And they just want to be left alone. They wanted to get out of crime-ridden areas and raise their families up there. They, they used to send their kids to school, like down in Hancock and stuff, but the kids would tease them. They'd get in fights. So they started their own school up there. But there's a lot of doctors, lawyers, engineers that live up there. There's, like, multiple generations. And, you know, you hear, oh, terrorists. There's a, there's a quarry up there. And when they blast the quarry, a lot of people call and say they're doing terrorist training up there. And the FBI is constantly getting called up there. And you go online, you'll see the FBI standing with the people in Islamburg with the arms around smiling. You know what I mean? And I joke around about that, too. So I bought a diner right there on the highway. It's not open right now. I said, I said, I'm not sure if I find a diner near a terrorist training camp. And I said it right to them. They started laughing and saying, you know, people always call them terrorists. And I tell you what, there's some of the people I haven't met in my life. Never had a problem with them. I mean, even when the big, when the floods happened down, you know, uh, 2009, 11, something like that, they were down there feeding people and helping people down deposit. You know, so it's just this race, you know, is with, with the George Floyd. Yeah, see, Trump really just upset the apple cart with the Democrats, and they just—they're just going nuclear. So it never happened. Well, I mean, think of it, Jim. Uh, at the start uh, of uh, the first hour, when information was coming out of Buffalo about the carnage, about the shooting, uh, Swazi and Hochul were going back and forth, criticizing one another, and you say. What the hell are you talking about? You don't even know who this guy is. You don't even know the background, the motivation, uh, the weapon, exactly. you, any of that. And you're attacking one another because it's more important that you get an edge on this in your upcoming Democratic primary, June 28th, than to just uh, hold off, wait until all the facts come to the surface, 
before you start immediately labeling everything. Gillibrand, she was at the uh, Roe v. Wade uh, march uh, against the uh, turnaround of Roe v. Wade. All she was screaming about is white supremacy, white supremacy, white supremacy. I'm saying, wait, you couldn't wait 72 hours before saying that? Why don't you just take a chill pill? Exactly. They're all just feathering their nests for their own little fiefdoms that they create. Well, well, well look, look at Milwaukee. They implemented curfews. After the shootings in downtown Milwaukee, outside of where the Bucks were playing the Celtics in the NBA playoffs, 11 people were shot. Uh, I'm assuming all of them were African-American, at least the victims uh, that I saw uh, were African-American. Uh, they, they've imposed a curfew uh, on the entire city as a result of that. And you say to yourself, hey, I'm not jumping to any conclusions. Was it a personal situation that got out of hand? Was it a gang situation? Let's wait till all the information emerges before everybody starts going off half-cocked. Exactly. I'm surprised Schumer hasn't had a press conference about it already oh. just to get his face in front of the cameras. Oh, he, he gave this one to Gillibrand. Because, you know, Gillibrand's been uh, pretty much out of sight, out of mind. She's even sure. thinking about possibly not running again uh, for the U.S. Senate in uh, 2025. So everybody's queuing up in the Democratic Party to see, like AOC and everybody else, who would replace her. But I guess she decided to flex today at that march uh, against uh, over the Brooklyn Bridge about uh, the repeal of Roe v. Wade. And right away, every second word, white supremacy, white supremacy. You're Annie Oakley. I remember you, Congressman Gillibrand, before you were U.S. Senator. You were pro-guns. You had rifles stashed underneath your bed in your district outside of Albany. The NRA loved you. You loved the NRA. And then Chuck Schumer came to you and said, hey, you want to be U.S. Senator replacing Hillary Rodham Clinton, <laughs> who's become Secretary of State for President Barack Obama? You got to forget this uh, pro-NRA, pro-gun routine. You got to become gun control. Man, she flipped the script. Take everybody's guns. Everybody's guns. Well, what about the four rifles you had underneath your mattress, your sort of perfect uh, uh, PETA mattress? And on that note, let me give you the update. You are going to now see, uh, because this gunman has said his idol was the crackpot, lunatic, racist in New Zealand who walked in in Christchurch to two different mosques on a day of prayer, which is a Friday, Juma, and ended up killing 51 Muslims as they were praying. You're going to see an attempt to do what New Zealand did. Remember, immediately that brand new prime minister, Jacinda Ardern, first female prime minister in New Zealand, uh, imposed a temporary ban on all assault rifles, military style, semi-automatic weapons, uh, then had a buyback in which you had to sell your gun back and then said, and if you don't sell your gun back to the government, we're going to come for you. Now, I don't really know if she ever did it. Probably was an idle threat, but we do know that 56,000 prohibited firearms were collected from 32,000 people on the two islands that make up New Zealand. Uh, And semi-autos have been banned. Supposedly, you have to go on a registry. Uh, I was in uh, New Zealand, Auckland, which is like a throwback to the 50s. I kid you not. (laughs) It's like, wow. It's like 5 million people in all of uh, New Zealand. And that was their way of responding, and I guarantee you, it'll probably be Gillibrand who suggests a registry 
of all long guns, the very ones that she used to have stuffed underneath her, her, her mattress when she was Annie Oakley, pro-NRA, pro-gun ownership, and not uh, pro-gun control. And then she flipped the script when Schumer said, how would you like to be the junior senator of uh, New York State replacing Hillary Rodham Clinton, who's become Secretary of State under President Barack Obama? And in a heartbeat, she didn't even think about it. Oh, I'm gun control. Fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi politicians. You cannot uh, understand that they don't take a litmus test. It's not an ideological choice for many of them. It's the political choice of the moment. Let's go to Steve in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hello? Yes, Steve. Yes, Steve. Um, All right. First... Huge fan. I just I want to talk about shooting, but real quick, I just want to say like I, I to this day feel like the elections in New York, this that they're just not the way they're supposed to be. I I don't know how anybody in their right mind would vote for anybody, um, vote for who they voted for over you. I really don't. Um, but the shooting. What I wanted to say is Frank James. Like did they have stuff on him all over the internet? Like why why wasn't that a hate crime? I'm not trying to like I know. With today, with everything that happened, it should be a hate crime. But why wasn't Frank James considered a hate crime? That's something that I just wanted to bring up. Well, I'll tell you why. He was prosecuted uh, in the Eastern District uh, of the uh, Department of Justice. He was not prosecuted by the state or the city. uh, And it was not under the guise of a hate crime because in his many postings on YouTube, uh, he attacked uh, whites, he attacked Asians, he attacked blacks. It depended on uh, what side of the bed he got up that morning. But he was a multi-equal opportunity uh, basher. In fact, he even said something uh, about the mayor at the time, Eric uh, Adams, and they got so frightened that he might be coming after Eric Adams when he hadn't been arrested that they increased his security Mm -hmm. even though he was in quarantine because he had COVID-19. And I kept saying to myself, do you realize this is not a white supremacist? This is an African-American guy. No response. Mm -hmm. No response. Yeah. I guess he wasn't all there. Yeah, no, no, no. But, hey, you're right. Uh, The moment he got arrested, we didn't hear anything about Frank James at all for days, for weeks, until finally he was arraigned in the Eastern District uh, of the federal court system and charged with a series of crimes for the 10 that he shot on that end train, which was uh, during uh, rush hour uh, on 36th Street, uh, which uh, is a heavily populated area. uh, used uh, train station uh, in which there were no cops assigned. By the way, Eric Adams, uh, before these shootings, was in Harlem. He had a press conference in which he was saying the biggest danger to New York City is not the thugs and thugettes who are raining death and destruction uh, on our communities. He said what we got to look out for, which is even more dangerous, uh, are people who may be allowed to have carry permits based on a United States Supreme Court decision if they slap down the state law forcing gun owners to have permits to carry firearms. He said that'll be our biggest crime problem. Legally law-abiding owners of premises guns who would then be able to carry it around with them. He fears them more than he fears gangbangers, thugs, and gun toters. All right. That, that says a hell of a lot there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 848-WABC.
all night long. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now, let's continue uh, while you configurate with the board there. Let's not uh, delay this program. Whatever the hell is going on with the just chronificator and the spectrometer, you figure that out with the head engineer. Uh, we got a program to do here, so let's get to uh, a lot of this because there are other uh, stories that are taking place that have to do with the crime that is uh, really weakened all of New York State. Let's look at a phenom that's a phenomenon that's taking place here in New York City. New York City has become once again the uh, the capital of car thefts in America. And remember, when you were buying the new cars and they would issue you a fob, they were telling you as car owners, "Don't worry about it. You got the fob. There's no way they can steal your car. It's not like the old days. You know, they open up the car." They have a sharpened screwdriver. They jam it uh, into the uh, key area. And then all of a sudden, they can drive away with your car. They can get underneath the uh, uh, the car itself, and they can uh, attach wires underneath your dashboard, and you can drive away. I know. There were many times that we uh, hot-wired cars in Canarsie, and we went on joyrides. Some of the guys I did it with then ended up being recruited to go out there and look for certain makes, models of cars, and then to drive them over to the chop shops that were all over Avenue D, and they would fetch uh, a big price from the Gambinos and the Lucchese's, and that was their one-way trip to Palookaville. Well, let me give you the latest stats. Auto thefts in New York City have soared by 61%. There have been 4,467 car thefts so far in 2022 compared with half that number in 2021. Now, let me explain to you how they're stealing cars. Uh, They're actually coming up. They've become quite sophisticated. They have a laptop. They come up to the make and model car that they want. Let's say it's parked in the street or parked in a garage or or parked in your, uh, your private area of the house that you own. Could be in any one of the four outer boroughs. And they have a laptop computer. And what they do is they pump into the lock Uh, a balloon, and they pump that balloon up. And then immediately they're able from that to determine what's needed to make a new fob. And they work on it in the laptop for about five minutes, and then all of a sudden they've got a new fob. They're able to put that into the car and drive it away. They become extraordinarily sophisticated. So car theft has jumped a whopping 97% compared to 2020. And it doesn't show any movement of slowing down. What are the choice cars and SUVs to be stolen off the streets and out of the parking lots? The Ford Econoline is the preferred vehicle, followed by the Honda Accord. It's always been a Honda Accord, man, because for the parts. And then the Honda CRV, the Honda Civic, and the Toyota Camry. Bronx is the worst place. If you're living there, you definitely want to have the, your vehicle chained down in an underground uh, uh, garage that only you and you alone have access to. Because the percentages there in the Bronx are skyrocketing. A 70% spike of car thefts in the streets and the garages of the Bronx in just one year alone. Auto larceny in Queens is up 63%. And Staten Island, which has the least car thefts, 
have the most sophisticated car theft crews, some of which operate out of New Jersey, and they'll come in over the uh, the Gothels Bridge, the Bayonne Bridge, but mostly the Outer Bridge Crossing. They'll snatch up those luxury vehicles in a lot of those neighborhoods uh, near Tottenville and up near Toad Hill. And then they, they drive them right into the belly of a lot of the ships that are over in the port of Newark and Elizabeth. And they ship them overseas within hours, sometimes with the license plates from New York still on them. Uh, and they'll go all over the Middle East. You'll find them in Saudi Arabia. You'll find them in Qatar. You'll find them in uh, Dubai. You'll find them in Bahrain. You'll find them everywhere. Hondas are driving auto thieves gaga goo goo because of their catalytic converters. They can be removed within minutes. The catalytic converters is that part of the car's exhaust system. They break down some of the smog that would otherwise come right out of the tailpipe. And, boy, you can get a hell of a lot of dollars for a catalytic converter. And the grand larceny auto charge. Now, get this. If you go out and you steal a car in New York City, car thieves, think of all you guys who used to hotwire cars and go for joyrides. That's what I did with my Supreme Cuisine cousins, Joey G, the Cheech from Howard Beach, Lenny Beans, me on Chino, so many of them. And then obviously parked the car. Uh, there was a limited amount of damage, particularly if you went under the dashboard or you popped the lock. But the point is, generally, the owner got the car back. Unless you were taking it for a joyride and the owner agreed to that because they wanted you to get rid of that car so they could collect the insurance. Oh, there were scams galore going on back then, all state and the rest of them. But if you get caught by NYPD stealing a car now, under the state's bail reform law, you get a desk appearance ticket. A desk appearance ticket, or what we call a disappearance ticket. So car thieves know that, for instance, you steal a $35,000 Ford Econoline. You're back on the street in a New York minute. In a New York minute. <laughs> and you wonder why people are saying, hey. Let's go back to stealing cars. To hell with a joyride. Even if we get caught in this stolen car by the NYPD, we're going to get a disappearance ticket, a.k.a. a desk appearance ticket. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Joe who's calling from uh, Staten, Italy. Uh, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Joe. Hey, Curtis. How are you today? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to give you uh, a, a quick uh, synopsis of how people are actually stealing cars. And the main reason that uh, cars are being stolen, and this is a, an actual statistic, is that uh, people are leaving their vehicles running and unattended. That is 95% of the reason that auto theft is up. I'm not going to say what agency I work for, but I am in law enforcement, and that is a fact. So just repeat that if you can. So in uh, your experiences, 95% of those cars that are lifted or SUVs or pickup trucks, uh, it's easy to lift because the the vehicles are left running? Running and unattended. So let's say, uh, hey, I got to go over to the supermarket. I have to go to the bodega, wherever I got to go. People are lazy. They pull up. 
They jump out of their car. They figure they're going to be in there for a minute. With that, perpetrators are standing on the corner watching. They get in the car, and they're gone. And that is 95% of what or how they're uh, being uh, stolen. So when the uh, perps are actually caught in the stolen vehicle, uh, according to the documentation, uh, they're basically just being released on their own recognizance. They're getting ROR'd immediately. uh, And most of the time, the ADAs don't even want to prosecute it. They'll drop the charge or uh, just decline to prosecute it because uh, did you, you know, they'll ask you, hey, did you see him get in the car and steal that car? Or do you have any video of it? Or And then, you know, they just, uh, a lot of times they, they decline the prosecution. Wow. So uh, when I was a kid growing up in Canarsie, uh, back then, uh, you know, a cop would catch you uh, if you were hot-wired a car and you were going for a joyride, grab you by the back of your necks, take you to your parents' house, tell your parents what you were doing, kick you in the ass before they did that, and oftentimes that would deter you from doing that in the future unless you made it a career because you can now bring the cars to a chop shop over on Avenue D before you hit East Flatbush. Uh, none of that happens any longer. No, those days are long over, uh, you know, very long over. I mean, uh, you got uh, – you do something like that, you're uh, liable to be brought up on charges and uh, have vacation days taken away from you from the uh, – the wonderful Civilian Complaint Review Board. But we saw Bruce Blakeman, the brand-new county executive in Nassau, was screaming, hooting, and hollering because a crew had come in from Newark, was stealing cars, you know, based on makes and models, just specificity. Uh, They were caught by the police. Uh, They got into a, uh, a chase. They smashed into a few police cruisers. And this is Nassau County that rejected the uh, no bail situation, but apparently it hasn't reached the judges because they released them on their own recognizance to go back to Newark. <laughs> and they'll ne- never to be seen again. Yeah, I mean, how crazy is that? You're going to release these guys knowing they're from New Jersey, Newark, and you're going to think that they're going to come back to Nassau County to face prosecution? How naive are these judges? Unlikely. Highly unlikely. Well, do appreciate the heads up uh, on the front line of trying to deal with auto theft, which is a growing menace now uh, for obvious reasons. There's no ramifications. There are no consequences to you being arrested for being uh, caught stealing uh, a uh, car or, more importantly, being in a stolen car. Let's go to Richard, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Richard. Hello, Mr. Sliwa. Uh, I have uh, a Honda CRV, which right now is parked in the South Bronx. Why? Because a month and a half ago, this, the catalytic converter was chopped out while it was parked in front of my window in the E70s. It gets better. It had to be towed. <laughs> because when I turned it on, it went boom. So it gets towed to the Bronx, and this is maybe seven weeks ago because there's a shortage of parts. But meanwhile, the catalytic converter costs more than the value of the car. Okay? <laughs> 
And how long how you. long has it been in the South Bronx? Going, I think, on seven weeks. <laughs> when are they going to release it to you? Well, the, my mechanic there, I call him on occasion. He's a sweetheart, and uh, he assures me he's attending to it personally, but for this reason and that reason, whatever. But fortunately, I think if it's stolen, <laughs> I, I might have enough insurance to pay for a bus ticket to get out of town to go on vacation. <laughs> oh, and that's and that's so true. The catalytic converters, in many instances, are more valuable than the car itself, as you just mentioned. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. So I could be possibly two things. I could do get a GoFundMe for me, or I could be a crime victim. What do you? Which one would you go for? <laughs> oh wait, I'm going to be telling you about. Uh, a guy who claims to be a crime victim who is uh, engaged in uh, going into high-end stores and looting them. And he claims he's a victim of police oppression. That's coming up. You know, it reminds me, my cousin Lenny Beans Bianchino lived upstairs from us in Canarsie on 89th and J. He had a Plymouth Roadrunner outside, all jacked up. I mean, uh, he used to drag race on Fountain Avenue. And they would steal that car all the time. And so he would go to sleep in the picture window. He'd be looking out. He had a sawed-off shotgun. He was uh, right on his lap. And it seems like they'd always get that uh, roadrunner, that Plymouth roadrunner, just when he had fallen asleep because he swore he was going to go out there and just just shoot him full of lead. Three times they stole that Plymouth roadrunner, and it ended up in a chop shop on Avenue D. And he knew which chop shop. But because they were Lucchese guys, hey, once it was in the chop shop, uh, there was nothing he could do. I said, so why do you have a Plymouth Roadrunner? Why do you have it all jacked up? Why is it a muscle car, man? You know they're going to come out and they're going to steal that. Uh, you're parking it right in the street. He goes, I'm going to get him. You watch. I'm going to get him. And every time they get that Plymouth Roadrunner from Lenny Beans Bianchino, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Mark in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mark. Yeah, Curtis, I'm just listening to our good buddy who says he's in law enforcement and people leave their cars running. Does this guy realize if he's in law enforcement since 2018, I leave my car running 15, 20 minutes at a time. If there's no key in the car, no key fob, you can't move the car. You can leave it running all day. You can't, you can't do anything with it. You have to have the key on you when you get in the car to even put it in gear. So all these cars that's running, nine times. The 10, if you don't have the key fob, you can get in it, but you can't move it. Well, I know know what a lot of them are doing now. They've gotten very technologically skillful. The same way that uh, if you went to a lockmaster and you had to break into your car because you didn't have your key fob or whatever – uh, they use the same techniques. They'll they'll pump a, a balloon. They'll pump it into that key lock. They'll work a, a laptop computer. They'll figure out a new fob. Uh, and then within five minutes, they have a new fob. And guess what? They're driving away with your car that could be in a private garage, you know, a pay-for garage. Yeah, but not while you're in the deli getting coffee. <laughs> I mean, you know, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. You, the key fob. So, but remember, know. they always said, you know, with this fob, they'll never be able to steal a car again. Remember when they said that? 
Yeah, absolutely. And the criminals, it, the but, criminals figured out a way around that. Yeah, not while you're getting beat up. But yeah, you're right. You can steal it, but not you know your car's running. Nobody's going to get in and take off. You need to keep up. You know. Now you, you guarantee not, us. Uh, you guarantee it, Mark. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people listening right now. In a few hours, they're going to go for their bagel with the schmear. Uh, and they're going to go in and they got to stand online because, you know, some of the bagel shops, uh, uh, they're, they're uh, select bagel shops. So you're guaranteed if that car is out there and it's running for five or ten minutes, nobody's going to snatch it on him. Well, not in five minutes, maybe 15, 20 minutes, but five, <laughs> ten minutes, I, I doubt. All right. But you're the best, Curtis. You're the, you're the best. You all, you all have that guarantee from Mark in the Bronx. That if you're waiting outside your bagel joint, you know, because you're online to get your bagels in the schmear early Sunday morning, because we know you're not going to church. Don't lie. You're just going for the bagel in the schmear. That if your car is running, don't worry about it. There's no way without the fob they can't they can't drive away with it. That, Mark gives you an exclusive guarantee from the car theft capital of the five boroughs of the city of New York, the Bronx. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Dave in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Dave. Yeah, Curtis, uh, I, got, I got a good one for you. So uh, I'm an MN, NMDU driver. Uh, I, drive, I drive for the New York Post. I've been, uh, I've been around it for about 20 years. So two years ago... During the pandemic, uh, streets are empty in Manhattan. I'm doing my route in Midtown. I'm on 42nd and Lex. I'm dropping at the green, and I saw this guy crossing the street. There was literally, he was like the only person on, on the street. There was no one on the street. Um, I looked at him. He looked a little messed up. And, um, I get out. The stop literally takes me 30 seconds. I get out. I drop it between the turnstile, and I'm gone. I get out of my, my van, I turn around, I hear my van revving, the guy takes off with my van. Ha! Right? So, I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So, I start running, I start running after, after him down Lexington, and I see a city bike guy, uh, in, in, uh, in his van. I said, yo, I said, bro, you gotta help me out, this guy just stole my van. And he, he's like, get in. And my phone was in the van. Gave me this. The cops, the cops were on it in like three minutes. We heard sirens all over Manhattan. Long story short, um, we went in with the cops. I jumped in the cop car. It was like uh, it was like an episode from Cops. They're all they're, they're driving all over the city trying to find this guy. He wound up hitting a few cop cars, um, and uh, the way they got him, he was going the wrong way down Third Avenue, and they actually the cops to back off because they thought, uh, you know, he was going to hurt someone. Um, so, so we backed off and they wound up getting him on 39th and Lex. So he literally, he literally lived about two blocks away from where he stole my van. Anyway. Now this was a marked, uh, this was a marked New York Post van? Oh yeah, New York Post, yeah, made the paper actually the next day, yeah. Um, yeah, New York Post van, it was a, a white van. With, with the black lettering, um, and uh, yeah, so he wound up pulling up right on his uh, right on his, uh, his doorstep, right in the, in the building. They got him. Um, six months later, this guy was still in a mental facility. And here's the kicker: he was a lawyer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but I was shocked. 
I was shocked that he was still away because, you know, New York City, you can kill someone and you're out the next day. That's I right. believe it. That's right. And particularly, yeah. particularly if a, a judge heard that it was a New York Post van uh, being so liberal and progressive, like uh, almost all the judges, they probably would have said, hey, you've done us a favor in society by stealing that van. <laughs> now, on a different note, yeah, a different up. note. You know, years ago, uh, when all you had was the hard copy to wait for, uh, how many less papers are you delivering now on your route because so many people can get the paper online? Well, I'll tell you what. When I got down there in two thousand and four, circulation was over a million. The last I heard, it's about one hundred forty-three thousand. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of the last Mohicans. I got to have my paper every day, the hard copy, because, uh, you know, even though I'll go online to check out different stories, it's just not the same the way it's laid out in the paper. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. We just got a five-year contract, an extension. Um, we'll see what happens. They shut down our Bronx plant. Uh, we're loaded in Queens now with, at the New York Times building. You know, we dealt with FBS, the... Uh, Now, but, uh, let me, let me yeah, ask you so a question. I, you had a state-of-the-art printing facility, Murdoch and the Post had, in the South Bronx. So that's yep. been shuttered. Nothing happens there right. now? Uh, as far as I know, they, they, um, the mechanics are still fixing the trucks there. But, uh, yeah, everyone was let go. The electricians, the, uh, you know, obviously. I think some of the pressmen went over to the Times. Um, yeah, but a lot of people lost their jobs, Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I, I've been at that location in the, uh, 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 the South Bronx. I've also was at the printing facility for the Daily News in Jersey City. And, uh, when I visited there, uh, the pressmen, uh, were very upset with me. They didn't like me. These were banana guys. Uh, so they broke the line. They broke the line because I was there. The papers were flying in all different directions. The guy, Les Goodstein, who took me on a tour, was like the vice president at that time, said, we got to get you out of here. We'll never get the, pr- we'll never get the paper uh, to the newsstands in time because these guys broke the line, which causes all kind of damage because they're pissed off at you, Sliwa. Right. Well, were you, uh, were you ever an NFDU member? Did you shape or anything? No. No, but, uh, you know, I would always talk about the uh, Bonanno uh, influence uh, in the uh, Daily News uh, unions with the pressmen. Oh, yeah, they were very upset. They had those little paper hats on, you know, like, what the hell is Sleewood doing here? Huh? And we'll fix you, Les Goodstein. And they jammed a run. Oh, they know how to do that. Let's go to Antony calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Antony. Hey, Curtis. Yeah, uh, speak up, uh, Anthony. You're coming and broken up. I I really love your show. And, you know, want to know why catalytic converters are stolen off cars? Uh, yeah, you asked why are they stolen off cars? Yeah, catalytic converters. You want to know why? Because of the p- precious metal that they have in them. I think palladium. Oh, yeah, palladium, I believe it is. Oh, yeah. No, no. There are all kinds of uh, precious metals that go into the catalytic converters. Uh, you are absolutely correct on that. Uh, and uh, it's so valuable because those precious metals are always going up in value. And uh, they'll take them apart and they'll, they'll just uh, basically recycle uh, those, uh, those precious metals. Yeah. 
yeah, that, that's what I learned this back in, when I was in Apex Technical School and Automotive School in uh, 1992. Yeah, well, they have Palladium, no relationship to the uh, concert hall that used to be on 14th Street. They have Platinum. Right. That's the one people right. really want. And I think Rhodium or something like that. Uh, but all of those ingredients yeah. are important for the catalytic converters to work. And you're right. They can make a fortune just stealing catalytic converters in the car itself. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen, I want to ask you one more thing. It sounds off the record and everything, but... Um, I, I would love to meet you and your son in Nathan's one day, you know, for, you know, for, yeah, I get a kick out of the commercial, that the commercial used to do about, you know, he talks about Thomas, the tank and engine and all, and going, you going to, uh, uh, Nathan's and all, I, I would love to meet you guys there, you know, for have some hot dogs and fries and stuff, you know? Well, that's a, that's a possibility because uh, i tell you a little story about Anthony, who's my oldest son. He's 18, uh, going to graduate high school, uh, in June. Uh, he uh, is an intern here at WABC, and we do uh, what you heard was the podcast of father and son, uh, Anthony and uh, Curtis. Uh, he was so uh, angry at that title. It was Curtis and Anthony. He went right to our capital detuti, our general manager, Chad Lopez, protested, and they reversed it for him. Uh, uh-huh. He, at first, when he was young, he wasn't able to speak. He was having a okay. difficult time speaking. So, you know, he had some therapists, and I said, you know, something. He likes Thomas the Tank Engine. I'll take him on the subways every Saturday. And he Uh learned the alphabet, and he learned the numbers from going on subway uh, line, a subway line with me, and especially the last stop, Stillwell Avenue, Coney Island. And we'd go through Mm -hmm. the alphabet because those are the alphabet trains there. And then I'd say, as a reward, we'll go get a dirty water hot dog and fries right there on Nathan's Famous. Uh, mm-hmm. And he loved doing that, and we've done it from time to time. Today he was with me at the uh, first ever Japanese parade, which was on oh. 81st Street in Central Park West. The place was packed in the shadow okay. of the Museum of Natural History. Uh, he'll be at the uh, Norwegian Day Parade tomorrow, which is on 3rd Avenue and 81st uh-huh. Street, you know, where all the Norwegians, the square heads, get together and they <laughs> declare that it was uh, Eric the Red and Leif Erikson who discovered the New World. Yeah, knock yourself out on that one. Uh, and they'll be flying yeah. their Norwegian flags and they'll be going up 3rd Avenue and then have a, a gathering in the park. And he loves those parades. In fact, he has a bagpipe. He wants me right. to get him lessons now so he can play the bagpipe. Because, oh. you know, everybody always looks at who's ever playing the bagpipe. And he showed up today with the Ukrainian flag. And he got a standing uh-huh. ovation. They thought he was from the oh. Ukraine. I said, no, my kid, he's not from the Ukraine. He's <laughs> Polish. Last name is Polish. Right. Because in Ukrainian and Russian and Polish, Sliwa, pronounced Shliva, means plum. So Ukrainians okay. think, oh, Shliva, oh, you're Ukrainian. Nope. Uh, Russians think, oh, Shliva, you're, you're Russian. Nope. Uh, it's a, it's also a Polish word. It means plum. It's like Shlivovitz, right. uh, which right. if you had a few shots of that, it would knock you right on your tuchus. But there is a chance, <laughs> Anthony, there is a chance to come this summer, especially for the Mermaid uh-huh. Day Parade. Where back uh-huh. in 2000, uh, I was uh, King Neptune of the Mermaid Day Parade, and my queen oh. was uh, Queen Latifah, the actual Queen Latifah. So there's okay. a very good chance that with the resumption of the Mermaid Day Parade after the two years that it was on the shelf because of the lockdown and the pandemic, that I will be out there with Anthony, and maybe we can meet you out there for a dirty water hot dog you. and the fries uh, at Nathan's Famous. 
Sure, I'd love to. You have my phone number on the screen there, don't you? Yeah, well, we'll uh, leave that to Avery, uh, Avery, who's smarting because so many of Frank Morano's uh, callers took shots at him last week. We're going to give him an opportunity at redemption, resurrection, an opportunity to defend his honor coming up as uh, some of the callers were scurrilous in attacking Avery, who is our overnight producer, and uh, they have uh, Frank Morano has a special title. Well, we call him phone screeners. He has a multi-syllabic title that uh, I don't think Avery wants to be called any longer because he feels so scorned by Frank Morano and his staff. Uh, Matt, his board operator, Alex, his phone screener. And uh, I don't know what uh, role that uh, Felipe plays or whatever the hell his name is, but they all bum-rushed us last week and... Vengeance will be ours up next. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's another side of midnight. Here's Curtis Lewa. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Ah, Dean Martin from Steubenville, Ohio, where he grew up with Jimmy the Greek, the renowned uh, odds maker. But in uh, approximately, hmm, what be, uh, I guess about uh, 18 hours from now, Dana Martin, daughter of uh, Dean Martin, will be uh, doing her one-hour show playing classic Dean Martin songs. And then uh, at 9 o'clock, I'll be rejoining all of you uh, from 9 to 11. Probably a lot of uh, other updates on the uh, execution uh, that took place uh, earlier in the day in Buffalo on the east side where the crazed gunman said he chose the east side of Buffalo because he wanted to kill and maim as many blacks as possible. We'll give you updates on that. And then the most uh, listened to, requested of the many hours that I do on the weekend when WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour from 11 to 12, which features my wife Nancy, the animal rescuer par excellence. And then Dominic Carter comes in, my buffer, so that I don't get to uh, 
uh, do an inquisition on Frank Morano. Frank Morano and his crew. Uh, the Other Side of Midnight, which uh, has garnered uh, so much attention, no, so much recognition because of their skyrocketing ratings. In fact, it was this past uh, Wednesday night at the Empire Steakhouse that uh, Frank was being honored more so than almost any other broadcaster here at WABC because his ratings were so super spectacular. Once again, he was anointed the golden child, the untouchable. He could do no wrong. The future and the now of talk radio, double far. And he has taken full advantage uh, of that anointment by pulling a male diva routine on the crew here that we have for the other, other, other side of midnight that you hear every Saturday morning from 12 midnight to 6. So nice, uh, John Katsimatidis uh, and uh, Red Apple Media, let me do it twice, from 12 midnight to 6, which we're now doing Sunday morning. But there have been some uh, vicious attacks by Frank Morano and his crew, Matt, his board operator, Alex, his uh, phone screener, and the guy, uh, Felipe, who I don't know what the hell he does on that show, but it's one more person than we have on the weekends. But I've now been able to figure out the strategy that Frank Morano uses that is very similar that if you were having a drag race, let's say in one car was Frank Morano, the other car was yours truly, Curtis Slewa, and we had our crew in the back. That Frank Morano would be putting out nails along the way, hoping to flatten my tires. He has figured out a better remedy for slowing us down. In fact, why don't you listen to what Frank Morano does on a regular basis when he knows that I and my crew will be uh, will be here in his absence? And she said, "No, you can't take pizza." that's been sitting around unrefrigerated for 24 hours to work and feed it to your coworkers. I said, these are radio people. They will eat anything. And I know that Curtis is there on Sunday nights into Monday. Curtis would, would eat food that was, you know, six weeks old. Forget about 24 hours. So, um, I feel, so I did put the pizza out in the refrigerator, in the, um, kitchen area, but I'm warning everybody within the sound of my voice, to me it looks fine to eat. And I tried some. It was good. I mean, I tried it a day and a half ago. But it's out there. It still looks decent. So this is like the cheese in the mousetrap. I understand, Avery, uh, you've come under vicious attack by some of the uh, Frank Morano callers. Now, so I see you're, 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 you're worried about... Uh, retaliatory strikes by some of these callers who have been very vicious about the way you handle their their calls. But I understand, and I want I want to play this cut again because it's important that you Broadway uh, Bill Lee, who uh, came out of retirement in 1972 uh, when you were lighting it up at WCBS-FM. You came back from Fort Myers where you were on retirement. You were with uh, Warner Wolf down there. You had decided to hang it up. And you're like a, a, a name that people say, oh, wow, it's, you're kidding. It's Bill Lee? Yeah, yep, yep, it's Bill Lee here. But can you imagine after all these years, Frank Morano is putting out the cheese 
in the rat trap thinking that we're all like rats. We're just going to eat that piece. I want you all to listen again as to how nefariously Frank Morano is catering to what he knows are weaknesses that I and my crew have. Is like when you leave pizza out in the, kin- the kitchen area, except he brings it over when it's already two days old. And she said, no, you can't take pizza that's been sitting around unrefrigerated for 24 hours to work and feed it to your coworkers. I said, these are radio people. They will eat anything. And I know that Curtis is there on Sunday nights into Monday. Curtis would will, would eat food that was, you know, six weeks old. Forget about 24 hours. Old. So um, I feel so I did put the pizza out in the refrigerator uh, in the um, kitchen area. But I'm warning everybody within the sound of my voice. To me, it looks fine to eat. And I tried some. It was good. I mean, I tried it a day and a half ago, but it's out there. It still looks decent. I understand, Avery, that you succumbed to the temptation uh, and you ate that pizza that Frank Morano had left in the kitchen. Well, it was actually um, arrows and neon lights around the pizza. like Arrows and neon lights? Yeah, saying pizza here, pizza here. So you went for the trap? Yeah. How many slices did you eat? Well, I want to say maybe three. All right, and when was that? What what, what night was that? Um, Monday. Okay, that was Monday. And what was on that pizza? I don't know. It was a powdery white substance, but I was so hungry, I didn't, I didn't even like notice. That was calamari. Calamari. Yeah, that, that that was fish that he brought. That was two days old that you consumed. You had about three slices, right? Yeah. I had the rest of the slices. I got to tell you, there was something wrong with that calamari. I got so sick. I thought it was mushrooms. No. That shows you how non-Italian you are. (laughs) I'm very non-Italian. That you thought that the calamari, and by the way, one, uh, what is the correct pronunciation, ladies and gentlemen, of calamari for Avery here? But there was calamari all over the pizza. Remember, Mm -hmm. it was already 48 hours old. This is fish. It was not refrigerated. That meant it started to um, become penicillin. I mean, that's how long that pizza was out. Now, I went I went for the trap. I took the uh, the Parmesan cheese out of the, the rat trap. You took three slices. I think I took the other three slices. You survived it. I got violently sick. Oh, man. Projectile vomiting from the calamari on the pizza. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, what is the correct pronunciation for calamari? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So he set us up. Set up. You survived it. I did not. I went down for the count. I will say this. Um, The correct pronunciation of calamari, you could ask Frank. He did four hours on it for his show. What? Yeah. Four hours on the correct pronunciation of calamari? Oh, yeah. Wow. I guess he ran out of material. Yeah. All right. Because he's taken a good part of his broadcast now with his crew, Matt, Felipe, and Alex, to bash us here on the weekends. Curtis, I mean, most people don't want to work with him on the weekends. So he takes anybody he can get. Uh 
you know, he's wow. left. He takes with whatever's left. I like that. I take it one day at a time, Curtis. No, 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 no. That, that's, that's taking shots. Broadway Bill Lee, you came all the way to the infamy you created at WCBS-FM. You did us a solid. You responded to my plea for help here because um, I wasn't getting the help necessary because of all the blocks that Frank Morano was putting in our way of doing a very good broadcast. And then he turned Gary, a lifetime caller here at WABC from Inwood, against you, Avery. Gary and Inwood. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Frank. Uh, you had mentioned shortly uh, a few minutes ago about this gentleman named Avery Brooks. Yes. Uh, screen caller. Yes. I had two unpleasant encounters with him when I was calling Curtis. You know, the usual, what's your name and where you're from? As soon as I would say Inwood, his brain shut down. He couldn't comprehend that. And he kept on saying the name over and over. He said, it's Inwood. He says, where is that? And I told him, it's in Manhattan. He said, that's what we'll go for. Forget Inwood. I said, why don't you? I said, that's how everybody knows me, Gary from Inwood. He would, two encounters with him, he would not put the call through as Gary and Inwood. And when Curtis picked up the phone, it was Gary in Manhattan. And I corrected Curtis immediately. I said, I told him what the, my, I had an unpleasant encounter with this man. And I stopped calling Curtis after that. I said, I don't want to go through this anymore. Yeah, no, no. Why, you should be able to embrace who you are. Be Gary from Inwood. Why do you? Yeah, he would never. He wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't go there. He wouldn't allow that at all. I don't know what his problem was. What that was. Neither do I. Ne- neither do I. Maybe he's got something against the people of Inwood. I don't know. But look, Curtis. I mean, most people don't want to work with him on the weekend, so he takes anybody he can get. Uh, you know, he's wow. left. He takes with whatever's left. Wow, taking another shot at me there. And by the way, Avery. He really goes after you. He is firing up Gary in Inwood. Well, I know. Uh, apparently, like we're all we all work on his show. Like he's not calling into your show. Look, mm. he, he has to be Gary from Inwood. So you you object to that, right? Oh, look. I mean, you know, call yourself what you want. I mean, he can call himself Superman. I don't care. So you would put up there Gary, who calls himself Superman. Yeah, the son of Jor-El. All right. It's okay. Our number is 1-800-848-9222, but it didn't end there. You know, Frank Morano, who likes to exalt phone screeners, he calls them telephone talent coordinators and then stabs you in the back. Listen to how he got Tom all fired up that he started bashing you. Curtis's call screener, he was a little curtain and very low energy. He was almost rude to me the other night. Almost rude. Well, that's a nice improvement over how he treats most people. I like that. Well, Curtis. What did you do to Frank Morano that he's turned on you like this? I remember that call. This was like the red time when the phones were actually lighting up on Frank's show. So I need him to get to the point. He calls up. He tells me what he had for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the past three weeks. And I'm like, what do you want to talk about? And he tells me more. And I'm like, what do you want to talk about? And he won't tell me. He wants to give me his life story. So, you know. And this is interesting, Gabe, because you actually uh, helped Frank out. He was without, as he calls it, a telephone talent coordinator. You were willing to work with Frank Morano. And notice, you did the job, and then he set you up and stabbed you in the back. 
you know, I try to do the right thing, Curtis. No, no, I know that. And by the way, we have a lot of phone calls right now, so you're going to have to get back to being our telephone talent coordinator. Hey, Frank's a good guy. I just want to say that. Frank's a good guy. Well, what are you afraid of, Frank? No, he talks about his cat a little too much, but Frank's a good guy. Well, it seems like you're somewhat intimidated by Frank. Why? Because he's the golden child. He can do no wrong. He's the untouchable. He walks on water here at WABC now because of his ratings prowess. Well, I mean, look, it's not him I'm afraid of. It's his bodyguard. Oh. Huh. You heard about how some of our callers think he's affiliated. Yeah. Well, he actually, the bodyguard stands in the corner while he's doing what he's on the air. There's a big black guy named Jamal. That's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. You shouldn't have mentioned that because this could make it really difficult for you, Avery. I know. It's okay. So uh, please, if you could, if you could tend to your duties now as telephone talent coordinator, as uh, Frank Morano has upgraded you and everybody else. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And this is what I can predict because I know Frank very well. He was my producer for many years, both here at WABC and then uh, four years of my life. I'll never get back at AM 970 Answer when I did two shows there, morning drive and afternoon drive. And I only had like two people ever come up to me in four years and say, hey, I heard you. I heard you. Where you been for four years? I'll never get those four years back. But this is what uh, Hollywood Bill Lee, what Frank Morano's going to do. He's going to act like he wants to take us to dinner now to make amends for all these slings and arrows that he and his crew have sent in our direction. You know, Matt and Felipe and Alex. So listen to what he does when it comes time to pick up a check. You go out to dinner a lot. Family, friends, you talk about it. Lots of business appointments. On a scale of 1 to 100, how often do you pick up the check? Um, meaning percentage time, percentage-wise? Percentage. Um, it's a good question. You know, I it used to be pretty close to 100%. In fact, um, about seven years ago, I, there was an article, uh, you could still find it online, that the New York Post did uh, of me taking Curtis Lee with Ron Kuby and Richard Bay to lunch. And it did, they did a cute item. It was Richard, written by Richard Johnson about how, um, I, I picked up the check at that time. It used to be pretty close to a hundred percent of the time. However, um, w- w- since being with my wife, even before we were married, she has really caused me to curtail how often I'm picking up the check. So now, I do it substantially less. So I think I do it a lot more than, you know, than, than other people. And, you know, sometimes when you're with certain people, they don't let you pick up the check. Like, you know, when I'm out with John Katsimatidis, he won't even entertain me picking up the check. When I've been out with Arthur Idala, I'd say of our meals together, he'll buy 90% of our meals together. So how often do I pick up the check? Uh, obviously, if it's my wife, uh, you know, I pick it up 100%. But if it's with uh, another couple or other friends, I'll say maybe maybe 
I don't know. I'll say maybe. And again, it depends on what kind of meal we're what talking about. Hell? We're talking Get to about the point. A, a dinner or just drinks. If we're just if there's four of us together and we all have one drink, I'll almost always pick it up because usually I'm in a hurry and have to go. Wow. Uh, but if it's a dinner and you know the bill is four or five hundred dollars. Then, unless it's a special occasion, uh, then I'd say maybe 30% of oh the time. I'll say that. God. Madonna, my. He's got a, an explanation for everything. And notice, he blames his wife, Rachel. The fact that he has alligator arms and doesn't pick up the check. Hey, oh, ever since, you know, I met Rachel, right? It's like He was always like that. Trust me. He bought us a meal one time. One time, Richard Johnson wrote about so he could get publicity. That was it. And I think he took a payday loan in order to, to buy lunch for Ron Kuby, Richard Bay, and yours truly. Because he knew that Richard Johnson at that time, the gossip columnist, was going to write about it. Other than that, he's got alligator arms. The guy has alligator arms. And now, listen. Listen to his excuse. Since being with my wife, even before we were married... She has really caused me to curtail how often I'm picking up the check. So now I do it substantially less. Notice, he doesn't take self-responsibility. He's always blaming somebody. In this case, his lovely wife, Rachel. So let me see. He grew alligator arms once Rachel came on the scene. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And let me warn you. If you go out for lunch or dinner or brunch, he likes oh brunch. Don't pick up any bill or tab for Frank Morano because his uh, brunch, his lunch, his dinner is a liquid lunch, brunch, and dinner. You listen to what's in the news these days, and uh, I don't think I'm the only one that could use a drink. Man, any excuse to have a drink. This guy's a lush. So, again, I'm warning everybody out there. You invite Frank out for lunch, brunch, or dinner. I mean, you're looking at possibly having to pay for his tab of five or six dry martinis. And then, out of all the interviews that he's done. Now, remember, he has been cited as the best interviewer here at WABC. In fact, so good, he has been nominated for a Marconi Award, the most prestigious award in the radio broadcast industry in the category of interviews. In fact, they were even thinking at giving him a cameo appearance on 60 Minutes. You know how they have that. Sometimes they'll have a guest commentator who comes in and does an interview. You see that often. Well, what's his name from uh, CNN? Uh, the guy uh, he comes on uh, 60 Minutes. Uh, it may well happen for Frank Morano. Out of all the interviews he's ever done, and I've heard some really good interviews, guess which is the interview that he lusted for, he was passionate about, he prepared his entire life for? We're going to talk with Brian Van Flandern. This is an interview that I have been preparing for, not for an hour, not for two hours, not for a week. Brian Van Flandern is America's top mixologist. And he's a spirits historian, and we're going to talk booze in about 15 minutes. Very much looking forward to that conversation. Notice what he said, booze. Like he's got a passion for that. I think he's a booze hound. I think he's a lush. 
I think uh, pretty soon we're going to hear Frank Morano saying, I can't go for brunch. I've got to go for AA meeting. You know, in my the basement of my, now what is it? Is it an Episcopalian church, a Catholic church, a Methodist church? I forget which religion he's affiliated with now. Can, can, can I hear that one more time, uh, Hollywood, uh, Bill Lee? The guy said out of all the interviews he's done, we're going to talk with Brian Van Flandern. This is an interview that I have been preparing for not for an hour, not for two hours, not for a week. Brian Van Flandern is America's top mixologist, and he's a spirits historian, and we're going to talk booze in about 15 minutes. Very much looking forward to that conversation. Van Flandern, a mixologist. What is that? He puts Tabasco sauce in the hard liquor that you drink, man, I'm telling you, Frank Morano's become a real booze hound. He does the Jake leg. He's got the rum rouge yet. Yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, look, he did a great interview with the Bayonne Bleeded Chuck Webner, one of the best. Uh, he did a great interview with the guy from The Price is Right. I forget his name right now. Grew up in the Rosebud Reservation out there in South Dakota. Great, great interview. Uh, with Roger Stone, right? And Manafort. Remember, he, he got all those citations and uh, he was uh, universally applauded all over the world when they went viral. But he's claiming that the interview he was most passionate about and preparing his whole life for was Van Flandern. Because it was all about booze. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Kenny in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kenny. Good morning. Yeah, good Hello? morning. Good morning, Kenny. Oh, is this Curtis? Well, who did you think it was? No, I was on hold. They didn't even take my name. I guess it's something, uh, a glitch or something. Two quick things, Curtis, if I may, sir. By the way, this is Tom from Manhattan. We've spoken before. Uh, two quick things. This guy Swazi that's running again. Yes. He's a lifetime political uh, welfare person, we might say. He's constantly running for a statewide office. He has as much chance very often as a snowball in Hades of capturing it. And his wife has a no-show job with the state of New York. A lot of people don't know that. These people live off our tax dollars. By the way, Avery's a great, he answered before, and he put me on hold. He's a great man. He's a mature uh, call, I say pre-call producer, not screener. He's above that. Oh, wait and, a second. Hold, hold on a second, because Frank Morano refers to that position as telephone talent coordinator. So you've renamed the position as what? Okay. Basically, uh, a producer that... Uh, evaluates who's going to speak with the talent, i.e. Curtis Lewa. Wow. By the way, the other side of midnight uh, on Sunday, well, technically Monday morning through Friday morning, I would refer to as the lesser side of midnight. Ooh. The real pros are on Saturday night and Sunday. Oh, night. I like that. You know that. The lesser side of midnight. Wow, he gave you five stars, top shelf rating there, Avery. You got a friend in Tommy from Manhattan. 
Unlike that Tom from Brooklyn. Oh, man, he dissed you. And Gary from Inwood. But really, they were instigated by Frank. I don't think it really came from Gary and Inwood. I don't really think it came from Tom and Brooklyn on their own. I think they were instigated by Frank, who's trying to cause derision in our ranks. He has seen what we've been able to achieve with half as many staff members that he has Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5, the other side of midnight, right? We have half as many staff members, and we have achieved more with less. And so he's envious, and he's working his callers to chop down Avery as our telephone talent coordinator. Not only he praises you one second, oh, you're a telephone talent coordinator, and he chops you down the next. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All night long. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. It was just 24 hours ago that some of our callers were saying that Frank Marano is affiliated with the Gambino crime family. We'll let him, this coming week, directly address that. Came from quite a few of our callers. But there is a problem brewing here at WABC. It started first with Greg Kelly talking about how he's an expert on all things involving the Godfather trilogy. And then Michael Buttigieg, Rudy Giuliani, took umbrage to Greg Kelly, seizing that role from him. As you know, Rudy, number one crime buster against Italian organized crime in the history of the Department of Justice, took out the five heads of organized crime and would oftentimes answer questions with Godfather rhetoric from the movies. So he and Greg are squabbling back and forth in terms of who knows more about the realities of what went into making Godfather 1, 2, and 3. And the big issue is the bridge on the way to Louis restaurant. Where was that bridge? Greg Kelly had his impression and the Rudy's. Well, the reason I started with the Godfather was I was listening, I was listening to Greg. And they were, they were in a state of some confusion about uh, what bridge does uh, uh, Salazzo and uh, the captain and Michael uh, go over when they're going to head to Louis' restaurant. That's the name of the restaurant in the movie, the restaurant where he ultimately kills, you know, Salazzo and the captain. And uh, they're, supposed to go to, they're supposed to go to Louis' restaurant in the Bronx. But all of a sudden, Michael sees himself headed toward New Jersey. He sees a sign on what everyone always thought was the, was the uh, George Washington Bridge, because that's logically where it would be. And then the guy makes a tremendous U-turn. Michael almost gives it away. He says, we're not going to the, we're going to New Jersey? And uh, Salazzo looks at him kind of, um, kind of uh, like worried, and he very beautifully pulls it off by saying 
something like oh, that's that's that was a good idea, meaning to shake a a tail. So the answer to the bridge is the Queensborough Bridge. So you see, Rudy Giuliani sticking to his guns, claiming it's the Queensboro, a.k.a. the 59th Street Bridge, a.k.a. the Ed Koch Bridge that gays want to extract his name from because he wasn't gay enough and he was a homophobic gay. What the hell is that? Rudy is sticking to his gun. He is not vacillating on this. He claims that that bridge in the scene in Godfather... On the way to Louis' restaurant was the Queensboro Bridge. Ladies and gentlemen, I spoke to him earlier today. He will not retrench. He will not blink. He will not retreat on that. He will not reconsider his position. He says that his entire credibility is on the line in stating that it's the Queensboro Bridge. Our number is one 800 Do you support Rudy Giuliani? Or do you have your own idea of what bridge that was? Like so many of you came up to me earlier today and said, Rudy couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Like Al, who respectfully disagreed. First, that was the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure in The Godfather. Wow. So yeah. you actually disagreeing with Michael Baricic, Rudy Definitely. Giuliani. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, and I respect Rudy. He's a dynamite uh, uh, broadcaster and reporter. But no, that was definitely the, the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure Ooh. in The Godfather. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have a choice. Do you agree with Al? Says it's the lower deck of the George Washington Bridge. That's where the scene took place. Or Rudy, who insists, even today, upon revisiting it, insists it was the 59th Street, a.k.a. Queensboro, a.k.a. Ed Koch Bridge. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then he gets into an argument with Greg Kelly about the restaurant itself, Louis. I found out where, um, you know, the, the scene in the uh, restaurant where uh, Michael kills McCluskey, Captain McCluskey, the corrupt cop, and uh, Salazzo. That's a fabric store in the Bronx. Uh, I went, I found the guy, and I had a great time, and we, we, I even went into the bathroom where the gun was hidden. Wow, went into the commode where the gun was hidden. By the way, a bit of trivia. When they were filming that scene at Louis, they didn't have a gun. They forgot they had to bring a gun. Sonny Grasso, who was uh, uh, doing some directing uh, of some of the scenes involving the mafiosa, said, hey, you can use my gun. The great cop, Sonny Grasso, the great uh, producer, director, Sonny Grasso, offered up his gun. That's the gun you see in the movie. But, oh, Greg Kelly, oh, it's a fabric house now. That's not what Rudy said. And Louis, uh, re- uh, Louis restaurant uh, in, in, um, in, in real life, I think, is um, Luna Azuro. I think that's it. I think that's it. No, sorry. It, it was uh, Luna Azuro in the novel. So it had three names. Uh, its actual name is the Old Limer Restaurant on White Plain Road near Gun Hill Road. 
In the novel, it's called Luna Azuro, Blue Moon. And in uh, the movie, it's called Luis. So there you go. There's your godfather. Uh, important. We get things accurate about the godfather. Again, Rudy would not surrender or retreat earlier in the day when I spoke to him. He insists he's right and Greg Kelly is wrong about the actual restaurant in The Godfather, Louis. Who's right, ladies and gentlemen? Who's wrong? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Corey, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Corey. Oh, what a pleasure to talk to you, Curtis. What a great pleasure. So this is Corey, and I'm actually just right now, as we speak, coming over the Queensboro Bridge or the Edcott Bridge, what they call today. And I got to tell you, I was out tonight with some friends. We were in Club Macanudo. And to actually meet Rudy Giuliani there a couple of nights when he would be out hanging out with his friends. And I could bet you that the reason why he says the Queensboro Bridge is because he always traveled over that bridge and it was very familiar to him. And crossing it over myself and trying to picture the scene back when I saw the movie, I totally agree with Rudy Giuliani. Hmm. I think it's the Queensboro Bridge, 59th Street Bridge. So you disagree with Al, who says it's the lower deck of the George Washington Bridge. Yeah, that, that bridge is so always congested, and there's no real scenery there. And I, I have a hard time believing that they'd film the movie there. Interesting. So you side with my kumbari chief, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, the kumbari chief. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Rudy will like uh, hearing that, Corey. That's one for Rudy, zero foul. That's just on the bridge. And there's uh, Louis, the restaurant itself. He's at odds with uh, Greg Kelly on that. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Robert. Hey, hi, Curtis. Listen, uh, let me stray off the topic for a moment. Please go go for it. Go for it. Frank. Go for it, Rob. Okay. I won a the consolation prize from Frank Morano's thousand dollar uh Yeah, they I'm still waiting for the consolation prize. It's over three weeks. Wow. But I won your Booby prize from your trivia call, and, and you know, I got a great Curtis Sliwa ball cap, the belly mutt, the button, uh, but I'm still waiting on Morano to send me my booby prize. Oh, wow! So he stiffed you. Oh, he sure did, and it hurts. No, 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 I, I understand, because uh, he's been caught before as a slacker and a deadbeat. You know, oh, uh, I'll deliver it myself. You've heard him say that, right, Robert? I'll deliver it myself. Yeah, yeah. He always says stuff like that. But really, I mean it. Never got it from him. Ah. But you were so prompt in sending me my booby prize. 
That's right. And, and you've been waiting three weeks for your consolation prize for not guessing uh, in that scam. I mean, that contest of his where you have to get 10 answers in one minute to yeah. 10 questions. Right. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I want to apologize to you on behalf of the station. It, it's really not the station. Understand that, WABC, Robert. It's really Frank Morano. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. You know, he's probably, uh, maybe he's sneak, sneaking some uh, extra shots of rum and during the commercial break, and he forgets to do that. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I want you to listen well, here. I, wanna... I want you to listen to this, Robert. He had this young woman comedian in studio for an hour claim that she's, uh, you know, the next Bette Midler. Uh, you know, she uh, she can sing tunes. She can dance. She can do comedy. And so he gave her the same test that you had to get 10 questions answered in a minute in order to win the $1,000 prize. He he was throwing his softballs. Listen to how she struck out without even swinging. Who first discovered gravity? Just shout it out. Who first discovered gravity? I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> Come on, the apple. What's that? The apple falling down from the tree. Oh, I can't. Oh, my God. Now I'm drawing a blank. See, when it's somebody else, I can answer these questions. All right. What's number five? Um, uh, number five. I mean, uh, what country is directly to the south of the United States? Seriously? Really? Yeah, exactly. OK, South America. No, that's a <laughs> continent. It's Mexico. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's what I mean. uh, this is this is. This is not meant to be this difficult. So it was Sir Isaac Newton that discovered gravity. Oh, right. Yes. Yes, I do know that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I still uh, want the other questions. No, too, oh, too bad. I'll, I'll give them to you off air. I'm not wasting questions on on, on, <gasps> on you. No, well, because I can use them tomorrow. Oh, means, I know. see. I see. I I'll, see. I'll give them to you off air. All right. Wow. Did you hear that, Robert? Oh, yeah. A real airhead. Totally. Unlike the callers, unlike the callers that call into your show, we're so much brighter. Right, but but Robert, I mean, here it is. His guest, right? She she claims she's a comedian. She's a raconteur. uh, She's bon vivant. You know, she couldn't even answer two questions about Sir Isaac Newton, and didn't even know that Mexico (laughs) is south of the United States. (laughs) God almighty. <laughs> Madonna, my, what a moron. And the, these, Robert, don't feel bad that you haven't gotten your consolation prize in three weeks from the deadbeat to slacker, Frank Morano. Because look, look at the friends that he surrounds himself with. They don't even know that Mexico is the country south of the United States. Right. Right. But I tell you what, you stay on the line, Robert. Avery, we need to ride to the rescue. Please get the information uh, from Robert. And we got to follow up on this with Jake the Snake Roberts. Find out why he didn't get his consolation prize in three weeks. Because, you know, Frank Morano, he uses you and then he flicks you off like it's dandruff.
poor Robert there, wondering every day, the United States Postal Service post guy or post gal comes. No, 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 no consolation prize. They didn't know. No, for three weeks. Ours, our prize came three days. Boom, lickety split. That's the difference. And yet, who is considered the golden child, who can do no wrong, who is an untouchable, who is the future and the now of talk radio, anointed by management and ownership? Frank Morano. And he acts like a male diva, strutting around like a peacock. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jim in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Curtis, thanks for your work to begin with. But I think the scene with the turning around of the car, I think Giuliani is correct because I think it was a clear day and you could see the sky. And if it was on the George Washington Bridge lower level, wouldn't be able to do that. You see the upper level, bottom of the upper level. So I think Giuliani's right in that order. And I think my recollection is that it was a clear day and you could see the sky. Wow, that's incredible, Jim. So you, too, agree with Mike Kumbadicic, Rudy Giuliani, that the scene in The Godfather, the car swerving on the bridge on its way to Louis, was yeah. really the 59th Street Bridge, a.k.a. the Queensboro Bridge, a.k.a. the Ed Koch Bridge. Yes. Uh, in fact, on that note, could uh, I hear from Al again about his observation, uh, that's 44, that it was the George Washington Bridge. First, that was the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure in The Godfather. Wow. So yeah. you actually disagreeing with my kumbari Cheech, Rudy Definitely. Giuliani. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, and I respect Rudy. He's a dynamite uh, uh, broadcaster and reporter. But no... That was definitely the, the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure Oof. in The Godfather. Ah, so Al doubles down. But he's got no tactical air support on that. Our two callers agree with Rudy Giuliani that it's the Queensboro, a.k.a. 59th Street Bridge, a.k.a. Ed Koch Bridge. What say all of you, ladies and gentlemen? Our number is one 800 that's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. This question is calling a is causing a real rift amongst the talk show hosts here: Greg Kelly, Rudy Giuliani, Frank Morano, and I am the moderator here, trying to straighten this all out, including try to make sure that Al, the caller who said it was the lower deck of the George Washington Bridge, is not too damaged in this process. Anyway, let's go to Tom, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. Good evening, Curtis. How you doing? Oh, God, I'm sorry. I forgot to not say that. Anyway, I think Al uh, said that uh, the uh, lower bri- lower roadway of the GWB, uh, that was the lower roadway of the GWB. Where was the upper roadway in the movie? You know, it didn't show anything. Ah, so you disagree with Al. I do, I do. I do, truly do. Do you agree with my Kumbada Cheech, Rudy Giuliani? I agree with, with Kumbada Cheech. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Wow. I called to, 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 make, uh, uh, to say something here. I'm the guy who called and said what I said to uh, Frank about Avery uh, was that Kurt and almost Rudy that day. Uh, and all I said was, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to get to the point as fast as possible. I just figured Avery was having a bad day that day. It was not a big deal. 
And I don't want to start a, I don't want to incite a diet drive here. I just want to, I just made an observation. You know, most of the time he's a good call for you. I've always, I talked to him a few times. He's always good. I know, but uh, Tom, I get a sense that Frank Morano was agitating you in this direction. He probably he probably made it more insightful. Yeah, I I, I I'm not real. I wasn't looking to incite anything here, and you know. But in retrospect, I I I don't want to cause any problems. So I guess from now on, I'll just keep my mouth shut about stuff like that. You know, I only want to set the record straight here. You know. No, no, no. Curtis's um, call screener. He was a little curtain and very low energy. He was almost rude to me the other night. Almost rude. Well, that's a nice Almost. improvement over how he treats most people. You see how you were used? You see how you were used, Tom? Yep. Yeah, I see it. See? And notice, um, he was giddy. He was gleeful, Frank Morano, that you had said that. Instead of saying, well, you know, maybe he just had a bad night of phone screening, which would have been the appropriate thing to do to protect Avery and protect all of our staff members. But he's really trying to stick a wedge between the other side of midnight and my crew, the other, other, other side of midnight. Yeah, the other, other side of it. You have a, you have a bombastic personality and, it's, and your knowledge is fantastic. So I, I, that, I, listen, I listen to Frank, too. But now, but now, but now, Tom, since you listen to both shows, and I recommend that everybody listen to both shows as much as is humanly possible, or catch it on the rebound on the podcast at wabcradio.com, especially listening to Frank Morano Monday through Fridays from 1 in the morning to 5, uh, because I need, uh, I need for all of you to rat him out to me, uh, eat the Parmesan cheese. But, Tom, you, you see, in this situation, he has doubled the staff that we have. Double the staff. All I have is uh, uh, Hollywood Bill Lee here, who's on the boards, who came out of retirement. If, if he hadn't come out of retirement, Avery would have to be multitasking. He'd have to be the board operator, the phone screener. Uh, what is that fake name that uh, Frank Morano gave, uh, telephone talent coordinator? You imagine I would have only one person here. Frank Morano has like a half a dozen people. I thought I thought that Amy was doing all of that stuff, most of that stuff, because you know he's always helping out. He's always talking about what he gets, you know, that stuff. No, no, no. He, he, does. he does a great job. But uh, Hollywood Bill Lee came out of retirement. He was in Fort Myers, uh, lived right next door to Warner Wolf. Uh, Hollywood Billy is a legend in the radio business, and I put out the SOS. I said, please, can you come out of retirement and help us? Because poor Avery, he's got to be the board operator, he's got to be the overnight producer, he's got to be uh, the phone screener. And Frank- Curtis's call screener, he was a little curtain and very low energy. He was almost rude to me the other night. See? You see how he instigated you, Frank? You see what, what you ended up mm-hmm. saying about Avery? Yeah. I apologize, Avery. All right. No, no, he accepts it. He understands. Because he understands that Frank Morano is like a scorpion in a brandy glass. Who drinks the brandy first and then stings you afterwards? Because you know he's a lush, right, Tom? <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, yeah. I've heard. I like. I think like, the the uh, the the booze a little bit too much personally, but I I was an alcoholic, so I, I don't drink anymore. But uh, more power to him, Tom. You do know that he's on his way to AA. I don't know what church basement it'll be because he switches religions uh, faster than. Uh, uh, Eric Adams switches customized suits. You know, one minute he's a Catholic, next minute he's Episcopalian, next minute he's a Methodist. But you do know that when you drink six dry martinis a day before lunch, you're on your way to AA meetings, right, Tom? 
Yeah, I would say that. Mine was uh, the Manhattans. I drink a lot of Manhattans or just straight bourbon, whatever. All right. No, no, no. You've been very, very fair with this. Very fair, Tom. But see, even Tom understood how he was being used. How Frank was agitating the situation instead of coming to the defense of Avery, who has oftentimes volunteered to help the Frank Morano show when he was short, when all of a sudden uh, Alex would call in and say, oh, I got a fever in my foot. I can't come in tonight. Deadbeat. Or Matt, oh, I got to go down to Florida for a funeral. How many people in one family can die in just one month? Uh, And the other guy, Felipe, saying, oh, oh, I'm being called into the Foreign Legion in France because I got to go fight for Zelensky in the Ukraine. They're all full of bull feathers. And the last man standing is Avery, who's there to help Frank Morano all the time. But you notice it's the Ides of March. Frank took out the long knife and stuck him in the back. It's another side of midnight, 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Our mayor, according to a little birdie, has told me he was seen going into the Zero Bond Club at about 2 o'clock in the morning. He's raising the roof. It's a private club downtown. And as you clubbers know, whatever happens in a private club stays in a private club. Oh, man. Eric. He's raising the roof. A lot of you coming from the clubs yourself, the restaurants, the gin mills. You've been enjoying the weather, which uh, the rain stopped, giving you a chance to enjoy Saturday night going into Sunday morning. Many of you won't make it to the break of dawn, but if you listen to yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, you will definitely make it to 6 o'clock because that's my role here at WABC. I got to keep you pumping and jumping. I got to get you to join the fraternity ever-growing sorority of insomaniacs so that you, even if you're parallel to the ground with your earbuds in, even if you're catatonic, even if you're, you're cutting Z's, 
It's working on your subliminal mind. Anyway, our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And today I was getting uh, a lot of feedback from people who were saying, what is it about Mayor Eric Adams? What is this fixation, this obsession that he keeps talking about in appearance after appearance that one of his biggest fears he has is that people are going to all of a sudden descend into the bowels of New York City, the subway system, with propane tanks in hand and barbecue pits. And it's going to end up barbecuing in the city subway system, massive as it is, with 472 stations, 6,200 subway cars. Here he is again commenting about his biggest fear, not the crime in the subways ever growing, but the fact that some of you out there may actually end up coming into the subways to barbecue. No more smoking, no more doing drugs, no more sleeping, no more doing barbecues on the subway system, no more just doing whatever you want. No, those days are over. And by the way, it has become so obvious that it is a ridiculous statement uh, for him to make that he has become the butt of jokes in comedy circles and even at uh, the Robin Hood dinner that raised massive amounts of money for nonprofits uh, from billionaires like Jeff Bezos. In fact, here... Listen to Saturday Night Live comedian John Mulaney as he talks about Mayor Eric Adams' obsession with people grilling in the subways with propane tanks. Today, May 9th, in a press conference, our great honorable mayor said, we can't have vendors selling on the subway. What's next? Someone brings a propane tank. People are doing barbecues on the subway. Hey, Mayor Adams, what are you talking about? What are you picturing? What is a Subway barbecue? And why do you hate them so much? Were you dumped as a teen at a Subway barbecue? Mayor Adams always addresses two problems and then one crazy one. No guns, no crime, no barbecues on the Subway. We need better schools. We need better transportation. No more volleyball games on the BQE. None more. <laughs> I love Mayor Adams. He's done so I much don't. good to the city that he's thinking of moving here. Now listen. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, oh. I don't know what it is. By the way, uh, the mayor has decided not to fund uh, the reconstruction uh, of the BQE, that artery that is so important that connects trucks SUVs, cars, you know, it's a continued war on four wheels. We'll discuss that later on in this uh, show as we break till uh, 6 a.m. in the morning to the first rays of dawn. But ironically, uh, this is a subject matter that has been broached on the Dominic Carter show that you can hear every Monday through Friday from uh, 12 to 1 as it is a buffer between me and Frank Morano. Good morning, Dominic. Time for the Eric Adams Comedy Corner because he's done it again. If you've heard the latest, um, <clears throat> there was a lady arrested in handcuffs 
for selling fruit in the subway system. Now, okay, you shouldn't be selling fruit in the subway system, but then the article says, Adam Stress, rules must be followed. <laughs> rules must be followed, particularly around food. Yeah, that's everybody's big fear why they're scared of the subway. He says, gee, it's fruit today. It could be barbecues tomorrow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's called a straw man argument, Dominic. Uh, but you would have thought Dominic himself would have gotten a good belly laugh out of that. No. Dominic, uh, being a sycophantodian lackey of Mayor Eric Adams, gave him tactical air support. Mayor, we have had situations where folks try and barbecue on the subway. I want our many callers out there listening to WABC at this moment, whether you're listening on the app, whether you're listening on the stream, and you can get it crystal clear if you are in Kiev in the Ukraine. Um. I want you to call Dominic Carter during the week uh, when he's on and ask him, when the hell has he ever seen anybody barbecuing with a propane tank on the subway system of New York? Can I hear that one more time, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, please? In fairness to the mayor, we have had situations where folks try and barbecue on the subway. You see, he's giving cover to Eric Adams because he wants to stay on his good side. There's no doubt about it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I'm very interested to know from any of you if you've ever seen barbecuing in the subway system of New York, any of the 472 subway stations or the 6,200 subway cars. Never! Dominic Carter, that is a disgraziata. That is a shanda. That you would say that with your street cred. People were actually possibly going to believe that there's barbecuing going on in the subway with propane, propane tanks. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Leah calling from Newark. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leah. Hi, Curtis. I don't know about the barbecues. But I'm um, just wondering if you were invited last Wednesday night to the uh, ratings party. Yes. I uh, hear your name mentioned. No, no, I was there uh, along with my lovely wife, uh, Nancy, who has oh, given okay. her shout outs for her contribution to the Animal Welfare oh, Hour. Good. Uh, and also they and, talked. Uh, answered... Yeah, I'm sorry. No, they talked about uh, our great ratings here mm-hmm. and the other, other side yeah. of midnight, although. They went to great lengths to point out that Frank Morano is ahead of us. Uh, well, I, I thought, I, I, yeah, but I thought that was uh, that was a bit of a low blow. We're only on two of the mornings. Yeah, He's on five. Right, right, right. So they said he had increased it. Well, yeah, let me just uh, give, break it down for yeah. you and the many listeners. So they said he had increased his ratings by 20%. And they said that I had increased our ratings by 17%. Well, he's on five mornings, so that's five times four is 20. So that's 4% each time he broadcasts, one to five. Yet we've gone 17% in just two mornings of broadcast. So that means every time we're on the air, we increase our ratings 8.5%, which means we're superseding Frank Morano. Anybody who knows that 2 plus 2 is 4, 4 plus 4 is 8 would be able to recognize that, right, Leah? That's even I know that. Yeah, absolutely. 
And incidentally, I'm the reason you weren't invited to the christening. No, I was not. And I was crestfallen because... But I know the reason. I know the reason. Oh, what reason is that, Leah? Uh, Frankie of the Moranos is blaming for you not being invited. Is blaming who? Rachel. Rachel Emanuel. He blamed Rachel. his wife again? Again? This is not the first time? No. Remember. Hold on a second. Uh, Broadway Billy, I want you to play that cut where Frank Morano is blaming his wife for the fact that he no longer picks up the check. I want you to listen to this, Lee. Instead of being a man's man and taking responsibility for himself. Uh, well, that I didn't know about. Yeah, well, listen. But I do uh, know uh, that I want you I to do listen. Know that he blamed Rachel yeah. for not being invited. Oh, I, I want you to listen to this, how he blames Rachel for this. Go for it, uh, Hollywood Bill Lee. Since being with my wife, even before we were married, she has really caused me to curtail how often I'm picking up the check. So now I do it substantially less. How do you like that, Leah? Blame? Well, now we know who wears the pants in the family. But, you know, let her. Yeah, but, you know, in the next so hour, it, you're going to. So in, that, in other words, in other words he's observing to her being when she picks up the tabs. Yeah, well, he's a Maytag. You know that. He was a Mama Luke when he lived at home with his mother. Now he's a Maytag that he uh, shares at home with his wife, uh, Rachel. And Carmine, who is now, believe it or not, Leah, since he was birthed on Thanksgiving Day, 36 pounds. Mm, so I so I hear. Yeah. Okay. All right, but well, he does blame Rachel for you not being inv- invited. Wow. So un- he did mention it on the show. So what? unmanly that he would not stand up to his wife and say, look, I knew Curtis before I knew you, Rachel. Right or wrong? Such is life. Wow. Such so life. I'm like a fair weather friend, huh? Well, that's the way it seems. But, you know, Curtis, there are other things to worry about than that. No, now I'm, I'm fixated on that. Now he's blaming it on his wife. He blames the fact that he has alligator arms on his wife, that he doesn't pick up anybody's check any longer. And now he's, wait, in the next hour, he blames his father. This is maybe his worst, worst indiscretion of all. Don't go to sleep. Because when you hear this, with Father's Day coming up, his father should disown him after this. When you hear what he says about his father, blames his father, who I met, is an outstanding man. And he disparaged him. Anyway, let's go to Miguel in Flushing. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Miguel. Oh, Curtis, it's great to talk to you. Um, and um, they have been barbecues in this place. Because since uh, de Blasio left the city a mess, anything can happen in the subways. Well, I recognize, Miguel, that anything can happen in the subways, and almost everything has, including open fornication and copulation. But I have not seen any documentary evidence 
that there has been a barbecue pit with a propane gas tank while people are barbecuing in the subway, up, above ground, or below ground. No more smoking. No more doing drugs. No more sleeping. No more doing barbecues on the subway system. No more just doing whatever you want. No, those days are over. Miguel, have you actually personally? I think it's very possible and more. Worse has happened. And, you know. No, no, no. I I understand. There is a possibility, Miguel, because it's anarchy in the subways. But have you personally seen somebody barbecuing in the subway with a propane tank? So far, no, but I'm waiting to see it. And I, I could see it any day now. What I'd, like, uh, what I'd like to do, Miguel, which uh, subway line do you live near? Well, the 7 train. Okay. I'm deputizing you, Miguel, that whenever you can, if you can ride the subway and report back uh, to me whenever you're available to let me know. Now, all you have to you start with your schnoz first. You <laughs> see, you smell the barbecue before you see it. <laughs> So you follow your schnoz. And remember, you're you're passing so many different ethnic neighborhoods. Flushing itself, last stop, Chinese. Then all of a sudden, Jackson Heights, Central Americans. Then all of a sudden, uh, you hit uh, over by uh, Sunnyside, Irish. Any one of them might be barbecuing with a propane gas tank. You just never know, right, Miguel? Yeah. You know, I, I voted for you um, in the last election. I don't know how New York lo- um, gave up the chance to have you as the mayor. A man who dealt with the mafia, knows New York, knows the subways, and had and put in this guy who all he does is clean and buying suits. That's all it seems that he's been doing in office. Now, Listen, you know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> By the way, Miguel, as we speak to one another here, downtown in the club, Zero Bond, Eric Adams arrived at 2 o'clock in the morning. He has not left. There is a little birdie who is watching him, reporting on him, raising the roof because you know, Miguel, in a private club like Zero Bond, whatever happens in a private club stays in a private club. Gabi? Well, he, you know, he's the Blasio 2.0. Yeah, and, except... And add the party to it. Yeah, but... You said uh, it in the campaign. You've been right all along. Yeah, but let's face it, Miguel. Bill de Blasio never partied hardy. He was too busy going puff, puff, pass at night. <laughs> <sighs> Here, Charlene. This stuff is good. This Maui Wowie, this Hindu Kush... <laughs> Uh, it's the bomb. Let's go to Marty in uh, what many people believe to be Eric Adams' real neighborhood, Fort Lee, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marty. Listen, this guy, Eric Adams, every time he comes to the building, I'm the doorman. He never tips me. Now, wait I a second. What do you say? Wait, wait a second, Marty. We could barely hear you. Could you just speak into the uh, phone a little better? Yes. Okay, Eric much better. Adams, Eric Adams, he never tips me. I gave him an umbrella. He broke it. He told me he was going to a club. He borrowed my scarf, never returned it. Wow. 
And you and, yeah, and that's really the, horrible. And that's where he I even taught I taught him how to dance. This guy doesn't appreciate anybody. I I gave him a disco move. He uses it all the time. This guy Eric Adams, he never tips. I give him bags because you have to have bags at the supermarket. He never returns anything. This guy, Marty. I I lent him my socks. Marty, I got to tell That's you, man. Ridiculous. You see, you, you're too busy. You're too busy uh, being the doorman. I went in the elevator with him, and he farted. It was unbelievable, Curtis. Think this guy. But if you know, and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> What a fugazi, right? Marty thought he could pull our chain and chew our shorts. Nah. First of all, when you're a doorman at a uh, apartment building with condos, you don't get tipped every time you open the door, schmuck putts. What do you think? You're a member of 32BJ, huh? Anyway, let's go to Stephen. Uh, also in Flushing, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hi, Curtis. I'm the guy that called you last week about the Hudson, but what I wanted to say is I've used uh, the subway. I'm your age. I've used the subway my whole life, um, except my time naturally in the Navy. Uh, I've never seen barbecuing on the subway. I mostly take the 6 line now and uh, the 7, sometimes the N, and sometimes the 4 and 5. Then, of course, I know you know all about the subways down to Brooklyn. So I'm 68 like you. I've been taking the subway since I'm 10 years old, going to Sheepshead Bay. From Bensonhurst, and I've never seen at now, any time any now, barbecue. Now, any now you would you think see? you would think, Stephen, you haven't seen it or smelled it because remember you smell it first before you see it. That's what generally attracts your attention to it. I haven't smelled it nor seen it. You would think uh, journalists, uh, it, once they stopped laughing at that, they would actually say to the man, "Have you ever personally seen people barbecuing in the subway with a propane gas tank?" They won't ask him that question. They it, won't it, ask it's him. Absu- it's absolutely outrageous. You know, um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, I saw you on TikTok the other time talking about the Blasio and all the money that's uh, allegedly missing. Is that correct? Yes. Oh, uh, wow. At 68, you go to TikTok, huh? Well, I, I was. it was a pleasure to see you. You, you looked terrific and uh, you were very articulate. And um, your information is probably right on the money because I wanted to bring. I'm an avid listener. Many years ago, seven days before the guy that died in Long Island, that was the. And I don't remember his own name. He's Greek. Dean something. Dean Skelos, who was the. Uh... You knew seven days ahead of time or nine days ahead when he used to be on with Kirby that he was going to get indicted. Yeah. It, it was nowhere. Yeah, and remember, he had his uh, deadbeat no-show son. He would get no-show jobs for for the guy, and the guy would complain. He would complain to his father. They had wiretaps of their conversations. He'd go, Dad, you got to do more than just get me a no-show job. So Dean says to his son, and he's an adopted son, what the hell? You have a cup of coffee, you read Long Island Newsday, you grow barnacles on your backside. What more do you want me to do for you? And the son said, I don't want to have to show up for work, period. Wiretaps. Yeah, they wiretapped those conversations. They played them in court. That's why Dean Skelos, Dean the Greek Skelos, ended up going to jail. For his son. You knew about it, though. Yeah, well, I knew. See, I figured it out. No show jobs. The kid was an adopted kid. wasn't even uh, Dean Skelos' natural kid. 
And uh, it was clear that this kid would get fired everywhere because he couldn't even show up one time. The employee would say, you know, we're getting an inspection today. Could you please just come in and sit at the desk and act like you're doing work? No. It's a no-show job. I don't have to work. What a uh, what a horror's, horror's eye. What a pig. Uh, as, as you would say, a real gabon, right? Yeah, well, I like that. I like that. But what I like better is, Stephen, you look at TikTok which is normally the privy uh, of uh, younger people. Uh, but you have to look at not only my TikTok, ladies and gentlemen, we have a TikTok at WABC where I've had a few posts, and you see can see some of the other hosts and hostesses. TikTok is the bomb, i got to tell you, Steve. You can do more on TikTok than you can on Facebook where most people, what do they put? Oh, I went to Denny's today and I had the Super Slam. And then you, you see everything there. Like, I need to see your pancakes uh, and your eggs and your bacon. Now, now the, the thing when you talk about Frank Milano, um, I, I don't know if I can say this, so I'm going to be very careful. As obviously, I've been listening to you for decades. Uh, I don't I don't really care for the Frank Milano show at all. The topics or formats or, or anything like that, the, the conversation is just, just not for me. No, no, understood. And there are a lot of people who likewise think the same about me because I don't uh, talk to guests. Uh, I just riff uh, with the callers or I riff uh, in what I call theater of the mind. But I will tell you this, Stephen, it is incumbent that you try to listen as much as humanly possible because the guy dropped so much about me and my staff here, limited as we are. Hollywood Bill Lee, who came out of retirement to help us. Avery, whose reputation was sullied by some of, some of Frank Morano's callers, who apologized uh, earlier in this show to make amends. So I need to know as much about what Frank Morano is saying as is humanly possible. I can't listen to every show in the wee hours of the morning because I'm patrolling the subways. The crime is out of control with the Guardian Angels. So I know it may uh, be a little difficult for you, Stephen, but just give it a few hours a week, please. All right. I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll take your suggestion. And then I wanted to not tie up all your time off. So do you remember you talking about the Coast Guard? And I know your dad was a merchant marine. Yes. For his whole career, correct? Uh, 54 and years. Then, that is correct. Then you spoke about Mariner's Harbor and the, where the merchant marine used to live and whatnot. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, so it, what, what I wanted to bring up since talking about the Hudson River and whatnot, I've been a fisherman. There hasn't been Coast Guard presence for the longest time. It wasn't just on Governor's Island. Actually, uh, the way it's set up, many, many years ago, 50 years ago, if you ran out of gas, the Coast Guard guys used to tell you, just give them a couple of cases of beer. I wouldn't have been able to do that because I was using the boat when I was 14 or 15 and used to give them some money. Those, those Coast Guard stations basically don't exist, like you were saying with things. But the police departments have basically taken over the search and rescues. And out at Grabiski Airport, which is named after that Polish guy that was a World War II ace, Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. There's an Air National Guard station. So to conserve their resources, they just don't have the money. Uh, the police departments have taken over. And since you're, you know, you're an expert on the police, you know, they have a lot of helicopters right now, NYPD, and mostly Homeland Security pays for that under Oh yeah, no, uh, Floyd. Floyd three or four. Yeah, Floyd Bennett Field is where they house. But I will tell you this: uh, my father taught me uh, a great respect for God. He told me how many times, as a merchant mariner, when a ship was in distress, 
are the only people you could depend on was the United States Coast Guard who would risk everything to come to a merchant mariner's aid. That's not just the boatman, uh, you know, somebody who's out on a little yacht or a little dinghy who uh, get off track or they have uh, an engine that goes on fire and they're stranded and the Coast Guard comes to their rescue. But I'm talking in the high seas. Merchant mariners, you know, on a cargo ship or an oil tanker or carrying asphalt, which is the most dangerous substance to carry in the belly of a ship. Uh, And then all of a sudden, uh, in a storm, the Coast Guard shows up and they use all, all of their, their weapons to come to your aid, risking life and limb. That story is never really told, uh, Stephen, and it needs to be told again and again and again, the heroic service that they give and the drug interdiction offshore that they do and how they stop boats and they check for stowaways, the illegal aliens, many of them from mainland China, Red China, who come in here. That story never gets told, Stephen. You were talking about that in Mariners Harbor, and you had um, some of the people that were Coast Guard men. That that is absolutely correct. What what you're saying, um, you, you see it a little bit with uh, the show that shows them fishing for crabs in Alaska or whatnot. But but you are correct. They they are absolutely heroic. And what you were talking about was really exemplified in the hurricanes down in the South. I can't remember his full name, but his name was Tyler something. Were him into the helicopters as well as themselves. Say, saved, saved um, a good forty or seventy people. They said one person who dove in the warfare. The baby actually came out of their arms, and he actually grabbed them. Another one, they went back and they got a fire axe and chopped back into the house. You're, you're, you're absolutely. Well, correct. let me let me tell you something. That's enough. Yep, let me and tell you something, Stephen. That needs to be addressed. Yes, the Merchant Mariners have never gotten their due. The Coast Guard, especially, has never gotten their due. We think of uniformed services time and time again. We say the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, the Army. And I see people never mention the Coast Guard or it's an afterthought. The brave men and women of the Coast Guard. My father couldn't praise them enough for all the seafarers and merchant mariners that they came to the aid to in just extraordinary extreme weather on the high seas where no man, no woman would go. But the Coast Guard would go with their helicopters and with their airplanes and their cruisers and their cutters and their small uh, craft. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. New York Proud. New York Loud with New York Attitude. All here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Ah, no, you're not going to sleep on me. You're not going to sleep on me till the break of dawn. Till 6 o'clock this morning, when all of a sudden the sun is out and shining. We got so much to do today. I return to all of you from uh, 3 to 5. So nice, I then do it twice from 9 to 11, and then I wind up the weekend. The 20 hours of broadcasting in which WABC always stands for the acronym, always broadcasting, Curtis, with the most requested, the most phoned into. 
the most involved of any of the uh, sessions that I do, the animal welfare session with my wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer par excellence. But I play this song because I know many of you, you're schlepping out of the clubs, you're schlepping out of the, uh, the gin mills, the restaurants, making your way home, or you're going to the after-hour clubs, and you're saying, how is it? The Mayor Eric Adams, suited down with those customized suits, those Farragamas, could be up in the Club Zero Bond at 3.38 in the morning, raising the roof, and then within a matter of just a few hours, turn it around to be out there cutting ribbons morning, noon, and night. Well, I'll tell you where I will be. At the uh, parade in Bay Ridge, the annual parade for the Squareheads, the Norwegians, who actually believe that they discovered the new world with Leif Erikson and Eric Derrett. Yeah, go knock yourself out on that. 80th Street today and 3rd Avenue in the heart of Bay Ridge, which is big WABC listening country. And where, unfortunately, I've had to assign guardian angels to patrol. That's a neighborhood that never needed guardian angels in the 43-year history of New York with all the problems that had befallen other neighborhoods. Now Bay Ridge has a sizable problem. Anyway, our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And you know how we were talking uh, earlier, and we'll do a recap uh, in the 5 o'clock hour, about the 18-year-old executioner up in Buffalo. We talked about how Frank James was getting little, if any, attention. The subway shooter of 10, uh, remember, on the N train at 8.30 in the morning? In the morning, a morning drive. Well, guess who he has befriended in the federal lockup in Sunset Park? He has befriended R. Kelly. That's right, that pedophile on a pedestal. Huh. Can you imagine? They're cellmates. R. Kelly and Frank James. They deserve one another. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Sammy in Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sabine. Hey, good to hear from you. Listen, I say it's the Queensboro Bridge, upper level. There was a prop put on the uh, wall, or the uh, basically it said New Jersey. And Michael said, we're going to New Jersey. If you look, the, the movie was shot in 1971. That sign is from the 1940s. And that's why I say that the Queensboro Bridge upper level, and I think Rudy's 100% correct. Well, it seems every one of the callers, Miguel originally, uh, who says he's actually been at uh, smoking uh, cigar clubs with Rudy, he agreed it's the Queensboro Bridge. You agree, uh, Sabine. Uh, one other guy agreed. Uh, almost nobody agrees with Al. First, that was the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure in The Godfather. Wow. So yeah. you actually disagreeing with Michael Baricich, Rudy Giuliani. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, and I respect Rudy. He's a dynamite uh, broadcaster and reporter. But no, that was definitely the, the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure. Ooh. In The Godfather. Now, Sammy, why do you think Al is so insistent, as uh, knowledgeable as he has been so often in his calls in the past, 
that he insists that it's the lower level of the George Washington Bridge and not the Queensboro slash 59th Street slash Ed Koch Bridge. Because I believe that, A, I don't care how many permits you get, it would have been impossible, I believe, to shut down the George Washington Bridge, especially with the way they made that U-turn. I believe it was the upper level coming out of Manhattan, and they made the U-turn. If you look to your right, it says New Jersey. And Michael goes, we're going to New Jersey? And all you have to do, I've been on that bridge a million times, coming and going on the upper level. I don't know how many times Al's been there, but I guarantee you he can't match the amount of time I've been on it. It's incredible, Sammy. This has caused quite a rift here at WABC between Greg Kelly that you can hear Monday through Fridays from 1 to 3, Lieutenant Colonel Greg Kelly, son of the longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York, the NYPD, Ray Kelly. He uh, disagrees with uh, Rudy on this. Rudy insists it's the 59th Street Bridge, and Al says, no, it's the lower level of the George Washington Bridge. Anyway, let's go to Jeff calling from Greenpoint. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Good morning, Curtis. I'm not going to ask you how you're doing because you gave it to me good last week. But I got a good story for you, and I want your listeners to listen to this story. It's going to take about a minute or two if I could say it. Of course. Of course. Go ahead, Jeff. Okay. There once was a boy named Andy, and I'm not going to say his last name. Andy graduated from a lawyer high and went to St. John's to be a lawyer. One day, Andy decides him and his friend are going to drink and they're going to walk into Ryan's Bar. Ryan's Bar, which was located on Hillside Avenue, right on Francis Lewis Boulevard by the big shopping center where the bus, the Q76 bus stops. Inside the bar, little Andy boy was acting like Bruno San Martino, the wrestler. His friend was acting like Bob Backlund, and they were wrestling in the bar, playing grab ass. And to the owner of Ryan's bar said, hey, both of you, get out, out of my bar. They then proceeded to walk outside, Curtis, to the sidewalk, right in front of the Q76 bus. That's right, Curtis, where they continued to be WWF. The next thing you know, Curtis, the Q76 bus comes. And now there's only one of two teenagers. Where was that other other person that Andy Boy was hanging out with? That's right, Curtis, under the wheels of the Q76 bus. What does our friend Andy Boy do? He runs into the hills of Hollis. No, Curtis, not Hollis, Queens, where LL Cool J and Run DMC reside. Hollis Hills, where the rich Jewish people live. Running through the hills of Hollis Hills, Andy Boy gets nervous. He sees the garage door open. He looks inside, Curtis, and there's his father's friend, Donald. And what is Donald doing, Curtis? He's breaking open parking meters, Curtis. That's right. He's taking a hammer, just like in Donnie Brasco, and he's breaking over parking meters. Little Andy Boy runs into the garage, tells his father's friend, Donald, what just took place. The garage door closed, the blinds were drawn, and you never heard nothing about it ever again, Curtis. Hmm. Wow. 
I mean, believe it or not, there was hush hush mush mush involving Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Where was the bus driver? Where's the ME? Where were the cops that responded that night? Where's the ambulance people? How come nobody's ever heard about this? <laughs> Only certain people know about this story. Now, did our little friend Andrew push his friend into the bus stop? Hmm. Could be. We don't know, Curtis. It gives me a pause for thought. Since uh, I was unaware of that story about Andrew Evilized Cuomo, it's something I need to do the big, deep dig into. Because uh, I've had heard rumors in the past that he got into a punch-out and somebody got seriously injured. Whatever became of his victim there? Oh, he's long gone. Heaven or hell. So run over by an MTA bus. The Q76 bus, I believe. And I think the bus driver might even be dead now, too. Well, Since this happened 20, 30 years ago, while a certain friend, Andy Boy, was attending St. John's University. Let me, uh, let me do my uh, big dig on this. I'd heard rumors, innuendos, but then again, I hear a lot of rumors and innuendos, not just about Andrew Evilized Cuomo, Fredo, Chris Cuomo. I thought that's who you were. No, punk-ass bitches from the right call me Fredo. My name is Chris Cuomo. Uh, Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, Joe Pococo, the leg breaker, the wartime consigliere who did six years for political corruption as the aide-de-camp to uh, Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Now, this one I got to dig in on. This one, uh, this is the third time I've heard this. Third time I've heard this. This was in slightly more detail than previous ones. Anyway, let's go to Giuseppe. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. I think that's me. Yeah, that's you, Joseph. Giuseppe. Joey. Hey, Joseph. Joseph. I'm up here in Newburgh. I talked to you two weeks ago. Uh, I was the penny picker-upper. Do you remember me? Oh, yeah, that's right. Bending over, picking up pennies on the sidewalk. Yeah, 47 pennies on my way home from the hospital. Uh, uh, Here's what happened since. I'm going to give you the lowdown on the – you sent me a hat, and that hat has drawn so much attention, I now realize how popular you are in Newburgh. I can't believe it. I thought I was popular. <laughs> You're more popular than Joseph is in Newburgh. Now, question, uh, anyway. uh, Joseph, uh, how long did it take you to receive your WABC baseball cap with the name Curtis Sliwa Show oh, on it? It was very quick. I would say less than uh, seven days. Yeah, that's the normal it, time. It Jake, the, Jake the Snake Roberts, who's in charge of promotion, sends it. Yes. Absolutely surprised. I was absolutely surprised. So it could have been four days. You know, I really didn't pay that close attention, but it was quick. Yeah, well, I've spent a lot of time in Newburgh along Broadway. I had to battle a lot of those guys who were in those halfway houses from the Bronx in Brooklyn when they got released from prison upstate and they get sent to Newburgh uh, in a halfway house. And I had to straighten them out with the Guardian Angels. So, yeah, 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 I've established a bit of a rep around there. Well, let me tell you what I did. I had a guy come out of prison. He said he killed a cop when he was 11 years old. 
but I found out that he didn't kill a cop. Somebody else did. He took the rap. And so I let him stay in my house, Curtis, and I went to a Yankee game. I invited him to go to the Yankee game with me, but he said, no, I'll stay here in your house. I said, well, I don't really want you to stay in my house when I'm not here. He said, oh, that's okay. I got a guy who's going to come from Port Jervis, pick me up, and I'm going to go to Port Jervis and work with him. Well, uh, little did I know, I was given the a, a porn dealer my home address. I came home. They cleaned out my bedroom, $7,000 worth of jewelry, uh, a carriage clock, and, and I kicked the guy out. I was a little afraid about doing that, but I kicked him out. He ended up on Grand Street. Uh, a year later, uh, I heard uh, I'm watching TV. I see a picture of him. He killed the guy. He choked him to death on Grand Street, and he stabbed him in the heart after he was already dead. This guy is now in jail out in, uh, I guess, uh, Otisville. He's been there for the rest of his life. Anyway, that's the kind of guy I am. I took in and helped, and I shouldn't have done it, and I won't do whatever again. Yeah, well, that, uh, uh, but, Joe, Joseph, uh, that was being a bit naive there. Guy tells you he's a cop killer. You give him the benefit of the doubt. Then he cleans out your apartment while you're away, as he's in Port Jervis, supposedly doing a job, right? Yeah, doing a job on you, right? <laughs> And then he uh, kills a guy on Grand Street and then stabs him when he's already dead. And you think he's going to do triple life without parole in Otisville, upstate New York? Think again. Uh, with Democrats in charge of the governorship, like Holcomb, which means nonsense, the parole board will probably release him in 20 years. Guarantee you that. Especially if he is a cop killer. They'll, they'll say, oh, give him an extra five years off. Uh, yeah, 15 years. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Giuseppe in Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hi, Curtis. Good morning. Um, I'm just really confirming that the bridge scene for the U-turn was the Queensboro Bridge um, or the Koch Bridge, whatever you want to call it. But I have a great trivia question for you. Are you there? Yeah, now hold on a second. Hold on, Joe. You, so you're in agreement with uh, all of our callers so far who have given tactical air support to my Kumbadichich Rudy Giuliani that the bridge in The Godfather that they were taking to go to Louis Restaurant was in fact the 59th Street, a.k.a. Queensboro, a.k.a. Ed Koch Bridge, and not... The lower level of the George Washington Bridge, which is what Al says it is? I'm confirming that, yes. Hmm. First, that was the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure in The Godfather. Wow. So yeah. you actually disagreeing with Michael Baricic, Rudy Definitely. Giuliani? Definitely. Wow. Yeah, and I respect Rudy. He's a dynamite uh, broadcaster and reporter. But no, that was definitely the, the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure. Ooh. In The Godfather. Now, now Joe, this, this guy seems so sure of himself, Alan. Plus, he's got a good set of pipes. All right. Well, he could be sure, and I'm sure. But I got a great trivia question for you. Okay. Do you, have you ever seen Spike Lee's uh, Malcolm X? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. 
Do you know where the opening scene when they walk underneath the L mm. was filmed? Mm. Under the L. I'm assuming yeah. it was in the Bronx. Am I correct? No. 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 The train comes down, and you can see it says Boston. But it wasn't Boston. It was Myrtle and Wyckoff Avenue, the L. Yeah, Myrtle and Wyckoff, the L, which meets the M train there. That's right, and that's the Hamburg line that goes out to uh, Fresh uh, Fresh Pond Road. No, no, they, exactly. now, now that you mention it, that makes sense, because, you know, they were talking about uh, his name, his nickname in Boston, where he was a pimp, Malcolm X, was Red, I think. Was Red, right. exactly. And at 300 Wyckoff Avenue, my union had an office there. The end of the block, the, it was a big building. The end was a, a um, furniture place that had gone out of business. And Spike Lee filmed most of the internal shots, like the barber shop and the apartment, in that building. And in back of it was a parking lot, and that's where all the cars and trucks, the antique stuff, was stored. And... I got to see a lot of those characters because I was working there in those days. A lot of the cast and whatever, just mulling around when they weren't shooting, uh, having a Coke and whatever. And the interesting thing is they built a fake newsstand under the L to cover the entrance to the 14th line. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, if we're still up there, the fake newsstand, one thing it would have in common with normal newsstands, the few that are open, they don't sell newspapers anymore. No, they don't. Or magazines. And right behind that was a Greek diner that served the best hamburgers in Ridgewood. Oh, yeah. And it was a block away from the Madison Theater, which was the Ridgewood, Madison, Parthenon. Those were the three theaters. We had in that neighborhood at that time. And the triangle, as they walk out from under this, there's a triangle-shaped building. That was the German Ratzkeller. That was the first burlesque house I went to as an 18-year-old. Now, did uh, the Gypsy Rose Lee perform there? Uh, I don't think so. It was more like uh, somebody's uh, gumada. Ah, but you were excited. Your, your testosterone was crashing through your cranium uh, in that performance. Um, I was shaking. I was so young. It was. It was. You know. It was really exciting. And they they didn't take that much clothes off. To be honest with you. That's right. It was more more of the tease as opposed to the full noodle front. Anyway, let's go to John in Freehold. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Hey, Curtis. It's uh, amazing to talk to you. I've been a longtime fan. I grew up listening to you. Yes, John. Oh, yeah, sorry. So, um, I don't know. All these old guys are on the phone here. All you got to do is a quick Google search. It's the Queensboro Bridge in the U-turn scene, not the lower-level George Washington. So wait a second. So you're casting your vote for Al, who says it's the lower level of the George Washington Bridge, or Rudy Giuliani? Rudy Giuliani. It's a fact that it's the Queensboro Bridge. 
Wow, and yet Al makes it seem like... First, that was the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure in The Godfather. Wow. So yeah. you actually disagreeing with my Kumbhati Cheech, Rudy Giuliani. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, and I respect Rudy. He's a dynamite uh, broadcaster and reporter. But no, that was definitely the, the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure Oof. in The Godfather. Now imagine, uh, John, the tension here at WABC. Greg Kelly does not agree with that, uh, that it's the 59th Street Bridge. Uh, he also believes it was, uh, I believe, the George Washington Bridge or another bridge. And so it's created tension here in the ranks, John. Uh, it's a shame. But it's been a pleasure. I actually fell asleep on you last week, Curtis. What? You fell asleep <laughs> on me? What's but happening here? Was, First it was one and... Hold. I was on hold for like an hour and a half, and I just fell asleep. No, no I understand, but first it was Juan in Boston, then it was Eileen in Queens, Chris Libertini, that backstabber, turned it into a promo, and now John in Freehold had to acknowledge that he fell asleep on me. For how long? How long, John? Uh, probably two hours there. Uh, I woke up and you were gone. Madonna, my... I don't know what it is of late. But up next, you're not going to want to miss this. Frank Morano has blamed his wife, Rachel, for no longer picking up the tab for not inviting me to the christening of the 36-pound carmine. But now it gets worse. He blames his father just days before Father's Day. On the fact, well, I'm not going to give it away. But when you hear it, you'll say, my God, what a horrible son. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and You notice, ladies and gentlemen, how Chris Libertini has joined in tandem with Frank Morano and his Wrecking Crew staff to uh, make fun of me as a broadcaster. You notice he did a promo of Eileen snoring uh, as I went to her on the phone line. Avery was good enough uh, to put her online, and she had fallen asleep. And Chris Libertini, that little devil that he is, that demonic one, decided to turn it into a promo. And no doubt with the tactical air support of uh, of the uh, what they call the future and the here and now of talk radio, the golden calf of talk radio, the untouchable Frank Morano. And speaking of Frank Morano, he was envious the other day because 
Many animal rights activists have been gluing themselves to various fixtures in order to get their points across. Whether it was the hardwood of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves owned by Aroid. Yeah. Or uh, it was the counter of a Starbucks to protest the fact that vegan milk costs so much more than cow's milk. Frank decided that he was going to be jealous of the animal rights welfare community, including PETA. And he came up with a harebrained scheme of how he would glue himself to the back of a Coke truck in order to make a point about the cult. That's right, cult, C-U-L-T, that he's involved in. No, it's not Scientology. It's even worse. Maybe I can glue myself to, is there a Coca-Cola shop? I'll glue myself to a Coca-Cola machine until they bring back Tab. Right, because Coca-Cola owns Tab. They own the rights to it. They they stopped manufacturing it a year and a half ago. Maybe I can do that. Glue myself to a Coca-Cola machine. Now, can you believe this? He is a member of uh, a cult that's almost almost non-existent, like Shakers. You know, Shakers who would make such great furniture, but the primary belief of Shakers was not to fornicate or copulate or procreate. So they basically eliminated themselves. In fact, uh, Oprah Winfrey used to get all of her furniture uh, from the Shakers. But Frank Morano is part of this cult that lasted, had to be for at least about 20 years. He was a freaking tab drinker. Now think of it, tab. If I remember correctly, First of all, the only people who drank Tab, the diet drink of Coca-Cola, was women. You know, it's like uh, if you were a smoker of cigarettes and you were a woman, you might smoke uh, the normal cigarettes that a man would, but you had Virginia Slims. You'd never catch a man other than if he was a transgender or wanting to be identified as a woman, even though he had a male uh, anatomy. Smoking Virginia Slim cigarettes would never happen. It was just not manly. It was never manly to be with that, what was that, that pink can of tab? Diet with saccharin, which the FAA, FDA said was a cancer-causing agent. And here's Frank Morano promoting the drinking of tab. What happened? Diet Coke came along. You didn't see Donald Trump drinking Tab, did you? No, Diet Coke. You didn't see Rudy Giuliani, Michael Bonacic, drinking Tab. No, they drank Diet Coke. But Tab, people who drink Tab, the dying numbers of them, because they no longer exist. I'm sure it's entombed somewhere, you know, by these fanatics who are like in this time machine. They got to have their Tab. Or maybe as a replacement to Red Bull, Frank Morano was drinking the Tab Energy drink. Remember, it had the life of a tsetse fly. That's how long it lasted. Tab. That tells you a lot about Frank Morano. It's a cult following. Is there anybody out there who actually drank Tab? Did you identify yourself as a man at the time you were drinking Tab? Or even though anatomically you might have been a man, maybe you were identifying as a woman. Because I never remember a man's man drinking Tab.
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And in this ongoing envy and jealousy that he has for me, notice how Frank talks about me gluing myself for some purpose. I've never suggested that I'm going to do it. But, oh, Frank Morano, he's got he's to bring me into his cabal. Curtis and I were at the Ferry Hawks game the other day, and he said, well, why, why do they only take uh, credit cards? Why don't they take cash? And um, I, I said, Curtis, I, I, I don't know. I, again, I think you're confusing me with our boss, the owner of the team, John Katzmatin. Curtis wants to take all of his complaints, all of his concerns to me. He says, why, why aren't they playing the female? Well, they, we got it's the female. Not. Why don't they play her? I said, Curtis, I, I think, you know, Again, I like Edgardo Alfonso, but he doesn't consult with me about managerial decisions. I think you'd have to talk to him. But anyway, so Curtis was very upset that they don't take cash at the ballpark. Of course. But I got to go to Frank Morano because, you know, everybody points to Frank now. He's the golden child, the untouchable. Yeah, he'll have to speak to the manager of the Ferry Hawks, the former Matt Alonso. How come that woman hasn't been pitching and starting games, right? That, that's a natural. I had suggested that, but does anybody listen to me? No, Bubkis. Oh, God, I'm not the golden child. Frank Morano is. And then he weirds out on me talking about how maybe I should crazy glue myself or Elmer's glue myself to some kind of edifice. Maybe Curtis should glue himself to the cash register there. Maybe that would help. I mean, I, th- I think that certainly would bring a lot of attention to it. But, you know, if Curtis does it, he people are so accustomed to weird Curtis stump, stunts that I don't even know if it's news anymore. People would just say, oh, that's just Curtis being Curtis. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, oh, it's Thursday. It's Thursday. Curtis is just, this is his day to glue himself to things. How do you like that? Can you believe that? Here it is. I was not invited to the christening. He blamed his wife, Rachel, for that. Then he claims that, oh, he always picks up the tab. And I told the truth, that he's got alligator arms. But he blames Rachel for that now. You know, ever since he met Rachel, he grew a pair of alligator arms. But this, ladies and gentlemen, now that he mentioned the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, and the reopening of the Staten Island Stadium there in the North Shore right next to the ferry. It's baseball. It's what America's pastime used to be. It no longer is because, let's face it, it's smash-mouth American football. I've even resigned myself to that as much as I love baseball. But can any of you ever, ever forget those moments when... Your father took you out to play baseball the first time. You know, he taught you how to catch the ball, throw the ball, hit the ball, you know, even though you were, well, let's face it, nervous, wondering if you would be able to do it. But your dad, your dad was always uh, like giving you some confidence. Your, your practice makes perfect. I remember how your dad would say to you, practice makes perfect. You know, he, he bought you that first pancake mitten, you know, that came from uh, Korea. Uh, <laughs> Taiwan, a.k.a. Formosa. Remember, it, it didn't even have a Rawlings label or a Spalding label. It was a pancake mitt. 
and you put a, a hard ball in there and you put like 50,000 rubber bands on there to make a pocket. But your dad, your dad always coached you through that. As long as you like baseball, you know, it would be wrong if your dad tried to force you to like baseball. But there seemed to be a natural bond between fathers and sons when it came time to teach you the national pastime. At that time, baseball. I want you to listen to this ingrate, Frank Morano. I want you to listen who he blames for not being the baseball player that he should have. And let me preface this by saying he's a very good baseball player. I've seen him play softball, and he's very good at the basics. Uh, But this guy is a malingerer, a moaner, a groaner, and constantly seeks to blame others. In this case, his stand-up father, who I've met many times, and this is on the cusp of Father's Day, what a disgraziata, is I always loved the position of first base, and I still do. It's my favorite position to play. Now, when you're a kid, when I was 9, 10, 11, that's the position I wanted to play. But what happens when you're at first base? You don't throw. You don't exercise your throwing arm. And I really wish my dad, um, who in one year, especially a year, I think I was in fifth grade or so, when I was very good at baseball, uh, offensively and defensively, I wish he had discouraged me from playing first base and instead encouraged me to play third or something else because I got so accustomed to playing first base that, my throwing arm to this day is not what it should be in terms of accuracy. So then later on, as a teenager, when I tried to make the transition to third base, for the most part it was okay, but uh, sometimes I ended up making these really crazy wild throws because I didn't have the kind of experience making the throws from third base that uh, that a lot of other good third basemen did. And you believe that he was blaming his father for the fact that he throws erratically Remember Steve Sachs, the L.A. Dodger, he lost his ability to throw to first base. Remember? He was a great second baseman, Stephen Sachs. Did he blame his father? And Chuck Knobloch. Remember Chuck Knobloch? They brought him over from Minnesota. He was going to be all-world for the Yankees, and then all of a sudden he was playing second base. He couldn't make the throw to first base any longer. Did he blame his father? Frank Morano blamed his father. Keith Hernandez seemed to me, as a man, he was able to throw pretty damn good around that diamond. Likewise, Don Mattingly for the Yankees. Can you believe that this ingrate blamed his father for having him play first base, which he said he preferred to play, but that that interfered with his ability to throw, throw straight, like throw to second base, throw to third base, throw home. And because he was erratic in throwing the ball, instead of saying, you know, I should have practiced more, practice makes perfect. No, he blamed his father. You see, he blamed Rachel for not inviting me to the baptism of his 36-pound son, Carmine. He blamed uh, Rachel for no longer picking up the check, you know, when he goes out to eat, because let's face it, he drank six martinis alone. That'll kill your budget. So he, he really should, if nothing more, pick up at least the drink tab. Nope. He blames Rachel. Ever since he met Rachel, now he blames his father. Does he take responsibility for anything, Frank Morano? I ask all of you.
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then there is this Achilles heel that Frank Morano has, and he's acknowledged it here on WABC, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, reaching uh, parts of Europe, 38 states, uh, parts of Canada, and yes, right on down to Davy Jones's locker between Bermuda and Bahamas. Frank Morano disseminates incorrect information on a regular basis. He has a habit of doing this. And when he was a producer, I can't tell you how many times he'd be chiming into my ear and other hosts and hostesses' ears the wrong information, and we'd end up repeating it foolishly, and we'd sound stupid. Because he always had to jump in first. And, no, no, I know it. Like, it's Jeopardy. You know, I know it. I know it. This is better. Say this. Say this. And then you'd say it, and you would regret the day you would repeat what Frank Morano told you through your headphones. He acknowledges this. So there have been a handful of times as a producer where I, um, I I gave the host that I was working with incorrect information, and that um, that's very embarrassing. One time I told John Gambling that uh, Ed Klein had written the book Primary Colors. Now, and John mentions this in the context of interviewing Ed Klein because John figures he know I know what I'm talking about, and he goes with this. And Ed Klein did not write Primary Colors. Joe Klein wrote Primary Colors. And then it's interesting to hear kind of, you know, Ed Klein tried to politely correct John on that. And that was really embarrassing to me, even though the audience didn't know I had anything to do with that. Yeah, it was embarrassing to John Gambling, but he's such a gentleman. He he didn't complain about it. He did that to me so many times. I can't tell you how many times. You think maybe now that Frank Morano has acknowledged this, has admitted that he's given misinformation, that he should be the first person that is put before the disinformation governance board of uh, Joe Biden, you know, with that crazy lady. Frank Morano should be the first person put in front of this disinformation governance board of Joe Biden. Because... He does it on a habitual basis. Uh, here is wrong information about wrestling, what he claims that he is comp- passionate about. Hi. Um, I want to know background information on Stan the Man Stasiak, wrestler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know much about him, honestly. I know that he was a world champion and that he died about 30 years ago. He's a WWE Hall of Famer. And then I know his son uh, was also a um, a World Wrestling uh, Federation superstar. And I know that he was Canadian. Beyond that, I don't know anything about him. He was uh, from Buzzards Creek, Oregon. Oh, was he? Okay. I see. I always thought he was uh, born in Canada, but I, I, I stand corrected. See, so he goes to show you how little I do know about that. You see, this is typical of what Frank Morano would do as producer. He'd whisper in your ear, oh, he's from Canada. He's from Canada. And you would say it, and then a guy like this would call up and say, no, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. He's from Oregon. Frank would do this all the time. It's like Jeopardy. He's got to be the first to jump in. And most of the time, he's wrong. 
And then he gets into these silly squabbles, which sometimes would get the host of the hostess involved. Like, for instance, this nonstop argument he has with one of his callers about the height of Hulk Hogan. Andre the Giant was not seven foot three. He was six foot eight, 425 pounds. All right. Well, so and be it. I go and went years ago to all the hotels. But, but Steve, are we, are we just supposed to take your word for it? Do you have any documentary evidence on this? Any documentation? Did you, measure, did you measure Hulk Hogan? Did you tell him to stand still? Let me measure your height. The ah. guys are just throwing numbers in the air. I have a picture standing next to him. I'm five foot ten. Right, well, send me my the head picture. Is above his, send, my head is above his shoulders. Send me the picture. My head and, is above his shoulders. Send me the picture, and we will analyze it. God, getting into such a childish, boorish fight over the height of Hulk Hogan. But it gets worse, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's got too big a head. People, uh, he needs a crane to get him in, in and out of a room now when he does this broadcast because of how he has been fettered by management and ownership. But I've always told you that Frank Morano is the youngest guy who is really the oldest guy that I've ever known. I have no idea how old he is, but we know he's young. And yet he acts like he could be 80 or 90 years old and like he lives in a different era. He really does. Uh, He listens to Rudy Valley. That's one of his favorite songs, Brother Can You Spare a Dime. And under Biden's inflation, that may well become the theme song for those trying to survive. Al Jolson, those are his favorite, favorite singers. But then he was asked a simple question. It's like about high school. You know, he went to uh, Tottenville High School. He was a purple pirate. But listen to what he had to say. What year or what decade do you think, if you had a choice, you would want to graduate high school? Graduate high school. Um, It's a great question. Uh, You know, uh, Jennifer from Boston once asked what era I would like to raise a, uh, what decade I'd like to raise a child in. And I said the 50s, and I think I would pick the 50s for high school in the, um, in the, for the same reasons. It, again, I, I, I realized that it was not an idyllic time and that especially if you were a, a black person living in the South, it was a, a very difficult time. But, I, I, you know, we're all a product of our environment and where we come from. I think I would pick the 50s. Wow. You want to grow up in the 50s. You know, he likes Ike, Eisenhower. You know, I'm thinking uh, it's got to be a song that's synonymous uh, with uh, Frank. Sort of reminds me of a character. It's coming to me, coming to me. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. No, 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 not the 11 who was shot outside of uh, the Bucks Arena where they were playing a playoff game against the Celtics. No, no, but it was the Milwaukee area. In fact, uh, I want you... um, to come up, 162. 162, uh, Hollywood Bill Lee. It is the theme song for the era that Frank Morano would love to uh, have grown up in. See, he's not comfortable in his own skin of living at 2022. He's only comfortable if he could hear this music in the background and he could enter that time machine. 
and all of a sudden be immersed. Oh, I could easily see uh, Frank Morano in uh, Happy Days. You know, with Fonzie, you know, the guy associated with the Gambino crime family there in Milwaukee in the 50s. And he's not Ron Howard. He's not Richie Cunningham. No, no. But I, I think uh, Frank Morano, if he really wanted to be back in the 50s, he would be like Potsy. Remember Potsy in Happy Days? Not necessarily the sharpest knife in the drawer. But I could easily see him being Potsy. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Peter, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Peter. Hey, good evening, Curtis. Just want to tell you, I heard you make that announcement last night about the protest at Rockaway Beach. So I didn't catch the time of the protest. So um, what I did after your show was over, during the day, Saturday, I called a bunch of the businesses in Rockaway Beach, like the Surf Club and the hotel. Uh, those were Tiki Bar. And I asked them, would you happen to know when that protest is on, on Sunday at Beach 92nd Street, you know, because the beach is closing. And uh, they didn't know about it. So uh, I just wanted to let you know that a lot of businesses out there are not really aware of uh, the time of the protest, or even actually that the protest is even happening uh, on Sunday. Wow. You see that? Uh, the city of New York is trying to keep the vendors, the mom and pop uh, operators of their businesses, oblivious to what will be a demonstration uh, today at 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock uh, this Sunday, right? That's today. Right there on the boardwalk at Beach 92nd Street. It'll be by the residents of uh, Bell Harbor, Neponset, Rockaway Beach, Rockaway uh, and uh, Broad Channel protesting the fact that they're going to be closing the beach. Can you imagine this, though, Peter? How crazy. They're economically, they've been devastated by the lockdown and the pandemic there in the Rockaways, the small businesses. And now they're going to close the beach right after the Memorial Day weekend, which is when the beaches open up all through the five boroughs. They're going to close the beach for two months. Yeah, well, you know, the hipsters in Williamsburg and Bushwick, they're going out of their minds right now. Absolutely. They love, they love yep. coming to the Rockaways. It is the most pristine beach. It is the cleanest beach. The Atlantic Ocean coming in on you. The ambiance of the Rockaways. And naturally, you have the Ramones that are playing in the back of their head. Even the hipsters and millennials, even though they weren't birthed at the time of the Ramones... Uh, in their culture, they revived the Ramones as sort of a cult classic. And I'm telling you, Peter, uh, I got to put out a Paul Revere call to everybody out in the Rockaways. Let your merchants know. Let your family, let your friends know, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, if they no longer live there in the peninsula, the largest in America peninsula, most populated, then you got to come out. You got to support Rockaway as the city of New York tries to crush the economic life out of the little that still remains there, Peter. Can you believe this? Two months they're going to shut the beach down. 
they're going to go wild. This city needs this as an outlet just for people to just relax. Everyone's so stressed out. This crime, 20 hours a day. I don't know what people are going to do without a beach that's so well attended during the summer. It's just going to make crime even worse. It's really scary. By the, way, by, the way, the by the way, Peter, do you think these hipsters and millennials from uh, the northern part of Queens, the northern part of uh, Brooklyn, do you think they're going to be swimming in the East River? Really? Probably not. But to be honest with you, a lot of these people who do go to Rockaway Beach, these hipsters from Bushwick and Williamsburg, to be honest with you, a lot of them are gentrifiers and not even from New York originally. So in a way, I can do without them. I like the beach, but the hipsters I can do without. They're not native New Yorkers, you know. Ah, uh, but, but Peter, you know. they have revived so many neighborhoods that were in disrepair, abandoned. Uh, they have uh, colonized Rockaway Beach in the summers. They really love coming out there, and they've engaged the local vendors and the mom-and-pop shops. Uh, so I salute them. I don't oftentimes salute the hipsters and millennials, as you know. They didn't vote for me. <laughs> they did not vote for me for mayor. Although, wasn't it Eric Adams who told them all to go back to Iowa, go back to Ohio? You white millennial hipster crackers. Oh, he didn't say white millennial hipster uh, crackers, but everybody knew what he meant. And they forgave him. They forgave him. Me, I stand up for them so that they can hit the beach. In the Rockaways all summer long. And what do I get from them bupkis? I get ugats. Oh, but please, please, ladies and gentlemen, it's just uh, an hour or two out of your life. Show up at that demonstration at Beach 92nd Street, right on the boardwalk, to preserve the best beach in the five boroughs of the city of New York that should be open like other beaches right after the Memorial Day weekend. And instead, it's going to be closed. Is that a Shanda or what? Another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Favorite podcast platform. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. going to take you to the break of dawn, 6 o'clock in the next hour. We're not only going to recap what the uh, executioner did in Buffalo, killing 10, wounding an additional 3, but also uh, who uh, R. Kelly's uh, Maytag is in the Metropolitan Detention Center in Sunset Park. 
R. Kelly, that pedophile on a pedestal. Uh, remember his uh, famous song that actually Al Slim Shady Sharpton uh, used as his campaign song when he was running for mayor. I believe I can fly. Well, apparently he's serenading his Maytag in his cell, who is the subway shooter himself, Frank James. They get along splendidly. Oh, we'll tie those two stories together. But, oh, (laughs) that is absolutely incredible. That is off the hook, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, let's uh, go to the phones if we can. And it's uh, Joanne calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, uh, Joanne. Yeah. Well, I did vote for you, Curtis, but um, I want to say something nice about Frank Morano, and I want you to educate him if you speak to him. He followed in Bob Barker's work words at the end of the show, control the pet population, have your animals spayed and neutered. That's good, but it can sometimes be very expensive. Will you tell Frank to promote a birth control pill for dogs so we could not stop so we could stop killing so many around the world? Could you do that and speak to him to say we need a birth control pill for dogs? We have it for rats and mice, humane and deer and raccoons, but why not for dogs? No, 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 you make uh, a lot of sense there, Joanne. Uh, he does uh, an excellent job of promoting spading and neutering, as Bob Barker always did on The Prices, right? In fact, he did some of the best interviews with Bob Price that I have ever heard. Uh, I will suggest that. And also to my wife, Nancy, who, as you know, does the uh, Animal Welfare Hour. Well, that'll be coming up at 11 p.m. tonight to 12 noon. And then I finish my uh, always broadcasting uh, Curtis tour on the weekends. But that is a brilliant idea. Uh, I had thought that they were attempting to develop uh, condoms for dogs. No, it's a 25-year thing. There's corporations that don't want it, like the pet food industry and veterinarians. We had birth control food made by Carnation 60 years ago, and they had it taken off the market. But we're in a new age. We need birth control pill for dogs. And you have the power, you and Frank, to bring it to the attention. That's... That is a, a brilliant suggestion, Joanne, and I certainly will share that with Frank Morano, except there's a buffer between us now. You know, it's Dominic Carter. That's why he's specifically there Sunday going into Monday, so that I can't share this information with him on air. Wow, a buffer. Oh, and I got it for Dominic Carter in a few hours I was listening to his shows every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 1. And I see where he's going now, huh? He stabbed me in the back, too. Like the Ides of March. Remember? Who are the two people that stabbed Julius Caesar in the Ides of March, put the long knives in them? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Corey. In Palm Bay, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Corey. Hey, Curtis. Uh, 
I did not know that there was a birth control for uh, dogs and cats, but that's an excellent idea. No, Joanne, uh, Joanne is uh, promoting the concept, promoting the idea that it really should be for dogs and cats and other animals, especially those who so overpopulate that they have to yeah, end up you, being you killed. See all these strays. Yes. See all these poor stray animals, like, uh, you know, in whatever, uh, by motels or whatever, and uh, it's just terrible. But um, I did call... Uh, I had a, a great story about Breezy Point, and I've always loved going. I, I grew up in Manhattan Beach, and you can park during the week on the streets. It's the weekends that you can't park on the streets, but in the summertime, May fifth, May fifteenth to September fifteenth. Anyway, so I was out jet skiing at Breezy Point, and I came around the uh, jetty. And this massive sports fisherman with a massive wake, I jump it and I went way too fast and way too high in the air. And when I landed, everything in my center console that I had, including like my cell phone, uh, license, uh, safety stuff, all that was in this watertight container. That all flew out. Everything went flying everywhere. So now I'm looking around after I land. I realize that I've lost my water bottle, my glasses, everything, everything from the center console, all my registration, my phone. And this was like back when I just got the iPhone. So it had all my information in it. And I found my floating stupid wallet with $20 in it. But that waterproof package, I could not find it. So I say, oh, man, sit. You know, it's like with my license, all that. But I kept calling it for like two, three days. Just call it, see if there was a battery. I get a phone call. I get a phone call. Somebody answers the phone, and uh, he says, yeah, I have your phone. I was fishing out of Breezy. And uh, this package washed up, and uh, I picked it up, and uh, I have your phone. I'm right here in Sheepshead Bay. Come and come and get your package with all your stuff in it. Wow. In Sheepshead Bay. I so you had to go down to the old Lundy's location, huh? Yeah, and I was in Manhattan Beach, so it was no problem. And and, and what, you found everything in there intact? Everything intact. It was a, and the phone still worked, but it sunk, and I guess somehow it got washed up ashore. And he was out fishing at Breezy, and uh, he was an ex-fireman, and he gave me the package, and, and of course gave him a hundred dollars. Not that he asked me for it, but oh no, no, you did the right thing. You 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 did the solid thing. But uh, you do yeah. realize, Corey, why your package service uh, surfaced uh, once you thought you lost it in the Atlantic Ocean uh, by Breezing Point. Do you do know why it surfaced? Maybe, be, uh, maybe because I'm a decent person and Ooh. I do decent things. That helps. That helps. But and there was a decent person to pick it up and answer my phone and say. 
I have your phone. Yeah, so no, 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 no. There's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that was a stand-up guy. You were right to give him $100. But you don't understand. You were in Breezy Point, the Irish Riviera. You know who fished that wallet out of the drink, the Atlantic Ocean? Uh, that was the leprechauns out there. They're everywhere. I don't. Have you ever seen them out there in Breezy Point, the leprechauns? I, I haven't, but this was a probably 220-pound, foot-two African-American guy. No, 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 you don't understand. The African-American oh, guy the got it, but it was the leprechauns who retrieved it. Man, I've been out in Breezy Point so often. There's only like 5,000 people out there. I swear every second person is a leprechaun. Follow them around. They'll take you to a pot of gold. I guarantee you. That's why it's a controlled community. It's a private community. They don't let everybody in there. Because if they let everybody in there, you'd see the leprechauns like I've seen them. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-ABC. Let's go to Giuseppe calling from Ronkonkoma. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, Curtis. I was listening to you talk about Eric Adams and... uh... I have not seen him once, once, do anything for this city of New York. I mean, you as a guardian angel have done so much over the years. He sits, he makes speeches. You know, I, I think he's a nice guy. And, you know, but other than that, I uh, I don't see him doing a, anything. I want to also touch on the base. Now, now, hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on. You you didn't give him credit where credit is due. When a mayor has swagger, the city has swagger. (laughs) He's the swagger man, Joe. Yeah, let me tell you something. My my daughter wants to go see concerts at Madison Square Garden. I'm afraid to take her in. I'm afraid to take her in. I I hear what you're saying about the city, and I'm just, I'm scared, you know? Uh, but remember you were giving the horses last week? Well, I went up to Jake's to place a few bets. And, of course, I didn't win because of that, that horse that... Uh, the hillbilly, the hillbilly horse, uh, the lightning strike or whatever the hell that name is. I was walking out with my wife, and I said, you know what, let me throw 20 bucks to one of these machines. And she was like, she gave me the eye roll. And I hit for 180 bucks on $10. I walked away, I walked out of there, and I thanked you. I said, thank you, Curtis Lee, to get me to go play some OTB beds. I ended up walking away almost $200 richer. And, uh, and well, well, because you got, you got two of the three that I had picked to, to win place and show, that's uh, Excelsior uh, and uh, the other horse. Uh, so I had two out of the three. I had no idea this hillbilly horse was in on a scratch. He came out of nowhere. They've scratched him from the Preakness. He's not going to run uh, uh, in Baltimore in another week, which is a shame because then uh, if miraculously he won a second time, uh, imagine what it would be like at the Belmont Stakes, the final leg of the Triple Crown. If this guy had won, this horse had won two races going into Belmont Stakes, there wouldn't be enough room for all the fans. Yeah, yep, you're right. You're right. I don't know why they pulled him. Uh, but you were talking about Morano and um, it was Alligator Arms. And I listened to him talk, and my wife, too. Like, his wife was on Newsmax. Um, I think it was on Thursday, and she was talking about the baby formula situation. And I was listening to 
what a bright, uh, a great mother. They're pictures of uh, Carmine. He's so adorable. And, you know, she's like so, like, I don't know, down to earth. And, like, and I listen to Frank, and I love Frank. Frank's got a great show, and I listen to him, like you tell everybody to do, listen to him. But, like, like I don't understand, Curtis, where she's, like, totally, I, I know opposites attract, but she's, like, it, it baffles me that they're, like, you know, married because he's out partying. And he, he says it right on the air that she yells at him all the time because he's out partying having a good time and she's home with the kid doing everything and it's 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 sometimes sad you know but no 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 actually uh i know both of them she is a stellar journalist uh at times uh she uh, has written pieces although never nominated could easily have been nominated for a pulitzer prize uh but it's like the yin and the yang she's the anchor yeah. to their relationship Frank, uh, he, he said oftentimes he can't say no. So, for instance, Frank could have been up for 20 straight hours. 20 straight hours, he's got the clothespins in his eyelids to keep him going. Somebody will call him up and say, Frank, can you meet me at the diner? He'll go to the diner. He can't say no. He's even said that's his yeah. Achilles heel. Yeah, you're right. And you remember that time he was supposed to come out to my house in Ronkakuma? I got a notice in the mail that poor ping pong table that I rented for him to come play. And, you know, he needs to have a regulation ping pong table. He can't have any, like, knockoffs. They cleaned the guy that came to get the ping pong table from my house. We delivered it back. To, now they're trying to come after me for $1,800 for this ping pong table. My wife is, like, livid over this. Oh, I, I, don't, I can't blame her. I, I would tell you. That if that decision was Rachel, who's originally uh, from that area, she would have said, Frank, don't do that. Don't do that to this hardworking guy, Joe, and his family. But, you know, Frank, he just doesn't know how to say no. That's that's his number one problem. Let's go to Andrew, who's calling from uh, the Rockaways. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, uh, Andrew. Yeah, Curtis, I live in Rock. I lived in Rockway. Grew up there. I'd like to know if you know that in the 1950s, 1960s, that the Fort Tilden that's out there was housing nuclear warheads. Well, I know they had the uh, Nike uh, missile system, so they had silos, they had missiles. I don't, I didn't know that they had uh, nuclear warhead capability, but I do know that I tried to get close to those silos. And, boy, the military police, they were ready to put me in Leavenworth. That's what they told me. We'll put you in Leavenworth, kid, if you don't get out of here. Well, I had a great trip there, but if I knew I was sitting on a nuclear potential nuclear inferno, I don't know if I'd be so happy. You know? Well, I don't know if there were nuclear warhead uh, tips uh, on those uh, Nike missiles. I think they were more used for intercepting incoming missiles. But I'll study up on that. I'll be talking to some of the old codgers out there in the Rockaways. You know, some of the old Irish guys who probably remember when the uh, uh, actual uh, uh, silos were built. Apparently, they're still there. They won't let me on the property. You know, I'm banned in perpetuity because I had my JD card, your juvenile delinquent card, when I was a teenager. I was out there, right? Oh, wow, they got... Missiles and silos, they call them Nike, you know, not the sneakers, the Nike missile system. 
And the MPs, hey, kid, get out of here. We'll put you in Leavenworth. Anyway, let's go to Jim calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jimmy. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Great show as always. Two points I'm going to make for you today. Number one, my nephew, who did 20 years in the Navy, and uh, upon finishing his term with the Navy, married a girl. He lives down in Jacksonville, and he's an over-the-road driver for Walmart. He runs a couple of laps back and forth to Jersey uh, twice a week. And the over-the-road drivers view, especially the guys from the up in the north, they can't call. But my, my nephew said, hey, tell Curtis he's got a big following among the over-the-road drivers. And my second point is being a Vietnam vet and us, it kills us when this president opens his mouth and says, may God protect our troops. May God protect our troops from you. You are a, a plague. And Millie and Austin, these guys wouldn't notice their socks were on fire. <laughs> wouldn't notice if their socks were on fire. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. So when did you serve uh, in Vietnam? I was there all of 1969, Curtis. I went on April 23rd, 1968. And then when I came home in January of uh, 1970, I always remember, Curtis, you're a Brooklyn guy, when the plane was approaching Kennedy Airport, seeing the Veranzano Bridge, it was like, thank God I'm home. You know, and to all my brothers who died over there and all my brothers who served over there, welcome home, men. And, you know, it's 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 heartbreaking um, to see what, what this president's doing to our military. Yeah, well, you know... Uh... That Vietnam War, uh, Jim, that president then, who got us even more involved, supposedly uh, through the uh, LBJ. What a disgrace. He made it seem like the North Vietnamese were attacking us in the Gulf of Tonkin, you know, with little speedboats. And uh, if you want to hear you want to hear a a story in 1968, I graduate basic training on June 29th and I got a weekend pass and then I'm on my way to Fort Benning, Georgia for infantry training. And we put together some money and got this mess sergeant to give us his car. We drove to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the 4th of July weekend of 68. And we're trying to get a hotel room. We can't get a hotel room. And this guy approaches us. He says, listen, I'll let you sleep in the basement of the Holiday Inn. But on Saturday, you got to go on to the boardwalk and hand out leaflets. Yeah, okay. George Wallace for president. I'm on the boardwalk in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, handing out leaflets. George Wallace for president. Wow. He's got a place to sleep. You know, and it wasn't soon after that George Wallace was shot in that strip mall parking lot by Arthur Bremer. Where did Arthur Bremer come from? Milwaukee. You know, it's like all roads seem to lead to Milwaukee. I mean, some really big screwballs in life have come out of Milwaukee. Remember who was the guy who ate his victims? Remember? Where did he come from? Milwaukee. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We can never forget... The sacrifice made by the Vietnam veterans, especially as uh, our caller had mentioned, those who came back in body bags. The average age of a man who was serving in the military at that time was 19. 19. That was unheard of. And remember, it was a draft. It wasn't the professional military you had now. And they crawled into the belly of the beast in Vietnam. They were told, oh, it's an unpopular 
uh, government there, Ho Chi Minh in the north, the black pajama Viet Cong in the Mekong Delta. And it turned out they weren't as unpopular as uh, we made it out to be. First JFK, then more importantly, LBJ, who escalated it to a point by making up this Mekong, excuse me, the Gulf of Tonkin situation in which I'll never forget as a kid, I'm watching it on TV. He says, we were attacked by the North Vietnamese in the Gulf of Tonkin. We got to escalate, escalate. And all true patriotic Americans say, that's right. We got to stick it to them. Turned out, never happened. Never happened, ladies and gentlemen. He made it all up. Don't trust your politicians. I don't care whether they're Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, libertarian. Don't trust your politicians. They got to prove everything. Because so many times we've had endless numbers of young men die as a result of lies perpetrated by our government. We're still looking for the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, huh? Now, how did that work out, huh? Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Here's Curtis Lewa. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a new singing duo. They practice every day at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Sunset Park, the federal lockup. Yes, Frank James, the subway shooter, the one, remember, who shot 10 and unloaded 33 shots and then uh, his 9mm jammed. He's housed in the same jail cell as R. Kelly. That pedophile on a pedestal. As he awaits sentencing on June 15th, R. Kelly could end up getting life in prison. So he needs a Maytag. And apparently uh, Frank James loves to have a carousel over him. Likes to uh, wear some of those uh, Klingon clothes that they give you in the lockup. And pretend to be Celine Dion. This is this is what they're practicing every day in their jail cell. 
And the guys in the Metropolitan Detention Center in Sunset Park, they're like all lit up. Apparently, both get along. They actually sit together, eat together. Frank James is R. Kelly's Maytag. Wow. They talk about TV shows. They go out in the rec area together. They're best buddies. Butt buddies. Oh, my God. Apparently, recently, uh, R. Kelly silenced a crowd in the visiting room at the MDC when he stood in his jail fatigues and gave an a cappella performance of his chart-topping hit, I Believe I Can Fly, which was co-opted by Al Slim Shady Sharpton when he ran against Ruth Meshuggah the Messenger in the Democratic primary to take on Michael Baticic, Rudy Giuliani. Try to prevent him a second term of saving our city. Sharpton lost to Ruth Meshuggah the Messenger, but his theme song was R. Kelly, that pedophile on the pedestals, I believe... I can fly. The MDC correctional officers watched in stunned silence, and Frank James was seen crying there. Apparently, R. Kelly often sings as if he's back on tour, bringing joy to everyone in earshot. R. Kelly also sings alone in his cell, and especially when Frank James comes to visit him as his Maytag, loudly enough for other inmates to hear. He does live performances and all. R. Kelly is not in control of who he is housed with. The federal authorities wanted to stipulate those who are in charge of the Metropolitan Detention Center in Sunset Park. But everybody knows whatever R. Kelly wants, R. Kelly gets. And he has bonded with the subway shooter, Frank James. Did you hear that, anybody else, uh, anywhere else? Did you hear that on radio? Did you see that on TV? Did you read that anywhere? No, you got it exclusively here on the Curtis Sleewa Show as we wind you towards the 6 o'clock hour to the break of dawn. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The lead headline this morning, R. Kelly. And the subway shooter, Frank James, have coupled up in jail. They share a jail cell at the MDC. Oh, isn't that nice to know? The birds of a feather flock together. But the story of the day, bar none, is what transpired up in Buffalo, in East Buffalo where an 18-year-old named Peyton Gendron had been planning for many weeks, many months, as he was to acknowledge this attack to try to kill and maim as many African-Americans as possible. He is from a small town, Conklin, uh, New York, in Broome County, population 5,000, 200 miles from uh, southeast Buffalo. He had uh, killed 10 Shot a total of 13, three survived, and he live-streamed it on social media. He was wearing tactical gear and was armed with an assault weapon. 
He was at the Topps Friendly Market. This occurred at 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. Uh, it was just at the time that I was on uh, joining uh, Anthony Weiner right here at WABC. We're on uh, Saturdays from 2 to 4. He opened fire in the parking lot. He killed three people and injured a fourth and then went inside and immediately was confronted by the retired Buffalo police officer who shot at him. He actually got the first shot in, but it hit his body armor. And then uh, Peyton Gendron returned fire with his Bushmaster automatic weapon, semi-automatic, and continued his rampage as he went up and down the aisles looking for African-Americans to kill and maim. In fact, he had said in one of his posts, if he shot a black guy or a black gal in the aisle and they were on the ground, he would fire a second shot into their chest to guarantee that they would be killed. And uh, on his uh, manifesto, apparently he looked up to uh, the crazy guy who had gone into two separate mosques back in 2019 in New Zealand in Christchurch and killed 51 and maimed so many others. That was a hero of his. In fact, he said an inspiration, as was the gunman who walked into that Walmart right on the border with El Paso and Juarez, in which he killed 20. And he said that while he was lollygagging around at the start of the lockdown and the pandemic in March of 2020, by May, he was bored out of his mind. He began surfing. He came across a few uh, sites. Remember, this is all what he has posted. And said that he was immediately, immediately motivated by the great replacement theory. This great replacement theory states that white Americans are at risk of being replaced by people of color. In fact, he got so engrossed in the great replacement theory that that was the motivation to himself become a weapon of mass destruction against as many blacks as he could come across and from his small location, Conklin, uh, New York. He determined that the most number of blacks that he could come across and shoot and kill would be in East Buffalo. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When he uh, entered that parking lot, he had already determined what parking spot he would uh, park in. He had been planning this for months. He put on his uh, military helmet. Attached to it was a cameraman. That would brought a camera that would broadcast the attack live on the service Twitch, and this is a live streaming uh, element that is owned by Amazon, popular with a lot of gamers. Uh, Twitch took the uh, channel offline soon after the carnage took place. Interesting. Uh, after he had done his dastardly deed, he was cornered in the supermarket, top supermarket. Two uniformed uh, police officers uh, of the Buffalo Police Department approached him. Uh, he put a uh, he put that Bushmaster rifle to his neck. He was ready to blast himself to the hereafter. Uh, they talked him out of it. He took off his body armor. He took off his helmet, the camera, laid down his gun. They took him into custody, and he was arraigned and charged with first-degree murder within hours. A grand jury will be assembled. They will hear the evidence starting on Monday. 
And as soon as this came out, there was a cacophony of Democrats who were screaming that this is just another signal that there is a need for stricter gun control. In fact, United States Senator Gillibrand, who was in a march to prevent the repeal of Roe v. Wade across the Brooklyn Bridge with many other women and some men, started screaming that she is dedicated to defeating the scourge of white supremacy. White supremacy. She was like uh, a jack-in-the-box, out of the box. All she kept saying was white supremacy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. On a dozen pages, this gunman, Peyton Gendron, described what tactical gear was best for similar attacks, including knives, vests, and medical equipment. He said in his own post, conservatism is dead, and that progressives, uh, progressive advocacy for equality was wrong because he claimed the average black man had a lower IQ than an average white man. And again, he reiterated that the reason he went to that particular top supermarket in East Buffalo was that he had already figured out the analytics that it had the highest percentage of black people that he would run across in western New York. So interesting. Having posted this on the uh, networking site Discord, uh, these posts were made on a private server. And private servers tend to be invitation only and less visible. But apparently law enforcement was able to get their hands on it quickly after the shooting. He was charged with a hate crime. And the case is considered racially motivated, violent extremism. He said he was uh, inspired by other white supremacists, their acts of violence, Dylan Roof who in 2015 killed nine black parishioners in that church in South Carolina after coming in and sitting with them during their service. But he was most motivated by Brenton Harrison Tehran. Never, never trust anybody with three names. This person radicalized him by what he had done. He got a sentence, triple life without parole in New Zealand for killing 51 Muslims on their day of prayer, Juma, at two separate mosques in Christchurch in New Zealand. Total population of about 5 million, two separate islands. And he had ended up watching the live stream of those attacks and read the writings of Brenton Harrison Tarrant, who was out to kill as many Muslims as he could and maim them. He named the Bushmaster semi-automatic that he used, the assault rifle. He constructed a full-time line detailing which parking spot he would drive to, where he would eat before. And imagine, he was already concerned about lunch before he would start executing blacks in top supermarket. And he was also uh, fixated on where he would... uh, where he would live stream the violence. He had carefully studied the layout of that top supermarket many months in advance, and he had written that he knew that that security guard was a former police officer, Buffalo police officer, and that he would have to shoot him if he was to be successful near the entrance, which he ended up doing, and then walked through the aisles and shot at black shoppers and uh, black workers in that supermarket 
And again, as I had mentioned, if he was successful in shooting them the first time, if they were laying on the ground, he would shoot them twice then in the chest to guarantee that they would die. Uh, This uh, individual, this 18-year-old shooter, is a former student at SUNY Broom Community College near Binghamton, probably there for a cup of coffee. He was only 18 years old. And he got radicalized uh, during that uh, pandemic, went to 4chan, an anonymous forum, including its message board, in which he got obsessed with the fact that white people are at risk at being replaced. And again, he said in many of his posts that he was patiently and passively preparing for the attack in Buffalo for several years, purchased the ammo and gear himself, infrequently practiced shooting. And this past January wrote that plans are getting serious and that he was close to completion of the dastardly deed. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. People have published screenshots of the broadcast, that live stream that he had that was circulating online. And in uh, one of them, you can see the shooter holding a gun, standing over a body in the grocery store. He had a list of instructions the shooter had made for himself. The to-do list included continue writing my manifesto right on up to the moment I step out of the uh, vehicle, put the body armor on, the helmet, the camera, and then grab the Bushmaster. That he had to test the live stream function before the actual attack on the messaging platform Discord. And so it turns out that this guy was meticulous and methodical in his planning, had thought about this for quite some time, did not appear to vacillate, did not appear to uh, bend or fold, and just move forward. Now, is he a lone wolf? Is he motivated by other co-conspirators? So far, nothing has surfaced that would indicate that. It seems like he's a lone wolf. What are the circumstances of his upbringing? Uh, There's no mention of his mother or father in the small town he grew up in, of 5,000 near Binghamton. Uh, And uh, most importantly, I think uh, there is a lesson to be learned from this uh, latest uh, killing. It just seems to permeate our society from time to time, regardless of what the motivation or the ideology is, is that politicians immediately seem to jump up and down like a jack-in-the-box. In this case, uh, it was disgraceful that the governor, Kathy Hochul, who had come out of quarantine, she just got over COVID-19, gave the graduation uh, presentation earlier in the day on Saturday uh, at Albany University, and then flew to the scene of the carnage in Buffalo. Uh, She is uh, from Erie County, was born and raised there, made her political bones there. But she was sniping at uh, Tom Swazi, who was up in Buffalo campaigning with his lieutenant governor candidate. He was sniping at her, uh, almost alleging that she was responsible for what had happened uh, just hours before. And you say to yourself, hey, guys, gals, uh, stop. You don't know anything about this shooter. You don't know anything about his background, his ideology. 
and you, 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 you're taking shots at one another because your primary for the Democratic nomination to become the next governor of the state of New York is June 28th. You don't think you can, like, pause and let this uh, affair be sorted out before you start taking pot shots? And there was Gillibrand. Oh, this is an act of white supremacy. And this is the danger in America, white supremacy. And I'm like, hey, lady, are you kidding? The biggest problem you have in East Buffalo on a regular basis, and not just in that area, Maston Park, but the area I spent time organizing the Guardian Angels, the fruit belt, is blacks killing blacks, blacks shooting blacks, blacks robbing blacks. It's not the fear of some white supremacist coming to a supermarket like Tops, pulling out a Bushmaster or another weapon of war, and destroying as many black people as he could see or shoot at. And, you know, Buffalo is a devastated area, seen better days. The 70s reached uh, about its apex, and then it was all downhill after that. A lot of the population fled to Amherst, Cheektowaga, Tonawaga, the surrounding suburbs, and many of them are in Florida as we speak. city has been devastated. And this is a situation now that will scar the psyche of many in Buffalo who've had so many problems to overcome to begin with. But politicians making this a political issue when they don't even know all the facts? But this is so typical. This is why I I don't trust politicians. Uh, You know what was happening behind the scenes. As soon as information came out, as soon as the headlines were read, the uh, different camps were already posturing as to how they can make hay out of this, how they can benefit their own campaigns. How might this benefit, in this particular case, the Democrats in the midterm election? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to the phones. It's uh, Ina who's calling from uh, Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ina. Gee, what happened to Ina? Hello? Oh, Ina, I thought you went to sleep on me. I did. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm getting nervous. A whole bunch of folks of late have gone to sleep on me. There was Juan in Boston. There was Eileen in Queens. There was our caller in New Jersey who said he fell asleep for two hours and then was woken up just in time. Tell me, you didn't fall asleep on me, Ina. I did a little bit. Sorry about that. Oh, oh. I call, I, I call you to recommend you on the, the news that you gave on the, the incident that happened in, in Buffalo. It was so good. I mean, you you did it so well because I heard about I I didn't know about it. I heard a little bit on ten ten win, but give all the details and everything. It was so sad. Yes, that's what I, I called to tell you. And then I want to mention about the beach Rockaway. Yes. Why are they protesting in um Curtis? Because it's for their good. They did it in in Coney Island, and when it was, it was. So beautiful. They took out the sun from in the middle and clean up the 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 beach and put it out on the beach and it's higher and clean. It's gonna be beautiful. And they only can do it in the in the summer when it's warm. And the sun is you know, they can't do it in the winter. So it's gonna be a little convenient, but it's gonna be so beautiful. When it's finished I'll visit out there. I know, but either the stores that remain out here, especially along 116th Street, which is the main uh, 
location for the mom and pop shops. They're not going to survive if the beach season right. is closed in the Rockaways. They have no way oh. of paying their rent, their leases. They'll rent. it'll all be yeah. empty. It'll be empty, Ina. Oh. By the way, when was the last time you were in the Rockaways, Ina? I don't visit Rockaway Beach because it's too it's too fast for me. I go to Manhattan Beach and Coney Island. Yeah, you mean the surf is too fast. It comes in fast and it pulls you yes. out fast. Yes, yes. And I love it so so I stick to I like Manhattan Beach. I go to Manhattan Beach every summer with my daughter and my grand grandkids. I will tell you, though, just some advice, because I've been to uh, all the beaches in the city of New York, the beaches in Staten Island, uh-huh. Orchard Beach in the Bronx, uh, been to the uh, beaches, obviously, in Queens and in Brooklyn. But you got to be careful of Manhattan Beach because of its location right near Jamaica Bay. They have a lot of fecal matter in the water there. It's not the cleanest water. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I, I, I But... I've never been to Rockaway. I've never been. Uh, I've been to the one in in Long Island one time. That was back in the days. Uh, so there was uh, Robert Moses Park. Yeah. No. Jones Beach. Jones Beach. Yeah. Why well, it was traffic was was bad. It was hectic. So I would I would recommend over on the North Shore so that you're in the Long Island Sound where you don't have that same kind of fast wave coming in and out, which can scare people. Uh, you check on Sunken Meadows Park. It has a nice picnic area. There are trees, grass. And then you have the beach there. You have the playground. Uh, it's a lot slower. Oh, where is that, Curtis? Where is that? That's in the North Shore, the North Shore. So what you were talking about, Robin Moses State Park, Jones Beach, that's the uh-huh. South Shore. That's the Atlantic Ocean. So those waves come in and they come out. There's an undertow sometimes. It can be a little scary for swimmers and those who venture out into the uh, surf. But I would suggest to you, Ina, to you and your family, that you try Sunken Meadow Park out in the North Shore of uh, Nassau County. Uh, I remember that as a kid. Boy, that was paradise. Uh, we go to Sunken Meadow Park. Uh, my Aunt Mary and Uncle Steve would say, wow, this is great. Picnic area, trees, big playground, handball courts, basketball courts, lots of room, and then naturally the beach itself. And I wonder how many of you remember the good old days in Sunken Meadow Park. And what has become of Sunken Meadow Park in the here and now? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. All night long, this is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. House is good as quick as a cell. Rally around the family. Pockets full of shells. Rally around the family. With a pocket full of shells. They rally around the family. With a pocket full of shells. Rage Against the Machine, 
Just a few hours, I'll return to all of you from 3 to 5, and I'll have many of the late-breaking details in the background uh, of what led this 18-year-old executioner to kill 10, shoot an additional 3 at that Buffalo supermarket in the east side that so many of the politicians are making hay with as we speak, padding their own agenda. But I want to change uh, the stride a little bit to what I've been witnessing in Central Park of late with Nancy and our 18 rescue cats that we share in a 328-square-foot apartment on the Upper West Side. We're right in proximity to uh, Central Park. So we get a chance to walk around. And I will tell you, it is amazing uh, what I have seen of late. Now that the uh, pandemic and the lockdown have eased up, they've opened up the men and the women's public laboratories. And I always wondered why women didn't rebel every time they build public laboratories for women and they build them for men. Men go in and out. Women seem to be lined up forever. And all of a sudden, Women in Central Park are bum-rushing the men's bathrooms because these females have opted that they're not going to stand online any longer. That whoever the architects were that built these uh, female bathrooms never considered what they have to go through in lining up. And so they've decided to run into the men's rooms. In one situation, eight women ran in not even knowing one another. And they're going into the men's room with men there who didn't say anything. And the men were disturbed, but the women were saying, hey, we're not going to stand online 15 or 20 minutes. It's like, how come we don't have the amenities that a men's public bathroom has? It's like, how many times have you been into theater? And, you know, all of a sudden they give you a warning, five minutes, five minutes to showtime. And you notice that a lot of the women will just run into the men's rooms. They'll just share the men's rooms because they got to do what they got to do in order to get back uh, for showtime. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You would think that rather than screaming about white supremacy, Senator Gillibrand would be screaming about the need to have more bathroom facilities and space for women. She's a woman. She knows about this. I mean, you would think this would be a great campaign for politicians. Campaign on this election issue, and it's a winner because most of the voters are women. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I mean, the guy runs in and he uses the urinal. But the women need twice as much space because let's face it, they're getting locked up in a stall. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's uh, go to Al, who's patiently been on the uh, line in Amityville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. <laughs> yeah, Curtis, good morning. First of all, I, I fell asleep on you from, from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock. My dog, Pookie, stayed up and listened to the show. That's <laughs> That's number one. Number two... I got three quick ones for you, all right? Uh, Frank, uh, our boy Frank Manano, you know, he likes to, you know, he likes being around the gangsters. 
when he goes to uh, AC, he ain't going there when it's crowded because he could be around the mob. He could be around the mob. And he likes playing blackjack because he likes the dealer saying you want to hit. Oh, one more. There's one more. Remember the other, last night you were talking about uh, the diapers years ago? Your mother used to wash the diapers and then wash them and then rinse them out and then put them on the clothes hanger. It was real rough for my mother because I was still in them when she... Oh, boy. Okay, Curtis, on a serious note, if I'm still... No, 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 hold on. Now, uh, tell us, uh, for our consumption and our edification, how long did you practice those three lame jokes that you just dropped on us like a neutron bomb? Okay, I tell you, Curtis, they didn't come out too good, really. My delivery real bad but no i do it during the day i write you know i write down i write down the shtick and i uh and and that's it i i uh you know i tell you on the phone well, well this is what i'd like to do al because you have um uh you have actually rehearsed for us quite a few times your new lines we have become your audience you know it's like uh you get a uh uh, you get a Jerry Seinfeld, he'll go to a club to try out some new lines. Uh, you know, it's not advertised. Uh, he'll appear at open night just to see if the lines work. Al, you use our audience likewise. I'd like to ask our audience, what do they think of uh, Al's comedic ability? Uh, his time that he spends, uh, he labors away. He clearly uses a sharpened number two pencil and spends many hours preparing these jokes, uh, oftentimes which uh, they're kind of flat, they're kind of lame. What what might our listeners out there suggest for Al uh, in the future? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Did you ever think that, Al, maybe your time could be better spent uh, doing other things? Curtis, you know something? I look, you know, just like all, all your listeners, they look forward to I mean, no, really, I could go into a big thing, but you're, you're out. You're really, you're, you're good. You're good, Curtis. Curtis. Well, like I said, don't first... stroke me. Don't kiss my no. tuchus. Uh, Cur- and Cur- think you're going to work your way out of these lame jokes of yours, Al. No, no Curtis, I'm not. See something before on the serious side, which is hard for me to do. I, I want to figure this out. I have an AMFM. I got an AMFM portable radio. Um, I just hooked up my uh, my Alexa, so I listen to you on a Bluetooth, what have you. You know, what happens is when I put the little portable radio on, I know there's a delay, but I put my radio on, I'll listen to you on, and then the Bluetooth, the other the echo, you'll hear, you know, you'll come like a minute later. You'll, it'll be like what I hear in the radio. It's like, you know, it's, you know what I'm trying to say? You'll come out. Like two minutes later on the radio, they won't coordinate with each other. Why? Why does that? If you understood my English, Al, Al, uh, are you disturbed, Al? Oh no, no, just nervous. That's all. Oh, okay, all right. No, no, no. There's nervous. Yeah, so you have anxiety, right? Uh, I, I may not be aware of it, but I probably do. <laughs> probably half your call is hung up already. No, 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 uh, no. It's quite all right. Uh, look, if uh, I can put my callers to sleep, so can you. Uh, <laughs> Did you ever think, uh, because you uh, uh, sound, you appear to be stressed out, that maybe you might want to smoke a bong, you know, just uh, sort of like totally chill out? Yeah, Curtis, I'd, I'd be worse off if 
I did that, I, you know, yeah, I'd be off. When I, if I do smoke, I got I can't be around people. I get too paranoid. Oh. So I get, you know. Now, have you done that over the years, Al? Oh, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Has, you know, it, has it created the juices uh, so that you could actually pop better jokes than these lame ones that you're bouncing off of us? The only thing that I improved. Because I, I play the bongo drums. I, I love Latin music. Oh, that, bongo yeah. drums. Yeah, I, yes, yes. I, I'm very good, very self-taught. Were you, well, uh, were you the guy in the park who at 4 o'clock in the morning would be beating those bongo drums, keeping all the working people up all night who had to go to no, work early in the morning? No, Curtis, no. Curtis, again, while, you're on, while I'm on a roll with you, I didn't expect to be on no, a roll. No, 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 wait a second. You're not on a roll with me. If anything, oh, you're right. you're like digging yourself a grave here. I am. That's, you're right. You're right. You know some Curtis, when I call you up, if I feel the phone call don't go well, I mean, I'm, I messed up the whole day. I just didn't feel like I projected myself too well on the radio. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. Uh, you're projecting. All right. Look, practice makes perfect, right, Al? Didn't your mother ever teach you practice makes perfect? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, um, I still got a lot of practice to do. Well, no, no, no. In fact, we're going to give you more time to do that practice. Not on her mind. That was painful. I'd rather have root canal surgery than listen to Al's lame jokes. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I really blame Frank Morano for that, for encouraging people to tell jokes. Man, bad. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Cassell, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Cassell. That's Kissel. Kissel. Oh, it's cold out. How cold is it? It's cold out. How cold is it? My wife comes home, asks, what's the matter? I tell her it's chilly. She runs outside with a sweater. Oh, it's cold out. How cold is it? You know what a machete is? That's a guy in the desert. He has a cape on with one over his head, two gold ropes around, one his head, one his waist, camel in the back with a candy cane, the moon and the star, lips, two so just for lips with a, with, a, with, a, with a cigar in it, sitting there contemplating a the table, my shud. Huh? You're a mashad. God. And these are all Frank callers and listeners. You see, he started something that we can't end. Everybody wants to tell jokes now. They all think it's open night here, you know, open microphone night at WABC. The 50,000 powerful watts of sound. They can reach 38 states, parts of Canada, parts of Europe, and even the sailors who've gone down to Davy Jones' locker between Bermuda and Bahamas were heard actually saying the last thing in the world they did was listen to WABC. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Troy. It's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here, uh, Troy. It's good to hear you. Um, I've been talking to a lot of my friends about that barbecue in the second week of August, and I'm really excited about you coming. This has given a, a life of its own. The, bar, the barbecue second week of August? Uh, Hello? Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Troy, Troy. Let me get you straight. What is it that you want from me, Troy? What is it that you want from me and our listeners here? Well, we, we plan a barbecue, barbecue the second week of August, you know, in Long Island. 
and wants to come, and he's getting life of his own right now. Oh, so uh, maybe I can take the D train out there, huh? Huh? What do you I think, Andre? I mean, you, you got the, oh, limo to come pick me up. You got the uh, Olympic-style swimming pool in the backyard? Uh, we'll find one. Wow, man, you you really want me to come out there. Where in Long Island are you? I'm, I'm here by my park. N- near, oh, near Belmont Park, where they're going to have yes. the third leg of the Triple Crown soon. Well, hold on a second, Troy. You realize maybe that's when I can drop by. Triple Crown, Belmont Stakes, not going to be interesting this year because that hillbilly horse that won uh, Churchill Downs uh, against all odds, an 80 to 1 shot, has been pulled from the Preakness. Wow. Could you have imagined? If, what is that, lucky strike, don't strike back, had run in the Preakness and won, you wouldn't have enough room at Belmont Stakes. And let's face it, that is a huge track that takes up half of the course in Nassau and half of the course in Queens. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Boy, Troy, you're going to have to make your inducement, your enticement a lot better than that. I don't sell out for dirty water hot dogs and hamburgers, pal. Let's go to Gino, who's calling from Matza Pizza, a.k.a. Massapequa. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gino. Hey, first of all, I love the show. And number two, they don't pay you enough for what you just went through the last couple of callers. But God bless you. Uh, going back up to Buffalo, um, these politicians that cause a lot of stress bring out the worst in these crazy people, uh, these people are a little off center. And it's the stress of this COVID and what these politicians did. Meanwhile, they're partially responsible. They didn't calm public fear. They're feeding the fire of public fear. Yeah, so no, no, you're, you're absolutely it, correct. It's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But, you know, they're, they're still feeding them. They're still shoveling a little gasoline on these fires. Well, remember, this is the trifecta, the trinity, the troika for Democrats in the face of the midterm elections. They figure they're going to use January 6th. Now they have the potential repeal of Roe v. Wade. And now they can get back uh, to saying what they always said, that the biggest danger to America is not uh, foreign, uh, the red Chinese, but rather white supremacy. They were going to try and come, they were going to come up with they're brainstorming for even more ideas that they could possibly come up with. But ultimately, when you're driving somewhere and it's $5.15 a gallon, you can't hide that. You can't, you can't do anything about that because it's right in your face. Same with inflation. Same with the cost of everything and the supply chain. They can't run from that. And that's ultimately affecting Democrats, too. So, but these shootings, any of this, any of this stuff where you have these people that are just walking society's thin line, you know, it's going to happen more and more or less and less, depending on, you know, what the media is putting out there and these politicians, because they're hand in hand. There's no doubt. And in fact, uh, the interesting thing, uh, Gino, in the aftermath of these shootings, the first response of politicians is to meet with their staff and see how they can exploit it uh, in terms of the spin that they put on it. How does it uh, affect their agenda? 
And that was certainly true earlier today. Uh, Gillibrand. And, and again, I have to keep hitting on U.S. Senator, the junior senator of New York, Gillibrand, because she was chosen by Chuck Schumer to replace Hillary Rodham Clinton, who decided to become Barack Obama's uh, secretary of state. And so there was a battle. You had on one side Barack Obama and you had Michael Bloomberg who wanted Caroline Kennedy who could not chew gum and think at the same time. And Chuck Schumer, who uh, convinced uh, David Patterson, the governor at that time, what do we call him, my brother-in-law? I don't know. I forget the, the term we call him. Uh, but convinced him that he should choose, since it was the governor's choice, to replace uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton for the U.S. Senate seat, replace her with Gillibrand. Gillibrand, when she served in Congress uh, in the greater Albany area, was a gun-toting Annie Oakley type who got top ratings from the NRA. She loved guns. And Schumer said to her, you want to be U.S. Senator of New York, you got to give that up. And within a, 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 a five-minute gap, she had an epiphany. She was no longer Miss NRA. She was no longer Annie Oakley. She gave up her guns, of which she owned many rifles and semi-automatics and suddenly became a (laughs) gun control advocate, something she had never been before. But it just goes to show you time and time again, Bush 41. Remember, uh, he was tapped to be the vice president for Ronald Reagan after his choices didn't work out. They said, hey, Ronnie, you want to win Texas in addition to California? That's a slam dunk. Almost a guarantee that you'll be the next president of the United States. We need Bush 41 on the ticket. Uh, And a delegation went to speak with Bush 41, who was pro-choice. And they said, all you got to do is just say you endorse the Republican platform, which is anti-abortion, even when it comes to rape and incest. And within six hours, he endorsed the platform. Gave up his pro-choice. Again, it's for the benefit of not society or humanity. Oftentimes, it's for the benefit of whatever political position you seek. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Jeff in Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jeff. Curtis, great. Just a man, you know. Uh, There's a couple of people in history in New York. LaGuardia's one. Curtis Lee was at least number two or 1A. Uh, But anyway, uh, the the Democrats here, this uh, phony outrage with every issue that comes along, uh, whether that was the the abortion thing, phony outrage, uh, that's the white supremacy thing. I went to a Trump rally down here in Wildwood, New Jersey, Curtis. I'm not a white supremacist. I, I remember that. No. I remember that. That was a huge crowd there on, uh, off the boardwalk at Wildwood. And it was smooth. There was, there was no acting up. There was no carrying on. Uh, there was FBI. There was uh, Secret Service. Some of the FBI I don't trust, to be honest with you. I think they're prov- uh, provocateurs. Um, but the other thing, um, the question thing that they're, they're, they're crying about now that uh, when I was young, and I'm not proud of this, Curtis, it was just a way of life for men and for young women, um, you know, 20s, maybe early 30s. So I hook up, um, I knocked up a young young woman. I was a younger guy. I took her out to Leopard's Hospital. You know, um, out on Leopard's Boulevard, right? there used to be a clinic and a hospital out there. 
You, you, are you familiar with that, that, that yes. place? I don't know if it's still there. No, I don't believe it's still there, but I was uh, familiar with it when it existed. So I, I, we went there. I paid out of my pocket for the abortion. No problem. The point is they were using uh, abortion as birth control. And, if I, you know, I'm responsible for what I did. I went into my pocket. I dug the money out. I paid for it. Um, that's the way that was. Curtis, I know you're, you're out of time. I want to give you one last trivia to end with sort of on an upbeat note. Um, uh, Johnny Maestro, he played in the Brooklyn Bridge, right? Yes. You, you know who I'm talking about? Oh, I saw him um, out at Old Westbury performing. Great singer. Cousin Brucey likes him, by the way, and he never got his due. So he, he's known for the, being in the Brooklyn Bridge. But you know, the question to you, and, and you know everything about New York, so you're going to ask it, I'm sure. It's pretty easy. What borough was uh, Johnny Maestro born in, uh, Curtis? I would think Brooklyn, right? Uh, Al Smith Houses. Oh, Al Smith. Born. No, that's Manhattan. <laughs> That's Manhattan. Yeah, that's right. That was that was me. And you know who was in the band with him early on when he was with the crowd? He started out Luther Vandross, oh. his older sister Patricia Vandross. Oh, um, what what, what, what uh, Luther Luther? What a set of pipes! He came and performed at a Guardian Angel benefit early on when we were being uh, vilified. Nobody knew who he was when he sang. Oh my God! Everybody said, "Who the hell is that?" Within a year, he was, uh, I mean, platinum, gold, top 40 with a bullet. But speaking of uh, Brooklyn Bridge, the biggest question we had going for all six hours was which bridge was featured in The Godfather? You know, the bridge that took the crew out to Louis Restaurant in the Bronx where they were going to settle their differences. It has caused a lot of duress here at WABC, has pitted Greg Kelly, who considers himself a godfather aficionado against Michael Bonacic, Rudy Giuliani, who speaks godfather-esque. And here was uh, Rudy Giuliani weighing in, saying that it was the Queensboro, a.k.a. 59th Street, a.k.a. Ed Koch Bridge. Well, the reason I started with the godfather was I was listening, I was listening to Greg, and they were they were in a state of some confusion about uh, what bridge does uh, uh, Salazzo and uh, the captain and Michael uh, go over when they're going to head to Louis Restaurant. That's the name of the restaurant in the movie, the restaurant where he ultimately kills you know Salazzo and the captain. And uh, they're supposed to go to they're supposed to go to Louis Restaurant in the Bronx. But all of a sudden, Michael sees himself headed toward New Jersey. He sees a sign on what everyone always thought was the, was the uh, George Washington Bridge, because that's logically where it would be. And then the guy makes a tremendous U-turn. Michael almost gives it away. He says, we're not going to the, we're going to New Jersey? And uh, Salazzo looks at him kind of, um, kind of, uh, like, worried, and he very beautifully pulls it off by saying something like oh, that's that's that was a good idea meaning to shake a, a tail <laughs> so the answer the bridge is the Queensboro bridge now you would have thought that would have been a slam dunk that would have ended the controversy since so many of our listeners agreed with uh, Michael Bodicich Rudy Giuliani but then 
Al, a stalwart caller here to the Curtis Lee Show, weighed in and couldn't have indicated any more that Rudy Giuliani was hopelessly wrong on that Godfather uh, fact. First, that was the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure in The Godfather. Wow. So yeah. you actually disagreeing with my Cumbaricich, Rudy Definitely. Giuliani. Definitely. Wow. Yeah, and I respect Rudy. He's a dynamite uh, broadcaster and reporter. But no, that was definitely the, the lower level of the GW Bridge for sure Oof. in The Godfather. Got to resolve this by the time I return to the airwaves in just a few hours from 3 to 5. But possibly we'll get an answer to this when, uh, well, we have the Long Island Report coming up next from 6 to 7, and then it's religion on the line with uh, Reverend uh, Bernard and... uh, Rabbi Joe Potasnik. Then you don't want to go anywhere. It's uh, John Katsimatidis and his roundtable discussion, the uh, issues uh, of the week, featuring uh, the guy we were talking about a great deal, Frank Morano. Maybe he'll bring it up. I doubt it. And then, naturally, uh, you have the guests that John Katsimatidis will be uh, interviewing that are always newsmakers. They always set the tone for the day's news and the next day's news. And then at 10 o'clock, it's uh, Mike Kumbadichich, Rudy Giuliani from 10 to 11 with Dr. Maria. And then it's um, Judge uh, Janine Pirro. She's on from 11 to 12. Uh, She's not going to touch on that. But I do know that throughout the rest of the day, if it's not brought up again, this dilemma that has caused a real rift between Greg Kelly, who disagrees with... uh, with my Kumbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, on this element of the Godfather. I will have to address it from 3 to 5 today. And if for any reason I can't bring it to a conclusion, I will definitely do so when I return for a third time within the course of 24 hours. So nice I get to do it in a trifecta, a troika, a, a trinity. From 9 to 11, I will definitely address that issue. And then we top it all off with the most requested, most phoned into, and participated in uh, hour of the many hours that I do over the weekend when WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour, featuring my wife, uh, Nancy, the animal rescuer extraordinaire. One way or the other, we will have an answer to that question and resolve who's right, Rudy Giuliani or Greg Kelly. And for those of you out in Bay Ridge, show up for the more Norwegian Day Parade. I'll be out there with Anthony. Starts out at uh, 81st and 3rd. And you can tell me that it was Lee Erickson and Eric the Red that discovered the new world. And I'll tell you, go knock yourself out. But enjoy your day. <laughs>